everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 396. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, we got a loaded show this week as we go back to the year 2000. 23 years. Yes. Yes, it is. I mean, it's hard to believe it's been that long, but man, and boy, the wrestling scene in that year is uh, pretty crazy, and not just a wrestling scene. As UFC had a crazy week as well. Yes. But, uh, yes, I'm ready to talk about the ECW universe, though. Yeah, this is a long one, folks, so get ready. And we have, we have a special guest this week. As uh, Anytime we try to have uh, this man on when we have an MMA section of note, and boy, we got one of those this week. We're joined by our dear friend, the bone collector, Dominic Guarini, one half of the greatest tag team in independent wrestling, Balance and Forever, Balance is Forever with Kevin Koo. Dom, welcome back to the show. Thank you guys for having me. As always, uh, you know, always love setting aside a couple of my days here to talk to you guys and uh, really just, you know, chalk it up about 2000s wrestling. 23 years makes me feel really old, especially having just celebrated uh, a birthday last week, so... Absolutely, yes. Uh, belated happy birthday, of course. Uh, yeah. Always, uh, always great to ce- keep celebrating the birthdays, man. And we keep going another year. So, uh, so yeah, so yeah, two thousand. Yeah, March eighth through the fourteenth. And we're going to begin the show with not one of our usual topics, but a lot going on here. So it takes the lead this week. Extreme Championship Wrestling. The ECW Living Dangerous interview on March the 2nd from the O'Neill Center in Danbury, Connecticut will be remembered for one brief glimpse. New Jack and Vic Grimes had climbed up a ladder to the top level of a scaffold approximately 13 feet from the ground. Although on the broadcast, Joey Styles labeled it at 40 feet. It was very high, but people have taken bumps from several feet higher heights in the business regularly and gotten up to continue to match. But not off a platform with such poor footing. The idea was, apparently was for Cat, for Cat, for New Jack to suplex Vic Grimes off the scaffold through a table. But 400 or so pound Grimes had just moments earlier done one of the craziest bumps anyone would ever see, stepping from the top rope, putting his foot on the ring post, and flying off with a senton onto Balls Mahoney. In doing so, Grimes has already done a spot that his hero Mick Foley, the one who changed wrestling more than he or nearly everyone caught up in this whirlwind of a rapidly changing audience for pro wrestling, had never done in his career. The reality of which that career possibly ended just a weeks earlier hadn't sunk in, or maybe the fact he retired as a hero is far more powerful than the fact he retired. The scaffold didn't have a large stable floor base. It had a plank-like bottom that one could walk on, but hardly anything do hardly do anything athletic on. The side of the plank was several feet from the edge, which had a metal base on nothing else, where Grimes would take the bump from. The idea of attempting to do pro wrestling up there was ludicrous. But according to other wrestlers, the two never scouted out ahead of time, and just saw it and made plans without seeing the lack of footing. But it was a light pay-review and a chance for a pop. And like Foley, Jerome Young and Vic Grimes have already given their bodies up for the euphoric, momentarily feeling one gets from a huge pop. They've just done it for a lot less money. But the truth is, Foley was doing it for less money before he got on the big TV show with the Major League Production and etched in our brains memories we will live with for the rest of our lives and change not just a niche of the business, but the entire business. Once Young and Grimes were on top of the scaffold, time sort of stood still. They had to go off. The world was watching and waiting. They couldn't do a suplex. 
you can see them on the top talking. New Jack gave Grimes a low blow, which is kind of a stupid padded move, since Grimes couldn't sell it. There was no place up there to go down. So apparently Young was going to throw Grimes off, and he'd take the bump similar to the one Foley took and lived through twice in his two Hell in a Cell matches through the tables. Only Young went with him. What happened from there was instantaneous. Jack with a bad foot, apparently just out of surgery and bad hit, which ruined him far less mobile than usual in the brawling that had taken place before they got here, seemed to land almost feet first through the table with a 400-pound man holding on. The crowd went crazy. The music was still playing. The director quickly cut away from the scene and went to a wide crowd shot. They weren't stunned or horrified. But a similar feeling that night in Kansas City when the cameras pulled away, afraid of what might unfold the scene of an accident less than one year ago. They were euphoric. The guys got their pop. And then some. For several minutes. Maybe if they're physically able, they'll do it again someday. <laughs> and in that fleeting second in retrospect, either had a change of heart, it doesn't matter in the big picture, because several more people caught up in the moment are going to do it. Since after all, they both lived. Some will be luckier, and hopefully no one will be less lucky. But the truth is, someone will be. One thing was clear, stickingly so. There's a scene coming sooner than later where someone will call a stunt like this, and they won't get up. Ever. And like again, the city where fans were in horror, the fans will be euphoric. A wrestler will be dead. Whatever strides have been made about the perception of the audience that watches wrestling will be destroyed for a generation. Luckily, that didn't happen. What the fans could see at home at this point was a replay showing Grimes landing with all the momentum from 13 feet times 400 pounds right on the face of New Jack. Officials were on the screen, clearly panicking. When the camera pulled away, no doubt some people remember another scene they'll never forget on live pay-per-view that night in Kansas City where nobody really saw it happen, but everyone watching will remember what it felt like to be watching when it happened. Eventually, a groggy Grimes was helped while New Jack's music continued to play. They cut away from the scene with New Jack laying on the ground twitching. There was a large pool of blood coming from his head. In the dressing room, there was a legitimate brief scare that he was dead. Enough to send the show into a panic and rush everything to end it as soon as possible without doing two-minute matches and making it too obvious. The fact we at home were seeing everything, but what was actually happening was a testament to the fact people calling the shots were scared out of their minds. To their credit, announcers Joey Styles and Cyrus, Don Callis, kept it together. Although it almost seemed too typical for a wrestler when they told us once the panic period regarding mortality was over, they tried to have an update on New Jack's condition later in the show, but nothing was ever said. Whatever the emotional decision was, it was probably the right one. When the show, which was clearly being rushed from that point on just to get it over with, ended, and they showed a highlight package, the incident was never shown nor mentioned. New Jack lay on the ground for several minutes. His music was still playing. He was still on the ground when they sent the wrestlers to rush through what had been advertised the advertised main event three-way dance tag title match. He's finally taken to the back and immediately rushed from Amos to the hospital. He was on a hospital by the next day. He only suffered a mild concussion, a sternal bruise of the chest and shoulders, a bruised sternum, a cracked elbow, somewhat re-aggravating a previous injury that won't require surgery, and was able to fly home to Atlanta the next night. He was actually able to walk around, although very sore, and talk to performers early this coming weekend. Paul Heyman said he wouldn't be on the shows this weekend. Pro Wrestle Torch chimes in. Several people in the locker room feared New Jack was dead following the bump. Sources say onlookers made several references to Owen Hart while Jack was being tended to on the concrete. Sources said that New Jack and Grimes improvised a spot during the match and were not asked to do it by Paul Heyman or other ECW officials. That's totally Jack, said one source. He lives for that kind of stuff. 
I don't think Paul could even ask someone to do something like that. <sighs> that bullshit! <laughs> Heyman has told friends that he did approve of the concept. The source added that he fears Grimes is becoming a new Jet Disciple and turns to taking crazy bumps. He's starting to believe that the bumps is a way to get over. He's pretty shaken up by what happened in New Jack, so hopefully learn a lesson from this. Although Heyman didn't call for the spot, several wrestlers told the Torch he has a responsibility to tame things down before someone is seriously injured. Sources say Heyman told all the wrestlers who had matches following New Jack to take all the time you need, but let's wrap things up and get out of here. All right. And to be clear, by the way, I'm not saying that it's bullshit that he didn't ask, but it as became, quickly became clear, he clearly knew about it and would ask people to do things similar. So where do we start? And do we want to play the clip now or when we get up to it? In the I show? guess we might as well go ahead and play it now so we could have it this and was talk in about depth. it. Yeah, uh, let me pull it up. I did try Googling to see, since it's a New Jack match, if there is a re-C-dub version on archive.org of this pay-per-view, and I could not find it. And obviously I'm not torrenting something while we're recording, so give me a second to pull this up. I mean, in the meantime, just speaking broadly, Dom, you're, you're a longtime colleague of someone who enjoys a balcony dive or two. Um, even Matthew Justice would not do this, though, it, from what you remember of this spot we're about to watch, right? Uh, no comment. <laughs> um, because, like, inside baseball, like, the infamous Josh Bishop, jo uh, Justice, balcony spot from the Odeon was originally pitched as a spear. And we all looked at them like, you guys are psychopaths. Like, you'll die. Like, legitimately. Like, you have no way of looking back behind you. So... I have no doubt. I think Josh would be smart enough to not do something like this, but Justice, he's just a psychopath who will do anything. So, well, yeah, and I mean, that's why that's why we love him. He's a big dumb animal. Yes, <laughs> I mean Justice is the one who did say to me once, "What was it? Something like ah, there are a lot of lot worse things than concussions." So. Yeah, yeah, that that sounds like a Matt quote. Yeah. Um. All right, the network is doing its thing. So give me one second. Um. Okay, I'm curious though. Was I forget? Was this before or after Matt Hardy, Sammy Guevara? I don't remember. Uh, this would have been before because it was pre-pandemic, right? Yeah, it was pre-pandemic. It was the first Odeon show uh, that we had. So yeah, it was before that. And then when I watched that spot, I was like, I think I remember texting Justice and Josh, and I said, "Hey, dumb, dumbasses, this is what you wanted to do. Look what happened." <laughs> and uh, I think Justice's reply was, good call, bro. Honestly, I still can't believe that um, no one had the forethought to put out a second table on that one, though. That's the part that always seemed so weird and screwed up to me. That there was just one table there. Like, before they even did it, as he was setting up the spear, I'm like, oh god, this is not going to go well. And it didn't, so... All right, I was able to get this queued up. I'm sure we're going to hear the lovely uh, network uh, dub music for Natural Born Killer. Yeah, it is what it is. Trick! Dujak has lost a lot of blood. I mean, it's real hard to keep your card. Oh, my God! It either has or has a clear knockoff of the crisscross sample that's used in the Mercedes Monet theme. <laughs> right? That's what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, 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 did you block that one? Running. 
New Jack is also looking up at it with a look on his face like he realizes this is a bad idea, too. Well, it's very dark up there, too. Yeah, like, why are you doing this? No one's going to see this. And now New Jack is climbing the other side of that scaffolding. We're going to have us a, an impromptu scaffold match right here at Living Dangerously. Okay, so it's not high. It's not particularly high. It's not. It's the footing. It's not. But it's, that scaffold is, uh, oof. <laughs> uh, it's not It's not very safe looking for something what they're about to do. I mean, it's got its purpose for what it's supposed to do, but not what they're about to do. No. And they're going all the way up. This is, this is raining right here. Oh, we have a spotlight. How high up are they? That's real high. Okay, so we should be clear. They are high up off of ground level. They are not particularly high up relative to where they're going to land. Relative to other it, new jack spots. This music sounds like something they'll be playing in like the party scene of some movie with National Lampoons uh, in the title of it from the early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Van Wilder. <laughs> It's something like uh, uh, some of that vein, yes. It'd be like Van Wilder Rise of Taj. Like, yeah, I was going to say, no, it's one of the Taj sequels. Okay. Say, uh, or uh, one of my uh, all-time favorites that doesn't get talked about enough, uh, National Lampoon's Senior Trip. Do you guys remember that one? No. I do not. I mean, you know, the name okay, sounds really. Alright. Um, oh, was this after Euro Trip? Is that what it was? No. Um, okay. This is before it start the it was from nineteen ninety five and the star of the movie was a young Jeremy Renner. All right, let's watch these two die. Oh conservative They are way up there. It's more like twenty. Ryan shouldn't wait for him, it's just grab him. Look, there's really nothing to stand on except a couple of two inch rails. Nothing good can come of this for either New Oh, I'll say. Right. What the hell are they doing? Good Lord, look at how high. They're he's going to power bomb him. That's what he's trying to do. What the hell are they? New Jack blocks the power bomb. Okay, I realized what it was. The camera that was shooting them initially was not that high up. They are fairly high up. And Jack Jack just fouled them, and now he they're having a conversation. Like, damn it, I guess we're going to do this shit together. Yeah. <laughs> he went low on Grimes. He low blows a 400 pounder. I'm going to handle it. I grab onto that, 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 that banner there and get some balance. Oh my god! Oh no! At least they have the real crowd. 
face. It looked like Grimes. Well, here we're going right, to see. Here's the replay. Oh, my God. In slow mo. I don't want to see this again. Which Dave did not mention, by the way. Like, when Jack said later in life that this fucked up his eye and his vision, you can totally believe it from the head injury he takes. And also, something no one's mentioning is, on the way down, Jack's feet clip a lower the lower plank. Yeah. And that goes flying, and that also messes up his trajectory. right <laughs> no that wasn't even really a match <laughs> it's listed here as new jack versus the baldies i mean the match was balls mahoney against uh guitar Kanamura, which was a run-in that was just a segment that was no official match oh okay um okay here's but what here's i'm noticing the... here you know yeah. setting aside whatever they discuss here and how that impacts it <sighs> I feel like, and I obviously want Dom's input here as a wrestler and trainer, it looks like this part of this is absolutely New Jack's fault for doing this stupid thing of pulling him down. Um, Because of the total lack yeah, of control you get. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's so much wrong with this spot when you really kind of put it all down. Obviously, the table budget wasn't very high. Uh, you know, they have a 2023 indie wrestling table budget of, hey, you guys get one. Um, <laughs> but, AKA, go find some doors that people left out on the sidewalk. Uh, you know, if, if you're if you're crafty with the Facebook marketplace, you can find a, a folding table or two. Um, but this spot needed at least four tables you could tell that no one that you could also tell that like as they said in the in the observer there's no like they clearly didn't get up to spot this because they both go so far out past the table like they barely yeah. clipped the table at all yes the table was was definitely Jack in was feet first through it yeah so i'm like looking at it and actually like somehow like the rewatch that I'm doing on my TV right now, right behind this, like they're showing it, but like the scaffolding that they used is, is completely bunk in the idea that there's no solid like ground for them to stand on. If you watch a scaffold match, even if you watch like the, uh, you guys talked about IWA mid South and the, the circus barbed wire death match with McConaughey, uh-huh. like, like at least like they could set themselves up up there. And there was like a wood platform on that, on, on that scaffold. And this, there's not like they're, they're goose stepping through it to try to figure out how does this going to work? You know, this spot in its own right works. If you have Jack come off the top and do a dive, but both guys coming down through one table, it's just not good. It's not smart. Not like that. No. 
Actually, I think the back there's two tables, but they're set up the wrong way. It looks like they're, yeah. set, they're set up vertically as opposed to like the the dual horizontals, which it doesn't matter. You fall from this height. And this is something I told Justice and Bishop. You fall from that height. It doesn't matter. The tables are there. It doesn't matter if they're gimmicked or not. Those tables are going to explode like cordwood, no problem, because you're you have two human beings, large human beings, of that coming from you know thirteen to twenty feet in the air. Yeah, yeah, but. And the thing is, this is not even the craziest shit that these two would do do with each other. <laughs> XPW uh, the the rematch two years later. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Now, Justice I mean, that, that, that's though, that's yeah. even worse. Yeah. That's all another story. Gonna, justice to his credit, though, as much as you were not going to get the results you wanted from just having the one table there, he did hit his mark and protect Josh as much as he possibly could have on that. Yeah, right right after he did a super jump off the top off of the uh, off the railing if you ever watch that like he does like an extra gator jump off the top of the railing. Yeah. But I mean for the the spot they did that was about as safe as you could make it. Um I will say the funnier part about that spot is that some of the kids had gimmicked like three of the tables and I remember being like what are you guys doing gimmicking these tables? The like thing, the students a particle another, board. Thing about, another thing about this this whole spot is you know, we were talking about how lit how badly lit it was. I mean, they eventually got the light up there on them on the scaffold, but there was no light really on the tables at all. So they're they're going down from that scaffold. There's no light on the tables. Yeah, yeah they so they're no, going down into the dark. They can't spot it. You know, it's. But also, like, I'm just like, I'm watching it right now. And ha- it's happening again. So Jack, Jack stops himself as Jack's feet go through the two tables. And, like, I don't know. It's just the way the tables were set up, the the distance, and none of it made any sense. Like He's lucky. He's, he's kind of lucky he, that table broke his fall because he could have, fu- I mean, fucked up his legs. Oh, it would have fucked his like terribly. Yeah. So, I mean, he's he's lucky that. He he hit what he hit how he hit because it could have been a whole hell of a lot fucking worse. Yeah, this is a revisionist history thing that like probably if you were to go back to that day, you would like go up to Grimes and New Jack and be like, hey, you guys want to maybe like climb up there and like figure it out because you would have clearly figured out like very quickly that Grimes had no want to be up there at that height, and then B Jack and be like, oh fuck this, and no way I'm gonna fucking do this shit, you know, and then he probably would have done a dive. Which would have been entirely safer. Yeah. Which he's done before. The the new giant balcony dives. Which safer is a relative term, I should say. He would yeah. have he would have the control he did not have here. Yeah. Yeah, so very ill advised in every form or fashion, but it's New Jack and Van Grimes. Like I said, yeah. they would one up themselves two years later. <laughs> okay, before we move on to the rest of the show, I do have a question for Don though. What do you make of the lore of the scaffold match as far as New Jack's version, which was basically, you know, I tried to kill the motherfucker, versus Grimes, which was that everything was cool, and as bad as it looked, he was fine, more or less fine, and the story in the newsletters at the time was that he was more or less fine, and that that's just New Jack telling a story after the fact. From everything I have heard of the New Jack lore, it very much seems like that's something that Jack probably played up. Uh, to just, uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I will say that whoever set that scaffold up in that XPW match, 
Um, definitely just, once again, spotting was just not an idea there. Um, I just probably, I'll say this though, this clip and that XPW clip are probably the two most famous clips that gave everybody's computer aids back in the mid two thousands where you were just downloading it off Kazaa or like, uh, LimeWire. <laughs> Real Owen Hart death video. L at K. Yeah. Uh, so many of those. Uh, Luckily, I never fell for none of that crap. <laughs> I, was, I was 13. <laughs> I never used Kazaa, though, none of that stuff. I never used, I mean, I, I never downloaded really videos like that. I just, I, I mainly was getting music, like a Napster, Audio Galaxy, or shit like that. But I wouldn't use Kazaa. What was the, there was the other one I can't remember, LimeWire, or none of that stuff. Morpheus. Morpheus. Fair share, yeah. Did you ever use Soulseek though? Soulseek was good. No, Soulseek still exists. Too. <laughs> no, I, I just I stuck with what I knew, you know. Yeah. Anything that looked kind of shady, I wouldn't fool with. So, yeah. Audio Galaxy was the best one, and it's a shame that it died pretty much first. Yeah, it was. All right, well, there's more to this show. Whatever else happened on this show before this man sell a crowd of uh, thirty three ninety. About four thousand total, paying ninety six thousand four hundred. Didn't seem important. It was a well but entertaining show featuring matches that would be mainly forgotten by the next day when four New Arts Television were there to be digested. <laughs> Dave saying that in two thousand, <laughs> it holds even more true now. The production was heavily criticized for being poor, even by ECW standards, as the arena looked dark, thus giving the impression of a small crowd, and the sound mixing wasn't good either. The preliminary integrations, according to Paul Heyman, are that buy rate would be the company's strongest in history based on Monday morning returns, easily beating WCW's numbers for Super Brawl. I think that was def- being true, right? Uh, yeah. There was definitely heat among some wrestlers feeling New Jack and Grimes had raised the bar based expectations for the rest of the crew in the business that is already dangerous enough and made it very difficult for the people following them on the show. But there's only one match left. The feeling was that the two came up with a spot without even scouting out the scaffold to realize what they had planned would be impossible to pull off. Well, there you go. It definitely seemed on the fly. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. All right. Uh, dark match of the show. Mikey Whipwreck, Pin Pitbull won. Gary Wolf. He should have a throwback match there as your dark match. Yes. Is this shortly Sh- after Pitbull's got out of prison? Yeah, yeah I think so. Show up with Joy Styles, Joel Gertner when, St- when Cyrus came out. Gertner Cyrus. and Cyrus teased the fight. Cyrus, yes. Gertner and Cyrus teased the fight with Gertner not backing down. The show fans will buy anything. They actually bought Gertner, who had played the role of the ultimate fat sissy for more than one year. Now is a tough guy babyface against a pro wrestler with years of experience. Cyrus, playing heel, backed down. Gertner turned his back like one of those idiot babyfaces on Nitro, and Cyrus laid him out with a kick. Styles uh, tackled Cyrus to pull him off, but it, it did give storyline reason for Cyrus to announce for the rest of the show. In many ways, he was a star of the show in that role. Which, every pay-per-view, they have a storyline reason he's doing the announcing instead of Gardner. Shocking, isn't it? He's done every pay-per-view for, what, a year and a half at this point? At least a year. I mean, because by the time TNN started, he was already doing the pay-per-views, right? He was involved at that point, but not more involved in TNN, yes. Uh... All right. Next, we get Steve Carino. He's got a lot to say. Let's go to the clip. I hope his four-year-old's not listening to this. Well, no, three-year-old at the time. What am I saying? 
He wouldn't understand. Danbury, Connecticut. And millions watching at home on pay-per-view television. Tonight, the old-school hero, Steve Carino, dangerously is going to make history. after myself. And tonight... Uh, <laughs> what great ECW production values that they started playing the audio from the Louis Dangerously pre-tape promo by mistake. ECW, everybody. Uh, and just just to set the scene, uh, Carino is in bunkhouse match gear with a cowboy hat, flanked by a uh, local promoter extraordinaire, Ken Reinhurst, in a cowboy hat. <laughs> yes, that's Jack Victory. Yes. I look around this arena, and all I see is a bunch of drunk. Sexual deviant. Deviant? Victory's pointing oh, someone out. Wait a second. I see the biggest douchebag of them all. Ladies and gentlemen, the Sandman's wife. <laughs> oh, this is an honor and a privilege to finally see you face to face, Lori. You know, Very different. I mean, remember Raven? Yeah. The guy you left your husband for? That was no angle. I have it on good authority that he was giving it to you in the bathroom. (laughs) Hey, you little bastard, why don't you shut up? The Sandman's not even your real dad. Hey, Lori. I I think I'm the only one you haven't put over yet. So why don't you put me over live on pay-per-view, you whore? Jesus Christ. Slap. Knocks the hat off. Oh, he grabs her. Pulls her over the rail. Hey, Karina, want to eat a little peaches? What can you say? Uh, here's Rhino. Come on, Lori! You know you want it! You think the Sandman's got a big one? You haven't seen anything yet! Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, there's Hack. Oh, Rhino, Rhino murders him with a clothesline. <laughs> and 
also just hit a pile driver where it did not look like he protected him at all. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jack Jack just threw Lori down on her back. <laughs> okay, Dom, you have quite a good pile driver yourself. Is was that just a really good magic trick, or did he just drop Sam in on or on his head? Uh, I mean, it's a little bit of both. Sometimes, like Sandman didn't look like he posted well. So, really, the the key to a good pile driver is making sure that guy posts really well. And old old Jim, I don't know. <laughs> we just I just I just I just hung out with Jim the other week. Oh, that's good nice. dude. When he's sober, uh, he is not sober anymore. Um, oh, uh, no, sorry. I knew that. No, there was a recent. I forget what show it was yeah. that I saw him at that he was drinking. He was, uh, Chris, if you'll believe us, he was upset that Metallica was playing. <laughs> he is, uh, he's not a Metallica fan. Do you, you want to take a guess as to the Sandman's two favorite musical artists at the current moment? At the at current the moment? moment? Do any what? of them have a cover of Enter Sandman? <laughs> no, they do not, because this is going to completely throw you two for a loop. Uh, All right. Uh, what, okay. So, what what uh, era of music are we talking about here? We'll, what we'll say American top. Well, one is American top forty currently, and, and the what, other one would be would be late two thousands hip hop. And what kind of genre is the? <laughs> so, just like a current pop song and a late two thousands hip hop song. Uh, let's see. Late two thousands hip hop. Uh, is he a? He's not a Drake fan, is he? No, a Lil Wayne guy. Lil Wayne guy. That makes sense. And then uh, his other favorite artist right now, Bruno Mars. Hey. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, back back to the Fullingtons here as uh, Lori's about to take one for the team. So let's go to the clip. I don't know if I would have used that phrase in Chris. <laughs> her in her head whiplash hard as she went through that <laughs> diagonal table God. in the corner. I mean, this is when Rhino, I mean, was looking like this, just a, just a fucking monster of monsters in wrestling. Doing shit like this, man. Yeah. God. Maybe this is why he didn't win his election. <laughs> and the rest of Atlas Security is at the ring. <laughs> so many mullets and mustaches. <laughs> Are we on? Are we on? Yeah, oh, you're on. For fuck's sake, of all the times he's done that stupid <laughs> bit, he does it at a time where there is literally no reason to think they are off the air. <laughs> I tell you, all you folks that, uh, that get off on MJF stuff today, Go watch Steve Carino. <laughs> Go watch Steve Carino, nineteen ninety nine to two thousand. I mean, and some of his indie stuff in the next few years after that too. Yeah, but um, but but especially nine nine two thousand ECW. I mean, I, I mean, yes, cool. I could I could see Young Maxwell uh, if he were to be cutting a promo on a Dusty Rhodes type character. I could see him saying, "You cut Magnum TA's break lines." I can see something <laughs> like that. I mean, Carino is fucking amazing in this era. One of my favorites in the business. 
this this amazing character. Oh my god! I mean, you put him in that era in today's time. Oh my god! I don't think he'd cut these promos in today's time. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. If he was the young guy that was there then, and, and yes. he's a young guy now, but yeah, anyway. just amazing heel. I mean, we know that that's just not a smart stop, thing to do. Stop, just stop, but stop. Quit, be, quit being a heel. No, 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 no. no, no wait a minute. I'm being a heel. You've never been in there. You don't understand the dangers that the wrestlers face. You got fans. We cannot have the fans putting their hands on wrestlers. No matter how. I mean, look, he's a heel. He provokes fans. She struck him. He's a heel. He, he provokes fans. Whatsoever. Keeping in mind, I'm in no way advocating this. He insulted her. Right. He questioned the validity of her marriage. He pulled her over the guardrail. He pulled her into well, the Sam, Sam man looks incensed right now. He... The Sandman is scheduled to face Rhino in the first semifinal matchup of the ECW World Television Title Tournament. But, uh... I mean, I almost question Carino's logic here because, as you suggest, they're scheduled to face each other. What kind of a mindset is Sandman going to be in for this match? I mean, we may see an even more dangerous Sandman, Joey Styles, than what we've seen on the network. I, for one, don't think the Sandman cares right now about that world television title. Should Iron Man Tommy Caro wanted to let this happen. Sure. Would have paid his bills, at least. <laughs> Where's my kids at? Where's my fat? Where's my kids at? Where my kids? The Sandman is now looking Where's for his children. His son is supposed to be not your kid. Maybe Carino got them. Get my kids. Can you imagine his, his children? Oh, the dog. Okay, they didn't show a close up. So I guess the younger son is not there. All right. So there you go. <laughs> And we still we still have Carino Dusty right after this too. <laughs> yes. Uh, what a clusterfuck yeah. too. <laughs> well, see, CW on pay per view. I mean, what do you expect? Yeah, I mean, not to get too into the weeds of it. Like, ECW was never meant to be a live TV product. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> All right, so. Dusty Rose for Steve Carino was the opener of the show. Dusty won in 10-13 with an elbow drop and a bull rope match. Who would ever thought that Dusty now 55 would be in the longest match of the show? Dusty didn't get nearly the pot you'd expect. Match was terrible. And Dusty surprisingly showed no charisma in a match's complete lack of mobility. Well, the crowd didn't mind because they got a lot of blood. Rhodes Carino both juice from the head after doing the cowbell shots. Rhodes also scraped the cowbell on Carino's arms. He bladed his arm. They mainly brought in the crowd to the finish. Rhodes appeared winning for doing nothing. 
Way too long for these two. Rose in the ring finally hit Carino and Victor with an elbow. H.C. Loke, who had done an angle on TV where Carino had bloodied him up, take the cowbell to Carino's head. This was real clumsy looking. And does hit the bell of a chair, then drop the elbow on him for the pin. Half a star. And there's another Carino promo before this, too. All right, I guess we'll play that first. Yo! Carino's back in the ring already. Oh, I'll go back, I guess. We're a live pay-per-view, and you're apologizing. One whore down, one to go! I'm not waiting till later! Dusty Rhodes, I'm the new American dream around here! And I'm gonna kick your fat ass if you will! Carino is Loke looks like dream. he's cosplaying as Jim Corderas. What song did Dusty use I love this here? look Carino came up with. Oh, I have no idea. I don't remember. And the jeans, Joey. Very original. Oh, yeah. Never seen it before. The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. All right. Um, to the finish. Yeah. Okay, so I guess go to like 34 minutes or so. Let's see. Stupid thing is obscured. Uh, You're in the next match. No, no, no. Well, no. Remember though, the thumbnail is not accurate, so I'm going with the time. Yeah, but you're in, you're in you're in the next match. I can see that. No, but it's not really. That's the. Oh, it is. Okay, then the time. I'm trying to tell you. Wrong is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, or I mistimed it. I'm not doing math well right now. I can. I'm looking and can see. No, but the, but the, no, that's what I've been trying to tell you. On the web app for the network, it does not show the correct thumbnail for where I'm you are. I'm not looking at thumbnails. I'm I'm looking right there. Okay, all right. That's what okay. I'm talking about. The thumbnail when I'm scrubbing through it like that. That's what I was saying. All right, here. No, they're not, they're not bleeding yet. Okay. <laughs> We're not even close to the finish. They're, they're crowd brawling. Okay, here we go. Go all here. Right, there's some some blood. Uh, uh, keep going. Okay. All right. No, that's the finish, I think. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so now you know where you're at. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. All right. Marino's got the bell. Marino's got the bell. Rhodes got a roll of tape. Yeah, Jack Victory was trying to throw a roll of athletic tape into Steve Carino. Maybe he's going to tell. What is the referee doing? H.C. Lucas looking for some payback from Milwaukee. Oh, now this is ridiculous. Oh, at least he didn't grab a ladder. Is being taped to the top of <laughs> Steve Carino's head. Steve Carino is now being victimized by the young referee he bludgeoned in Milwaukee, H.C. Lope. I can tell you this referee will never referee a match for the network, Joey Styles. This oh, is ridiculous. Geez. Dusty's got the chip. He's having to hold it on his head. Oh, fuck. up a double bird. Dan elbow. <laughs> Your winner! The American Dream! Dusty Rose! 
to no one's surprise, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, is victorious in the bull rope match against Steve Carino. All right. That reminds me, so too. Like, I need to nag Stephen D'Angeli on Facebook again about releasing that Alaska tour he did 20 plus years ago. <laughs> so there you go. All right. So we followed up with C.W. Anderson and Wild Bill Wiles beating Dashley Danny Doring in Roadkill in 723. A plant tried to kiss Doring before the match, causing Electra to go berserk. Doring jumped off Roadkill's bed to a dive off the, over the top on the both foes. It went to near falls of Doring and Roadkill, doing a lot of big moves. Doring had a leg drop off the top on Anderson. Roadkill was on top when Electra turned on him and grabbed his leg, causing him to crotch himself. Louis Dangerously, who had bragged about how the pay-per-view show was named after him, hit Doring with a cell phone, and CW pinned him with Spinebuster, star and a half. Outstanding. But you know, Don, Doring and Roadkill was like that, at that time period, they were like seen as this like innovative team, you know? <laughs> I mean, they still do, they still have some stuff, Chris, that like, is crazy, like that wheelbarrow, like leg drop that they used to do. Like, mm-hmm. I think I've had multiple students ask about that. I just don't trust our any of our kids to do it. Mixed with the fact that like that leg drop bump is just brutal on your career. Like, it's just like I don't want to wish that upon anybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's a it's a shame that they didn't get a a run, you know, in a bigger promotion. Yeah, it, it sucks that kind of the the only quasi, and I'm using air quotes here, bigger run they got would have been when they got signed to the WWE CW brand back in like 06. But, you know, there's obviously so many problems with how that entire system was run. Because I could have imagined, you know, those two guys rocking and rolling with a bunch of like the developmental tag teams they had at the time to get them ready for the road. You know, which was the original game plan of ECW, and then it just kind of never came through fruition. And of all the guys that at that time were probably signed, you know, those would have seemed like two of the more reliable guys on the roster, as opposed to like the Balls Mahoney's and the Axel Rotten's and, you know, bless the soul about the Sandman's of the world that they were, you know, showcasing more on the TV. Yeah. All right, next, Mike Awesome, Pin Kid Cash at 444. This started this Cash versus Simon Diamond, who was actually out with the injury. Jeff Jones came out for no apparent reason, leading the Mike Awesome coming out. Hey, at least it wasn't Sid. Awesome told everyone to leave the ring or he beat him up. Diamond and his entourage, the prodigy Tom Marquez and Mitch, get out of town, but Cash stayed there and the match started. Cash to the springboard plancha clearing the guard rail, which was a hell of a move. He delivered a double arm pound driver on Jeff Jones and jumped off top row with a hook on uh, Awesome. Also came back with one awesome bomb through a table, followed by the same finish he used on Spike Dudley. The last review, where he's still in the middle of the rope, holding cash in power up position. They climbed up top and did the power bomb off the top through a table for the pin. Shorter version of the awesome Spike match, three stars. Oh, yeah, Mike Awesome was a killer at this time period, man. And having guys like Cash and Spike and, you know, taking those bumps and just making him like a, a monster. I mean, that's what made him appeal to WCW at this time. Yeah, and then that was, like, the big issue with, like, WCW was, like, first guy that put him against is Nash, and Nash is a legitimate giant, and it kind of really downplays the Mike Awesome size right off the rip, and, of course, the political minefield that was WCW when Awesome went, 
it was just a thing where he probably should have just he obviously you can never fault the guy for getting paid but it definitely didn't go as well as it should have gone for awesome especially with how hot he was coming off of this ecw run oh absolutely yeah and but he got paid yeah and he got paid and one of the reasons he felt the need to get paid was he wasn't being paid (laughs) yeah i don't blame anybody for leaving ecw in 2000 to go anywhere i mean yeah you're not gonna be spotlight like you once were but Hey, at least you're getting paid on a regular basis. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I can't blame the guy. All right. Next, Nova and Chris Chatty beat Gato and Jado in seven thirty-three. Oh wow. Very <laughs> underrated tag that, team at the time against a very overrated tag team at the time. This actually started at the end of the last match where Jazz was checking on Kid Cash. For whatever reason they're trying to say Jazz and Cash have a platonic friendship. Ghetto and Jado then came out to attack Jazz, leading Nova and Chatty to make the save and getting this battle underway. Dave knows that Chris Chatty's really gotten out of shape, made more obvious by his ring outfit. Gato, who's a hell of a worker, did a moonsault to middle rope to the floor with both men. Jado did a super bomb off the ropes on Chatty, but Nova made a save. They were real hard, missed a lot of spots in him with Nova and Chatty doing the title wave. Both jumped out the same top turnbuckle on the Gato for the pin. Three quarters of a star. I really hope 2023 Dave Meltzer does not see 2023 Chris Chetty. <laughs> he thought 2000 Chris Chetty was out of shape. Well, look at Taz. <laughs> Fair. It's, a, it's in the genes. <laughs> Some bad Italian genetics. <laughs> hook. Hey, Hook. Enjoy why you can, brother. <laughs> oh, uh, who knows? Maybe he's got his mom's uh, genes. Yeah, maybe. Right? But yeah, Ghetto and Jado here working uh working the show. Yes, wrestling observer ECW. subscriber Ghetto. Yes. He's a hell of a worker. So there that is. Alright, next we got the TV title tournament going on. Super crazy. Pin Little Guido. Oh Jesus Christ. Can these guys wrestle anyone else and besides <laughs> each other into Jerry? Fuck. Well, hold on, I'm not done. Crazy up in the top row, open up doing a top row of Saeed Moonstone, both Guido and Sally Graziano. They're trying to push hard the idea that Guido isn't a comedy character any longer. On the spot, Crazy tried to want to move the guardrails in, and he barely got them moved in. So instead of doing a move off the middle rows, he did off the top so he clear the guardrails. Guido Juice had two chair shots. Crazy came off the top off Sal's shoulders. It was met by Guido getting his feet up. Guido started whipping Crazy with Graziano's belt. Finishes Guido coming off Graziano's shoulders for an elbow on the Crazy on the table. But Crazy moved, and Guido went through the table. Crazy didn't hit a quebrada and used a brain bust under the broken part of the table for the pin. Bix, the original plan was for this to be a three-way with Yoshihiro Tajiri. Uh, <laughs> but they decided to get Tajiri involved in the main event instead. Three stars. <laughs> it's been going on for like 15 months. Come on. I mean, you know what it shows, though? And I don't mean this as a slight on the other guys on the roster, though. Outside of Tajiri, once he showed more personality, uh, being moved into the main event mix, it feels like Heyman did not trust just about anyone else to be like a polished worker to not look outshined by these guys. Do you think that Heyman thought of them as too small to be the main event guys? I mean, Tajiri got legit title shots and stuff. But he's a different type of guy. He projects bigger. He comes off more threatening. Yeah. Um, 
I guess uh, maybe. I mean, I said, do, do you think that Heyman was probably scared from the Mikey Whipwreck championship reign and stuff like that? Yeah, but that's Mikey Whipwreck, and I don't say that as a slight on Mikey, you know, but that's a whole separate thing from these guys, you know? I mean, yeah, but it, it, I don't know. Yeah, Dump, why do, you, why do you think these three guys are just almost exclusively, not exclusively, but close to it, booked with each other for over a year? Um, I think part of it is that Paul just saw was probably read in the newsletters and said, "Man, everybody loves all these matches, and they're so good." It's probably a lot of the reason why, like, you look at like Jerry Lynn and RVD working each other so much. Oh God, yeah. match. So I think I think Paul always had at least a booking mindset of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if you look at it, like Gabe is very similar to Paul, and it, obviously, you know, being a disciple of Paul, I mean, look at a lot of that evolved stuff that Gabe booked over the years. A lot of it was, if it wasn't broke, don't fix it. Just keep running it, you know? So I think that was the idea. I think that out of those three, as much as I love Uncle Guido, I don't know if he would have ever been, like, a, the proper world title challenger out of those three. I think when they moved to Jiri up, that was good. And I think they probably could have had some steam on Super Crazy if they ever had wanted to, you know, tour Mexico. Um, but I think that those three guys kind of at the TV title range was, like, where they were. But I feel like – especially with the talent coming up in the 2000s and you know we'll talk about APW later in the indie section but like you could have brought guys like Mike Donovan Morgan and Modest in to work these guys and they probably could have kind of rejuvenized everything realistically within that mid card to that TV title you know picture and yes yeah, so let's not forget that Dominic Greeny is a member in standing of the full-blooded Italians as that is correct I am <laughs> so yes Guido is Uncle Guido Guido, Guido was Guido was much. He said, I, "My knees were much more stable carrying him out of my shoulders than uh, than Big Sal's were." <laughs> I can believe that. <laughs> All right, next balls Mahoney pinned Katara Kanemura in one minute fifty eight seconds. Kanemura hit Mahoney with two chair shots. That he didn't sell. Mahoney avenged his loss at the Yokohama Arena show in November by quickly winning with the Nutcracker Suite. Apparently, Kanemura was pretty banged up. Dud. Not surprised by that. The previous match was really a set stage for the run-in. The Baldies all attack Mahoney, leading the Grimes doing a dive off the post onto him. Fans on New New Jack was coming. He got rid of DeVito and Angel weapons, including a guitar shot on Angel. Grimes, who was still still in the previous bump, got up, and he and Jack brought to the part of the building where the scaffold was, and the rest was history there. Which leads us to the main event. Now, remember, Heyman's like, you guys do what you do, but we're trying to end the show. As Lance Storm and Justin Credible regained the ECW tag titles on a triple threat beating Raven and Mike Awesome and Masato Tanaka and Tommy Dreamer in 906. Raven came out and did his snot rag and dropped to a hold of Dreamer's face to the table right away. Tanaka basically placed Awesome to a table and pinned him with a roaring elbow in 432. It happened so suddenly, the announcers never really got over how the world champion was pinned clearly by a single move and didn't have nearly the impact with fans of doing something like that to elevate Tanaka should have. The crowd was still down because of New Jack's bump. Justin Grable gave Tanaka a hard cane shot and they doubled up on Dreamer blooding him up. Finally, Storm pile drove Tanaka and both guys gave Dreamer a stuff pile driver and Storm pinned to, to regain the titles. Cyrus hit the ring to congratulate New Chance. There was nothing wrong with anything they did, but it was rushed and didn't have much heat. Two stars. Wait, 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 wait. Why was the idea to elevate Tanaka, or is that just Dave reading into it? Because he's already been champion. 
Yeah, that, that's that's the thing. Yeah, Dave, like two months uh, ago. Yeah, Dave I think needs to remember who he's talking about here. Because <laughs> Tanaka and Awesome have been feeding on and off forever, and Tanaka was the champion. But this wasn't the main event. I was wrong. There was one more match. Super crazy pin Rhino and said 56 win the TV title tournament. Before the match started, Cyrus and Paul Heyman argued with Heyman making the point of how much ECW should hate TNN, saying the stage because of belief they have that they've been booted when WF deal comes in, which they are. Gertner came back and had a conversation with Lewis Cyrus. Crazy up in the match doing a dive off ref Jim Mono's back. Raven pressed Crazy over the top row to a table. He also spared a table when Crazy moved. Crazy did his three moonsault spot when Tajiri showed up and blew mist in Crazy's eyes, started throwing stiff kicks at him. Molino was bumped up the third boo salt, which actually appeared to miss Molino, but he had something anyway. Tajiri and Rhino were destroying Crazy until Rob Van Dam, with his leg and a big cast, showed up with Scott Antall, former WCW wrestler Scotty Riggs, and they very clearly made it a point never call him anything but Scotty, since Riggs is a gimmick name he used first in WCW, and ECW and WCW are illegal odds these days. Van Dam put Rhino through a table, so his own leg in the process, and Crazy pinned him at their moonsault. After the match, Rhino, Spear, Van Dam, and Scotty, and Carino and Victory came out and laid everyone out until Salmon made a big comeback, cleaning the ring with a cane, and offered cans of beer to Crazy Van Dam and Scotty as the show went off the air about 25 to 30 minutes early, starting three quarter. All right. Uh, let's watch the finish of this, shall we? Because that that what then so the next four minutes is the beer bash or three and a half minutes. It's just a it's just a weird group of people in the ring to do that to. <laughs> and yeah, the network version of this pay per view is two hours six minutes eleven seconds. Yeah, 
Well, thank Sam and Vic Grimes. Sam, thank New Jack and Vic Grimes for that. Yeah, <laughs> it's also not an ECW pay per view without the crowd chanting loudly for the person who's about to do the run in and make the save. And Joey Styles has to ignore them because Paul is desperately yelling in his ear not to telegraph it. Because, <laughs> like, loud, loud, loud. We want Sandman. Clap, 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 clap. And he's just ignoring it. Like, someone has to run out here. Who, though? <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, there you go. Living Dangerously 2000. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the torch, shall we? Clusterfuck is the word most commonly used by wrestlers to describe the pay-per-view. There's a growing sentiment among the wrestlers that Paul Heyman should step down as the booker in favor of a committee approach, yet retain his final say as an editor, much in the same way Vince McMahon had his final say when Vince Russo was writing for WWF. Oh, hey, it's the most overused talking point about pro wrestling booking in 1999 and 2000. <laughs> Few are doubting Heyman's ability as a booker, but you feel he's too involved in other business matters to give booking proper time and attention. Oh, oh, so, wait uh, a second. Other business matters? <laughs> so so uh, you're saying that Paul Heyman has a say in the business side of ECW at this point? You're saying he did not legally sign away control to the business side of the company to ECW management group over a year earlier? That's what's being said here. It's a bit like he literally like officially is not supposed to be doing anything else for the company besides creative and stuff. Several wrestlers say Heyman claims to be open to suggestions, but rarely use the ideas given to him. One wrestler told the torch, Paul's doing everything. I know that's his style, but it's starting to hurt the company. He needs to delegate more. He has people begging him to do things, but he won't let them. Many wrestlers are growing tired of the company's lack of organization. Some wrestlers complain that they weren't given their match finishes until an hour before match time. Vignettes were being taped minutes before the fans were let inside the building. Other wrestlers were upset the show ended nearly a half hour early. Although most believe the show in the early coast of New Jack's injury, many are blaming Heyman's book on the fly style. I don't believe he booked it up material. The atmosphere backstage said it'd be chaos. Many know there were r- roughly 150 people, family, friends, members of Russia staff, people from Claim, Pioneer Video, TNN, etc., in a room so dark that people were walking around with flashlights bumping into one another. Once the source noted, if this company doesn't make it, it will be due to the lack of organization. Well, that's the damn truth. <laughs> Walking around, bumming at each other in the dark. Mm, 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 mm. Veterans of the locker room fear Heyman's losing to younger wrestlers. Source they so mid carters are quietly complaining they aren't being elevated. Many saw the recent injuries suffered by Rob Van Dam, Jerry Lane, and Spike Dudley as their chance to step up. But don't feel as though they've been put in a position to do so. The wrestlers are saying, don't feel part of the team theme. Heyman has pushes. Sources feel Heyman used to elevate one of the longtime undercard wrestlers set a positive example for the mid carters. They're losing hope and don't buy into the hype anymore, said one wrestler. When asked for a comment, Heyman told the torch on Tuesday night. Can I? Those those who feel they <laughs> should have more character development, perhaps, should have more character to develop. Normally I would be against nitpicking and criticizing others in public, but if the <laughs> critics from <laughs> But if the critics from within want to criticize under the veil of anonymity, then I have no compulsion to protect them from my criticism in public. <laughs> I have never punished anyone for criticizing me for winning my own company. Ever. Case in point, two weeks after a very public pissing contest with Raven. He laid out Tommy Dreamer in Cincinnati, took Francine Turnheel, beat Dreamer in ECW Arena, and won the world tag titles. That was two weeks after a public pitching contest with me. 
I welcome criticism even from within, but I detest the cowardice of hiding behind the label of uh, unnamed people. If you're going to be a <laughs> if you're going to be a rebel, at least have enough belief that your rebellion is warranted and demonstrate that belief by waving the flag of your revolution. Heyman added. We elevated Super Crazy to main event status from mid-card, and he's carrying the ball. We elevated Rhino from nowhere within a year, and he's carried the ball. We elevated Cyrus from the broadcast move to the lead heel of the company, and my God, is he carrying the ball. We elevated Jim Mitchell from a guy WCW couldn't even put on their television show to the guy that brings home the TNN show and opens up our pay-per-views. I'm comfortable with our track record of elevating people at the right time, at the right place, under the right circumstances over the past six months. If we had our webcams on, would we all just be watching each other making the wanking motion at the same time? <laughs> oh, we got classic Heyman here. Uh, normally, I would be against nitpicking and criticizing others in public. But if the critics want to... The critic... Excuse me. But if the critics from within want to criticize under the veil of anonymity, then I have no compulsion to protect them from my criticism in public. <laughs> I have never punished anyone. I, I, I... <laughs> uh... <laughs> but you know what's you know what's funny though? A lot everything? of these criti- a lot of these criticism that we're hearing about ECW. Oh, I know where you're going. With sure. this. Yes. Sure sound familiar in 2023, doesn't they? <laughs> I mean, lack of delegation is the big one. But the, even the talk about, you know, some of the talent, the younger talent, you know, and how they've been elevated, if not, you know, that's been going around, too. I mean, there's there's some similarities here to what we've heard lately from some criticism from fans. I mean, granted, we are recording this after a pay-per-view where the younger talent all went over. Yeah. But I'm just saying that's just been something that's been a criticism in the past. Yeah. So. I, okay. Uh, I, 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 okay. So back in the day, <laughs> would anyone other than Bruce Mitchell point out the type of thing that's going on here? No. That the most obvious, uh, when I say obvious, I mean, when you hear from him, it is obvious anonymous source in the newsletters is bemoaning people speaking to the newsletters anonymously. <laughs> yes. I mean, Meltzer said recently, you know, especially after Brawl Out and all that, that so often the people who complain the loudest are the ones who come running to him first. Yeah. Dom, how does this compare to the indie locker rooms of today and all the stuff you're hearing about the ECW talent morale? Oh, I was expecting you to say MLW. That would have been interesting. Uh, <laughs> I I mean, I haven't been there for over a year, so I can't imagine yeah. where we were at that point. Um, it's an interesting thought process in the indie locker rooms today. I think there's a lot of guys that think that they, that they should have the ball and run with it, and then they think maybe they're not getting booked in the right way. Um, to me, and this is something that Kevin and I have, you know, in our opinion, if you want the ball to run with it, you kind of got to force yourself with the ball to run with it. Um, and I think you're starting to see some people do that. But then, you know, there's always a large section of independent wrestlers that ask the question of like, why am I not booked here? Why am I not there? Why am I not there? And it just kind of 
all about the hustle and especially on the indies you got to be kind of a relentless hustler and over the last kind of two years you know it's paid off for kevin and i but you know back in 2018 and 19 you know we were we were doing some real bad drives for little to no money and you know it's one of those things where you got to reap the rewards you know further down the line and you know look at these ecw guys some of them see it you know your van dams kind of see it guys like that but you know some of them they work their entire careers and probably never get the the chance to run with the ball they wanted yeah yeah now i do think there are some guys on the indies that there it seems like a lot of promoters don't know how to book like well to give one example although how much he is technically on the indies anymore is a matter of perspective uh Colby Carino. I feel like most promoters who were using Colby Carino outside of, like, the Carolinas promoters, TWE when he'd work there, and, like, Catalyst, I feel like they most of them did not realize how to use him correctly. And there's a reason that he kind of shines more in those promotion, those other promotions. Um, I So it happens, I think. But I... You're also right, though. It's like, you know, I won't get into the specifics, but, you know, you and I talked fairly recently about how there are certain people that just do not take the initiative on the mm-hmm. Indies. Yeah, and, and you'll see that quite quite a bit. Um, uh, the Indies, for the most part, anymore, are who's out there, who's got their name out there, how's, you know the social media game, things like that, you know, it's a lot of that, you know? Um, so it all just matters. I tell every kid that comes to the end of wrestling school, this wrestling is what you make of it. If you want this to be a job, if you want this to be a big deal for you, then you got to treat it like such. And if you just want this to be a hobby, it beats the shit out of doing church league softball. So treat it like that. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, Stand with a torch. Jerry Lynn won't be ready to return for another eight weeks. Some feel Lynn would have been available sooner had he not initially ignored emergency room doctors who told him to have his ankle examined by an orthopedist. Well, I'll do it. Oh, Shane Douglas has sent... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, meaning he was supposed to wait for an orthopedist to come down to the emergency room, or were we supposed to get a consult after? He didn't say. Shane Douglas is in Phil's ECW, but there's no interest. Shocking. Also, Shock. that, that, that have they even settled all their issues yet? Or, or, or no, they settled it when Shane got his release, right? Yeah, but so he's the, looking for work. So there's no outstanding. I mean, Shane's still technically under contract to WCW, isn't he? Technically, yeah, but because he goes back in April, and I don't think he was ever actually released. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, this could also just be to, I mean, well, he doesn't get his spot back until Russo's back, but I don't know. I mean, would he really, he knows the money situation, so, you know, and he knows it better than anyone. I don't think there's any reason for him to actually send feelers. Yeah. I feel, I feel like this is some goofy Paul story. Possible. Rob Van Danzer had a schedule and was walking backstage without his cast. He told friends he hopes to return early May. Also, Honey will be returning to Japan to work a three-way tour for FMW. All right, now we go back to Dave. ECB Magazine is temporarily suspended operations. Subscribers have given the option to take WOW Magazine, which comes from the same publishing house, or get a refund. 
The magazine did poorly when it came to newsstand sales. <sighs> oh, temporarily suspended operations? <laughs> well, you know how that is. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> One of these days, I don't know, like, because I don't think there was a lot of newsletter coverage of it. Like, maybe if we can find scans of a lot of issues or whatever, we need to do something about WoW Magazine. Because, like, has there ever been, like, a bigger disappointment for that kind of thing? The way that thing was hyped up? Maybe not. It's like, oh, we are the wrestling magazine that's finally going to treat wrestling seriously and the way it should be covered. And then, like, 90% of the magazine each month would be kayfabe stories. Yes. Look good, though. Yeah, and one of the reasons it looked good was that they would go around the promotion and go directly to the wrestlers and be like, hey, can we pay you thousands of dollars for an exclusive photo shoot? Yeah, that helped. Which did not make the promotions you need to maintain relationships with happy. No. You know, should you be able to do that? Yes. In practice, was it a bad idea? Yes. Well, I just realized, though, at least that there's an ECW licensee that I don't think they ended up owing money. Yeah, there's that. The March 10th TNN show is one of the best shows I've ever done. It opened a long Raw Van Damme Cyrus angle where Van Damme came back to the TV title. But the premise of Van Damme having to get back the title to keep ECW's TV show or TNN would drop, it was pretty far-fetched. If it was Van Damme, it was Van Damme's best my performance to date, and Cyrus is tremendous in his role. Rhino pins by Dudley in 615 after a pile driver. Dudley took his usual great bumps. It wasn't even noticed we had knee injury, which probably isn't a good thing. They gave Dudley a near fall through acid drop, but Steve Kern at the referee, then gave Jack Victor the acid drop, but Rhino speared Spike through a table. Storm incredible pit Gato Ajato. The final six minutes, 30 seconds aired, and this was the most heat and best match on ECW television, and pay-per-view for that matter, in a long time. Based on what aired, he, this was close, very close to match at a year level. Storm incredible came out looking like the team they've been pushed as truly for the first time on the way. Gato looked great, while Jato actually looked good. The finish was spy pile driver on Jado and Storm pinned him. Even though Gato and Jado have no reason to be over, they were because they were in a good match and it worked on television because they created a storyline context of what this match was for. Trying to explain why Gato and Jado were good. Gato having beaten Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, and Dean Malenko was brought up by Joey Styles. Of course, not mentioned that was all around 1995. Well, of course not. Everybody knows they were in WCW. I mean, good lord. The air detect title change were also in Raven Meeting Tanaka and Dreamer in 1211. Well, actually, wait a second. Chris, uh, I think at least one of those wins, and possibly two, was Walt. No, Jericho wasn't. So, okay, the Benoit win, though, was Walt Benoit was in WCW. So. Barely. The air detect title change were also in Raven Meeting Tanaka and Dreamer in 1211. This is Benoit, Dave was up to believe. It wasn't close to the previous tag match. But the crowd was into it, and it was very good as well, with some new spots. Dreamer bought the drop toe hold into the chair by grabbing the chair on the way down, hitting Raven. This built the Raven giving the drop toe hold onto a table, with Dreamer's face going through the table, which looked pretty dangerous. Also ended up pinning Dreamer after a ball through a vertical table. The show ended with the guy with no name doing a devil-like interview, basically recapping the top angles. It's pretty clear they're going to push Mike Austin for the time being as a double champion. as a way to act like he won up Van Damme who had the TV and tag titles at the same time for a while. Well, it's clear he wrote this before he wrote the pay-per-view review. Yeah. Uh, uh, he said he did a 1.14 rating, 2.0 share on March 10th. Roller Jam did a 0. 
Show Pizza 1.26 for Gato and Jada versus Credible and Storm on a tag title change for Raven and Awesome. Being Tanaka and Dreamer did a 1.21. Okay. Why on earth did they not air the whole uh, Ghetto Jato Impact Players match? Don't know. And I think we noticed this when we did the ECW on TNN Patreon series, patreon.com slash between the sheets. It seems like the best quarter hours that show always did were with spotlights on, like your so called work rate guys. They had their Spike Dudley's match. <sighs> Spike Dudley was good, but it would be nice to have that whole match. Well, you got, you got to figure out what you're going to take out in a spot. Uh, you know, the Van Damme angles is, is telling the story. Yeah, I mean, you don't need Rhino and Spike. So, I don't know. All right, let's go to World Wrestling Federation now and to the torch. Stone Cold Steve Austin his net brace removed late last week and next race this week indicate recovery is not is going well. The bones and plates are in place and the healing is going as scheduled. Austin's not assuming anything for sure at this point, including whether he'll be able to return to wrestling full time this year, but hopes he can. He says time's, time off is good when you're burned out from being on the road, but he is now eager to return to the ring when healthy and be productive and make money. His neck is still tender and his rage of motion is still limited. He and Deborah spread their time now working on his new house and the property it sits on. A prognosis on when he can return to the ring is far off and he hasn't taken anything for granted at this point. And he's not bad till end of the year. So... Yeah, pretty much the entire year 2000 off for Austin, and uh, he needed it. Yes, comes back in November. As far as in-ring, you know, he does the appearance of Backlash, but... Yeah. And, you know, initially, like, he's working this, like, technical style again, and then after a few months, he turns heel and starts taking a suplex on the steel ramp every match on TV. And yes. Yes, he did. WrestleMania tickets to Southern California ticket brokers are going from 100 bucks for the nosebleed seats up to 1000 for the first four rows, and they have no trouble getting people to pay for those prices. Good for them. Now, for whatever this is worth, Kevin Kelly was on WNEW in New York on March 14th, and WrestleMania main event was going to end up being a three-way instead of Rock versus Triple H in a single. <laughs> I presume this is on Opie and Anthony. I would guess so, but... Isn't it something that Iraq and Triple H never had a WrestleMania singles match? <sighs> they had a lot of pay-per-view matches. A lot of never, never WrestleMania. Not never a singles match. They're both in the main event. Yeah, Here. about to a one-on-one singles match. Nope. They never have one. What that eats at, tri- at Triple H's crawl? Oh, you think that's part of his Dwayne complex? I think there's something that could be to that. Well, that's that's the last on his kill list from, like, somebody that he could have beaten, you know, on the grandest Asian mall. Yeah, well, Triple H can't wrestle no more anyway, so that's a... But, I mean, a segment where he could go, you know, go one-up on him, definitely, with, with, uh, would be in play, but... I don't think we'll ever see that happen. <laughs> Dwayne's too, too busy doing XFL business now. Remember when Triple H beat the entire NWO? That was sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dwayne's too busy with the uh, doing the XFL. Paul's too busy doing... Oh, hey, look over there. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, oh, the, the March 14, 2000, Opie and Anthony is uh, available on YouTube, at least in part. If he's on there. Yeah. Well, SmackDown was at the Fleet Center in Boston on March the 7th, which actually, as we're watching, uh, recording this, Raw is at the Fleet, is at the former Fleet Center or, whatever, or the New Garden in Boston on March 6th. I forget, is that a separate building from the Fleet Center? It's a new building now. Yeah. yeah. And, and last week drew, we had uh, Cow Palace and Cow Palace. Exactly. Dress uh, of 12951 paying $383,929 for heat on, uh, for March 12th. Chris Jericho beat Dean Malenko in a great match, and Drake Eddie got out of the top turnbuckles. He tried to interfere. Edge pinned the big boss man. Terry was out there. Too cool beat the headbangers. Grandmaster Sex A's pants fell down when he was dancing. Mosh and Grandmaster are playing catch with their cones. Matt Hardy beat Viscera with a lot of interference by Jeff. And that was Heat. SmackDown. Triple H opened by talking about three handicap matches on the show for Rock, Rikishi, and Kane. Mishri Ponce again tried to get the hardcore to have him crash hard, but Crash got away again. And there were Pete Gas pouring liquid detergent all over one of the other guys. <laughs> uh, Pete Gas. We'll have more on them in a little bit. Rock won a handicap match over Crispin Juan Perry Saturn. Malenko got out of red afterwards. Stephanie ordered Rock to wrestle another handicap match against the Dudleys in a table match. Mm. Rios kept the language of being Christian. Edge speared Lita near the finish. Uh, early uh, interaction with, with Edge and Lena. Said it'd be a great match. Of course, this is Dave. Uh, I'm mixing the Dave live report with the, the report of watching the show because uh, the TV review for the Torch basically just did a paragraph for SmackDown. That's it. So there you go. All right. So one thing that's missing from these reviews is uh, a promo by Kurt Angle that picks one to play. So let's go to the clip and let's see how this works out. You know, everyone knows what the Olympic gold medal represents and what the European belt represents, but not a lot of people know what the intercontinental belt means. Fortunately, I'll explain it to you. You see, inter means in between. And He's continental means of or pertaining to the continents. Therefore, intercontinental means in between all of the continents, which is quite fascinating. I was hoping they would come back from break and he was still talking to the dude, dude. but no, we didn't get that. That's what I was hoping for too, actually. <laughs> but still, Kurt Angle. I mean, this is you know when he, he's really coming into his own at this time as yeah. performer. Yeah, they never really explained though what made the Intercontinental title different from the World title. Like, does the World title also represent the oceans? Well, my favorite thing is is watching all this stuff from the mid '80s where. Savage got everybody calling it the Intercontinental Championship of the World. He's not wrong. I mean, Oakland says it a lot. I, Vince never said it, but uh, I think Lord after Lord Alfred Hayes said it a couple of times. I've heard the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship of the World. <laughs> That's that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, Taz beat Kurt Angle by DQ for the IC title when Taz had to choke on, but Bob Backlund ran in and put Taz in the chicken wing. You mean procured Jericho. the crossface chicken wing on Taz? That's right. Jericho made the same put the boss of crab on Backlund. Backlund suffered a bloody nose in his run in working with Taz and Jericho. Apparently, for something Jericho did, since he already had it when he put the chicken wing on Taz. 
You'll understand why Bob Backlund's here in a little bit. Road Dogg and x beat Kane in a handicap match at the Tory Interfere. Karen Maurer was doing a gimmick, which may or not air on television, insulting the audience for being fat while teaching them to exercise. Muffy. This is not her lone TV appearance, though. And they loved this gimmick, didn't they? So, Sonny and the Body Donnas, Karen Maurer. Simon Dean. Simon Dean. They loved this gimmick. I mean, if you really want to extend it in a way, blow away. In a way. It's not the same thing, but kind of. Wow, look at these fat asses in the crowd. God. We should tell them to get in shape. I go pro. I go pro. (laughs) George, it's Vince. He's still in prison. Steve Blackman pinned Jeff Hardy clean. Hardy also did an unreal high spot in the match where he jumped from the ring steps to the barricade, right across the barricade, when Blackman jumped on the barricade and back dropped him onto the floor. Dudley's beat The Rock when they gave him 3D through a table. Jacqueline got the women's title, pinning Ivory fast with DDT. It was hilarious when Michael Coleman the call that one of the women did a move to the other's Adam's apple. And Jerry Lawler really quietly said, I don't think she has an Adam's apple. And he corrected himself and said it was to the sternum. And then Lawler said, I don't think she has a sternum either. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, shocking. A WWF women's match from 1998 to 2000 ended in a DDT. What are the (laughs) other? Crash Island Prince. What? It's not not like it's the finish of every woman on the roster at this point. Yeah. Thanks. It's a, it's an easy move to teach and take, and pretty safe. So, you know, you got to choose your battles here in, in 99, Yes. So. Crash Holly and Prince Albert went to a no decision for the hardcore title. And Big Show and Triple H beat Rikishi a handicap match on top when Rock came out and helped Rikishi rub his ass at Triple H and Show's face after the match. Too cool and Rikishi danced. Overall impressions: the crowd wasn't into the show. Drew a five, 4.54 rating and 7.1 share, though. So there's that. Raw in the Continental Airlines Arena. Drew uh, on March 13th. Drew a sell of 15,003, paying 389,196. Same open with Shane and Stephanie saying they made a truce and brought out two midgets saying they were going to be the Ross opponents at WrestleMania. Made a bunch of short people jokes. They joked about making a tuxedo match. They said they don't make tuxedos small enough, so it should be an evening gown match. Rock came out on the show to a match for the title and agreed to retire if he lost, but made a stipulation any interference up in the show would result in Rock getting the title shot and not having to interfere. The rest of the show's filled with interviews from people predicting outcomes, similar to what WCW did to build the huge rating for Sid versus Tank a few weeks back. Actually, that idea is good when you got a big match, and it definitely pushed the idea that this was a big match. Another WWE trope here. The midgets as the, uh, the real wrestler spot. You know, so we can make fun of them. Yeah. <laughs> so fucking hilarious. Yeah, they're even shorter than Eddie. God. <laughs> Kevin, is, can we get in touch with Billy Barty? <laughs> He's dead, Vince. Oh. <laughs> Uh, the Hardys beat Al Snow and Steve Blackman, or Head Cheese, in 317. 
Blackman came off the top with a high kick on Jeff. Matt then was supposed to hit Blackman with a moonsault block, but missed it completely on the move. So Matt got up, not suddenly missed moving it, using inside cradle. This wasn't one of the Hardy's good matches. Ah, uh, good old head cheese. The Dudleys beat Mark Henry handicap Matt. Well, it ended without finish. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> the Dudleys had injured May Young earlier. Mark Henry's out for revenge. So, um, Let's go to that, shall we? <laughs> Let's watch what happens here. What website is there a sign for here? Honeybeemusic.com? Oh, no. Okay. That's definitely not a site or thing I would go to. <laughs> titles! Now that's a bizarre turn of events. And that's going to forget about Mark Henry. May in a wheelchair. Have, Dudley's pushing her up the ramp. I have no idea what... She must have One of the tag belts is in her lap. I mean, everybody's got the hunt for May all of a sudden. I don't know. Just for context, she's in the wheelchair from being powerbombed through a table in the ring by the Dudleys. Yeah, and um, he, Moolah was supposed to be guarding May, but they're starting the Moolah heel turn, apparently for a Moolah May match at Mania. Well, so there's that. So now Bubba's and Devon bringing her to the ramp. So here we go. Uh-oh, he's going to that place. Oh, what? what? <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. Like Edge. D-Bar was going to run me right off the... Or Apollo Crews. Or Zoe in OVW. Even the damn Douglas couldn't do that. They said, of course not. She's in a wheelchair, for God's sakes. Bless her heart. Wait a minute, that's just standing up. It's a miracle. They're barely able to stand. She's healed. Wait a minute. Watch for the Iggy. And yes, he's going to that place. I can't believe it! My God, get, get us over. I cannot believe. This is absolutely. How about May Young wearing leather pants? Space. You see that shit? Absolutely anything, Jr. Sick. Somebody's got to do something about this. Look. When is somebody going to step up and do something about this? I mean, look at this, King. Yeah, she is wearing leather pants. Hideous. Absolutely shocking. She's 80 years old. She just. She was hospitalized last week by the damn Dudleys. Mark Henry there. Panic. Obey is hurt. And I'm telling you, folks, this 80-year-old lady is hurt badly. Get her on the stretcher. For the for God's sakes, why? Tell me why. Ladies and gentlemen, the Dudleys has just stooped to a new low. 80-year-old May Young power bomb from the stage about 10 feet or more through watch a table this, watch this. to the concrete floor. Now, tell me, King, so Give me some reason. Give me some motivation. Why? I don't know, Jr. Other than these two idiots are completely sick. I've never seen anything like that. I mean, that's like 15 feet to the floor there. Well, they are terminally sick. Is our Bubba Ray Dudley <laughs> and his half brother Devon? This is not right. Oh, look, look, look. Oh, man, go! Oh, man, go! Mark Henry, obviously, uh, 
rightfully so beside himself. Um, <laughs> okay, Bubba did protect her, although it came a little too close to overshooting it. Uh, just every time I see any of these Bubba powerbomb spots from this era with any of the women, I always think about how, like, he always protected them, seemed to know what to do if he needed to just take the bump by putting his ass through the table and, like, landing diagonally, he would. And then he broke Dixie Carter's back. Well, the Stacy Cuba one was always a tough one. I mean, that looked like... I mean, that was looked, looked rough. <laughs> but she didn't get hurt, but man, that was a... Oof. Yeah, like, the other side of the spectrum is the one on Terry. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, they... I mean, those tables were... I mean, it, I don't even know if they were really tables. They were like the top of a table. You didn't know tables, because there's a crash pad up under it. Yeah, you could... Yeah, so, I never noticed until now that there is, like, from the way they break and collapse, there is clearly a crash pad in the underneath. Oh, absolutely. Table. I mean, which was... Hey! Good. Smart! You know? Which also... Well, so, A, that's why there's, you know, like, a tablecloth, but also... It really makes the uh, Timekeeper's Flotilla, as someone called it for Blood and Guts last year, look even stupider. Well, I mean, look look at what happened with uh, fucking Ty, Mello, and Anna Jay. I mean, both of them have been out of action from that, you know, the match they had where they were taking the crazy-ass t- shots. Especially Anna Jay. You mean Anna on the Willow spot? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you're going to do this... What they did here was the way to do it. And if you're an indie on an indie budget, you got to at least have two tables next to each other. Yeah, well, that's another thing. In- indies are uh, sadly they're probably not going to have crash pads. Yeah. So. yeah, that are about 16 doors, you know, got to hit that habitat for humanity restore and you know, <laughs> see what the deals are. You know, you get there on a Tuesday, get the 50% off deal. <laughs> yeah. But like, to, even to the point of the crash pad thing, uh, when I started training, like, we would always do a lot of bumps and moves just on the regular ring. And, you know, we've had a crash pad the whole time I've been at this school. And just, like, over the last two, three years, I've really stated, started pretty much doing anything that's of high impact. I bring that crash pad and I make sure that, that you know, everybody's perfecting on the crash pad. And then, you know, we bring it out from there so as to, like, not hurt anybody. You know, it's a great thing to have if you have it. Yes. Yeah. All right, so uh, this is what Dave said. So I picked up a wheelchair, power bomb through the stage with a table, protected her well, set up with a table, car, lots of cardboard underneath, so it wasn't that dangerous. It said they overshot, and Young's head missed the table and nearly hit the floor. Yeah, that was a thing, which would have really been a tragic result. Bubba was concerned about it to be worried at the bottom until she squeezed his wrist to indicate she was okay. Yes, and you can see the cameraman frantically trying to avoid uh, catching the Iggy on camera. The place erupted for the spot. Maybe someday someone can label the pop for to die for. There you go. Yeah, and then they just keep and this is the and Mayo. this is the day at this is the day after New Jack and Vic Grimes. Yeah, so they keep using May every so often until when was it like mid to late two thousands? Where the match where she pretty much almost collapsed. I mean, well, she good kind good of lord, did. she was almost ninety. Yeah. All right, uh, Angle won a three-way with Jericho and Taz in 310 when China gave Bob Backlund a low blow, and Angle hit Jericho with a title belt and got the pin. Taz choked out Backlund at one point earlier. 
Triple H Road Dog and X Pac be too cool when tri- Triple H pinned Rikishi clean after X Pac hit him with the ring bell on 459. Somebody's getting over a little too strong for some people, which will really become apparent with the SmackDown results. And that's for the SmackDown for the next week. Kane pinned Bossman 309 with a choke slam. By the way, last week when we were May Young was aging fast, it's because she facially is looking noticeably older in the past few weeks. But it's now part of the angle. Since two weeks ago, she was 76 and now she's 80. Moolah called her a bitch several times saying she was stealing Moolah's spotlight. <laughs> the idea of all this is to be that they have Moolah over his huge bay face by the first year because she's got a book coming out then. The only way to make a huge bay face out of her is to make her a strong heel first. Same way the only way McMahon could rehab his image after the Brett deal was to become a super heel. So when he made his turn, he'd become an instant super baby face, which he did. <laughs> let's let's watch the Moolah promo. Hey. How do you feel after watching your best what friend? What the hell do you mean, how do I feel? I'm- oh, it's a promo in WWE using the exact same template they use for every backstage promo after a big angle. <laughs> how do you feel? What do you mean, how do I feel? Can you explain your actions? Explain my actions. <laughs> I don't feel a damn thing. The b- got what she deserved. What? That's exactly right. Listen, no one ever heard of Mae Young until I brought her into this organization. I brought her in, she was nothing, and she's still nothing as far as I'm concerned. But when I brought her in here, what appreciation did she show me? She disgraced me and all the organization by showing her puppies, giving birth, and stealing my spotlight. (laughs) I'm a Hall of Famer. Do you understand that, Michael? Do you understand what I'm saying? And frankly, I want to tell you now, I don't give a damn if the bitch never, ever comes back. Well, I... (laughs) What about that? I'll be damned. What would make make Moolah say that? What would make Moolah act that way, King? Well, she and May have been friends for 50 years. Well, you heard her say she feels, I guess she feels like, it must be Josie. I guess she feels like May stole her spotlight. And it's for the World Wrestling Commission Light Heavyweight Champion. Oh, look, it's one half of the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions as of this (laughs) recording. <laughs> and he talked about Esarillos either. As uh, Dean Malenko won the line we title from Esarillos in 415 with a heel block. No heat, but technically this was the best wrestling on the show. Actually, most of the matches again had a little heat, but this was definitely silent. Lita went for her first hook on Ronald Thayer from the inning, but he caught her and powerbombed on the floor in a great spot. You notice, I mean, listen, I mentioned this last week and I mentioned it again, and this is stuff that people talk about today. Notice all the stuff about when the action's in the ring, there's a little heat for the matches. That is WWE TV audiences for most of the past three decades now. That's what they do. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, you have hot crowds at times, absolutely. But, I mean, it's not for the wrestling all the time. The crowds do it's get hotter for the matches as 2000 goes on, though. I know, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying, though. I mean, it's it's a thing that's always WWE centric. Well, I mean, goddamn, pal. I mean, it's not storytelling if they're not talking. <laughs> Acolytes pin Edge and Christian. When Edge speared Midian, who was an acolyte protege flun- flunky type role, and Brash out the stiff clothes on Edge for the pin in 305. Edge and Christian beat up Midian afterwards. So, yes, we're a year after Midian was the human sacrifice, and he's being a flunky for the Acolytes here a year later again. 
Originality, folks. Originality. Uh, they pushed China on third raw from the sun and rocks appearance on SNL. Well, that will come out of that. All right, next. In the shortest lived title reign in history, the Mean Street Posse finally got some heat on Crash Holly in the airport. Let's go to the clip. Hardcore title defense by Crash Holly in the Newark Airport King. I can't believe it. The Posse continuing to look for that hardcore title. They got Tim White. The baggage claim area. They gave him a red shirt. They got Tim White there to put his uh, official WWF referee shirt on. And the, and the attack was on. And the posse assaulting Crash Holly. There's Crash. He's the hardcore champion. And there's and there's Prince Albert. And there's there's the rest of the people that were on that flight. What do you think this is? Oh, look out. Oh, knocked off the ladder. And Prince Albert. Look at Tim Watts got a three count. And, and Pete Gass just pinned. He just pinned Crash Holly for the hardcore title. But the story hasn't ended. Keep an eye on Crash. Oh, from behind. <laughs> And look at the referee. Gets another three count, and Crash Holly wins his hardcore title about. He wins it back. Grabs his bag and gets the ladder newer. Wait, he went down the. What the heck? Big show, Shane. Tonight, you guys are pretty confident. (laughs) Some. Something you cannot do post uh, post nine oh, eleven. No. <laughs> okay, so do we think though? Do we think they did this with permits and working with the airport, or do we think this was some oh, fashion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah sure. Gorilla. Yeah. Okay. Yes, absolutely. I was going to be. I was going to bring that question up, Dom, about the today's term. But hey, I mean, again, different time and place. But God bless the Mean Street Posse. What a great gimmick that was, yeah, Tom. For for a couple guys that, you know, weren't trained wrestlers, you know, guys just had really natural charisma, you know, came in. And we got to love, like, that's something, like, you miss from kind of, like, the TV wrestling of today is you really don't have as much of this stuff, like, where, like, maybe you just have some guys that just have that natural charisma. You know, they kind of all come from the the PC. They're, they're so micromanaged that it's a little different than it used to be. I mean, good Lord, these guys weren't even wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were really shame at man's friends other than Jason Hart, you know? Yeah. But yeah, God bless the Mean Street Posse. Kicking ass like Rodney and Pete Gass. All right. Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn beat Val Venus and Tess at 425 when Benoit pinned Tess with a German suplex after Eddie got out of interfered. Rock pinned the big show in 915 when Shane booted out Earl Hebner and took over as biased referee. Show accidentally clotheslined Shane. Rock gave Big Show to people's elbow, and Hebner ran down to make the count, but Shane stopped him. And as that happened, a limo showed up. Let's go to the clip. JR, when Shane screwed the Rock, what the hell is this now? What else is going to happen here? What is this? As a babyface, he's Vince and not Mister. And then there's, uh, yeah, Shane's shot, Triple H, Stephanie, <laughs> keep running out there. The the boss is back. Vince McMahon is here. Look at this. Look at this. Oh, so everyone, remember the only reason that Stephanie and Triple H are in, are in charge. Is, well, initially it was that Vince and Shane both were dejected over her betrayal, and just left. And then Shane came back and joined up with them. So that's why they're in control. But it's not like Vince vacated his post because he would never do that. But 
And we're recording this on the first night that McMahon has been at Raw since everything happened. <laughs> yes. That's what I was going to say is like, in how Boston. much of the, how big is it? Yeah. Well, this was at Continental Airlines Arena, so it was oh, not yes. in Boston. Okay, but still. What weird parallels we have here. Yeah. And Dobbs Trainer is on the TV right now as we record this. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of his trainers. I'm sure the other one will be in action later. Yes. <laughs> Triple H gets his son-in-law. Does he just lay him out? <laughs> yes. Gets a right hand. Gets a stop. Triple H. What the hell is happening? Shane. What is happening? The Rock and the Big Show are both down. Here comes Vince. And there he is! Oh my god! This big man has returned! We're and gonna have JR! No pants in hell! A purpose! Oh, the look on Vince's face! You better try to calm him down, Shane! You better! Vince has hit his old kid! Jesus! The crowd pops so big it messed up Dom's mic. Business! Business putting on that, that reverie shirt! Coalition? I think so. Or did he? That's not their name, and I don't even think he might have called them the Coalition. Coalition, the Coalition. But they're not the McMahon Helmsley Coalition. Or were they called the Coalition? Oh, was that like one of the weird, like one week names where the McMahon Helmsley era has united with Shane and Big Show, so they're the Coalition? Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Is that what the faction is here? I love Vince just walking up at like at, as Triple H and Stephanie confront him in the hallway, and he just punches Triple H out, <laughs> and he just takes it like he's shot, and Vince just keeps on walking. And then does the same thing to Shane in the ring. <laughs> it's not real life. And then he hits his son in the head with a chair shot. 
At least Shane bumped on it. Could be worse. Yeah. Oh, oh. man. Yeah, that crowd was molten hot for Vince in the end of that match. Absolutely. And again, Vince, not Mr. That's right. Well, let's go to the torch. TSN in Canada added the May Young table bump off of Raw this week. And they work also muffled the crowd chanting asshole to begin the show. They actually cut to Slam Jam, a seven which heights upcoming Canadian events as soon as Bubba Roll May Young out. A minute or two before the actual powerbomb. Then they show the entire Edge Titantron video and the original vignettes <laughs> for Kurt Angle. The entire cutaway from a live action lasts about five minutes. Later in the show, they also cut the Fabulous Mulu's interview because of a sports recap on TSN. And you wonder why people in Canada would import direct TV dishes. Yeah, that's why. That's one Pretty reason. ridiculous. Yeah. CRTC, folks. Was that a CRTC thing, though, or was that more of a TSN thing? I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. They were probably afraid of the CRTC. Preemptive strikes, brother. Uh... All right, some notes from the Continental Airlines Arena before Raw started. They had dark matches where the Dup brothers doing the same picking their butts and picking their noses again because each W lost to Rodney and Pete Gas in a match nobody cared about. Scott Vick, who looked impressive, beat Joey Abs. <laughs> of course Scott Vick looked impressive. When did he not look impressive, Dom? I'm sure he did a bunch <laughs> of springboards. Yes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the guy you heard the most about. I mean, I mean, sick boy, Scott Vick was like a fucking, you know, cult icon in the internet for two, three years there. And then the reason Katie Vick was named Katie Vick was there was at one point briefly a plan where Scott Vick would come in as her brother. (laughs) That would have been something. They take so much from the Katie show. Karen Maurer also did a couple of segments. Overall reaction was a crowd popped huge for Dudley's putting May Young through the table. And of course, the return events, but was dead during Kane Bossman, Acolytes, Edge of Christian, Malenko, and Rios. When the cameras went off, they didn't do anything added big, but since the fans already live, guard got their big baby face pop finish and went home happy. Of course not. They're done for the night after that. All right, house show. March 8th in Indianapolis was a makeup show. Previous canceled date drew 16,874, fan 412, 460. At one point, they had a show scheduled on March 11th for Rochester, New York, but was moved back to the wrestlers get their three days off because of working the Wednesday date. Albany, New York, on March 12th through 11,422, paying 318,850. Merchandise for the week was 435,971, 7,075 cent ahead. Indy was headlined by the Rock and Kane over Show Triple H, while Albany was Rock and Kane over Triple H and Xbox. Strong house show numbers there. So they got it going on in that regard. All right, the Jim Helwig lawsuit against WF claiming breach of service marks and an authorized use of service marks and trademarks, in particular using the phrase always believe in merchandise, which Helwig had come up with, as well as defamation of character for going on television saying Helwig suspended for no showing dates, as well as WF's lawsuit against Helwig to keep Helwig from using the names Warrior, Ultimate Warrior, and any business endeavors in the future. We're both settled out of court on March 3rd in the middle of there's in a lawsuit with Helwig and Saplanyev. Terms of the summit were kept confidential. Not forever, though. Because no. one of the terms was non-disparagement, and after Warrior sued over the self-destruction DVD, that had to get introduced into evidence. Yeah. Um, okay, off the top of my head, there's the non-disparagement clause, which both sides end up violating. He gets the Ultimate Warrior trademarks. Um, 
he gets some amount of money, maybe. And I yeah. think that's the gist. I don't remember. I don't. I don't remember how much money he gets though. But ah, uh, the second lawsuit, or at least he said, I, there may have been like one local and one federal, but basically this is the second lawsuit. And then we come back in a few years because of that DVD. Mm-hmm. Lord. Billy Gunn after shoulder surgery was given word that it would be about six months before he could return to action. Yeah, that's fine. He won't be the same again for about 22 years, but... Yeah. <laughs> it is amazing that Billy Gunn is still going strong in 2023. I mean, not wrestling, but still looking enormous. But you know what? When, he's, when he is wrestling... I think he looks the sharpest in the ring that he has in his whole career these days. I guess. But, yeah, still going. I mean, he's no Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Nobody's <is>. Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> you mean AIW superstar Jeff Jarrett? <laughs> AIW superstar Jeff Jarrett, King of the Mountain. What more can I say? All-time yeah. greatest worker. That's right. Wait, how are we using worker there? <laughs> <laughs> That's the word, David. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Jarrett is the ultimate worker. All right, Torch, X-Pac and Kane's explosion match has been vetoed because Vince McMahon didn't let the special effects in the trial run. Some WF were against the concept anyway. Kane Rikishi versus X-Pac and Road Dogs the backup plan. Do we think Coach Tony K was reading the Torch that week? <laughs> but this was a thing I remember at the time being a big deal, that people were wanting that X-Pac Kane explosion match and didn't get it. It kind of <laughs> killed the angle. I mean, is this is that why Court pitched it in 2006, supposedly? I guess so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Court says a lot of things. I know. That's I. I figured. I figured I would stoke the coals on that one. <laughs> yeah. Brian Lawler, someone in the doghouse with all the wrestlers who don't like his attitude backstage. Aside from the fact this is consistently seeming across the board, one would think it's the same deal. The guys who are getting over huge have been prelim guys being viewed by the headliners in a negative way. However, there's no heat whatsoever for Scott Taylor. It's that match just some guys do whatever they can to make Taylor look good, then work poorly with Lawler, and guys that complain to the agents that he, when it's almost designed that way, can't work a good match. <sighs> Brian Lawler's worst enemy was Brian Lawler. A lot of times. In the locker room. Yeah. And, you know, you go, I mean, the guy was handed everything for his whole career. And then you get into WF, where you're now a small fish in a big pond. Being from that way, and you know, it's kind of different. And he had that attitude anyway, so you add that on top of it, and it just wasn't a good mix for him. So yeah, and and yeah, you know, too cool's hot at this time. Although they're starting to cool them off, though. No pun intended. Starting T O O cool them off. <laughs> A report we received on WF signings in San Antonio. It said that Lance Cade has a ton of potential. It could be big WF star someday. He's tall and reminiscent of a young Kevin Von Erich or Barry Windham. Shooter Schultz said to be okay, but needs more charisma. Spanky has said to be funny with great facial expressions, but is really small. Notice whose name was not on the list. No. <laughs> that mask for the mask Japanese guy. tapes, yeah. He's just a mask guy. He wouldn't do nothing. No, no. Uh, the Village Voice on March 14th had a brief item about Bob Backlund and his run for the U.S. House of Representatives. That's why he's on TV, folks. 
According to his January filing with the Federal Election Commission, Backlund had only raised 38874 for his campaign, more than 90% of the income coming from un- unanimized donations, T-shirts, and photos. Backlund says September had spent $10,000 just to make the T-shirts. The paper known to campaign violation, Backlund making mostly cash transactions, never handing out receipts, only asked for names when it means for personalizing photos. According to law, anonymous contributions are limited to 50 bucks, and the voice stated, Jotbeat recommends you take a look at campaign guide for congressional candidates and committees available from the FEC's website before the feds smack him down. They also did a backless business card state, I will increase my ability to read. Okay. <laughs> how, many, how many truly successful wrestlers that ran for office are there outside of, like, really Jesse? In this country? Yeah. None. I've mainly just some like on a really local level. Yeah, like Lance yeah. Bravado, right? Yeah, because Japan, of course, you have all the all the guys over there. But we don't yeah. count that. American American uh politicians outside of uh, you know, Matt Morgan and Jesse Ventura not uh, didn't do too well. No. Mm. No, not at all. Yeah. So yeah, that's why Backlund's on TV mainly. It's because of this. L. Brent Bozell wrote a column in the March 10th New York Post regarding the CBS Viacom merger, and claimed it would unite two giants of cultural sleaze: Howard Stern and the World Wrestling Federation. He also brought the murder case of South Florida, quoting the attorney for the family of the six-year-old girl that was murdered, saying the brain damage was consistent with the effects of a Stone Cold stunner. <laughs> question mark pointing out the 12-year-old boy whose own lawyers headed by Jim Lewis are also blaming Provost for his behavior was a big wrestling fan. The attorney for the family of the six-year-old, Tiffany Unix, said it's probably the family probably the family will sue WWF. The defendant's lawyers is also blaming Provost for the murder claim. He was influenced by the TV Sultry commercial where Sting comes in the living room and throws the kid around. Speaking of, Dwayne Johnson's testimony scheduled for this past week was postponed. Jim Lewis, the attorney for the defendant, Lionel Tate, in the murder case, who had subpoenaed Johnson, agreed to the delay pending a ruling by the judge in the case as WF attorneys were trying to get his subpoena dismissed on the grounds it would be, have no bearing on the trial. There's also an article in the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel saying less than one month after the killing, Tate told psychologists that he knew pro wrestling was fake. Dr. Michael Brannon, the psychologist ordered by the court, it should be known that Brannon was a former pro wrestler, years back under the name of Dr. Red Roberts for the Florida based global wrestling promotion wrote in his report that Tate understood pro wrestling wasn't real. Tate said he knew people would get hurt if they jumped off the top rope on somebody and explained that some of the tricks wrestlers do, but he did think wrestlers sometimes got mad at each other in the ring, but that most of it wasn't real. Tate also seen a TV show that revealed the secrets of how wrestlers did their moves, most likely the NBC's Secrets of Pro Wrestling special. Tate's attorney said the report doesn't change his defense, claiming that realizing pro wrestling isn't real doesn't mean a child isn't going to be influenced to imitate the moves. Another psychologist, Joel Klass, described Tate's explanation of what he did was roughhousing, similar to throwing someone to the ring ropes like doing wrestling. He said he was swinging her very hard, and the grip was released, and she struck an iron pole. Eunuch died from a sustained brutal beating, suffering from more than 30 internal and external contusions, abrasions, fractures, and scratches, including a blow so severe it detached part of her liver. WF released a written statement regarding the case and the trial of the World Wrestling Federation for the acts of this delinquent is a pathetic excuse of being offered by a defense attorney without a defense. And they're right. Yeah, they're they're all right here. Yeah. Um 
you know, it just because I'm not going to have as good a memory of the facts as I did here. I'm just going to read from the Fighting Spirit article I did years ago about the PTC lawsuit and the part about Lionel Tate and Tiffany Eunuch. Um, so let me just try to date when this is. This is probably like early, mid-2000. At the Conservative Leadership Conference, Bozell claimed that, quote, apologists for SmackDown's nauseating violence will continue to snicker. Come now, the audience, the children know. It's only make-believe. Before going into his usual tell-that-to-the-parents spiel, where he invoked the wrestling death cases involving children. Yes, tell Tiffany Eunuch's parents her, her death was make-believe, too, he said in closing. When I tell you that so-called entertainment television has become dangerous and destructive for the family, I'm not exaggerating, am I? A few months later, in his March 9, 2000 newspaper column, he claimed that, quote, Eunuch's family is pointing the finger of blame directly at the WWF, which wasn't completely unfair since Eunuch family attorney Glenn Roderman did claim that, quote, the WWF has definitely played a role in this case. Anyone that's known this case uh, who knows the boy knows that he was heavily influenced by wrestling. Um, he went further. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but then there's a quote uh, in a PTC email where he says, Soon we may have Mel Karmazin to thank for saturating the nation's airwaves with a program that has, in it, that in least one instance, has provided training in homicide for a pre-adolescent boy. Then we get to my summary of what Tate actually said to the police. The only time Tate even came close to mentioning pro wrestling, however, was in his first police interview, when he characterized the way he grabbed Eunuch as a quote-unquote bear hug, a term that is not limited to pro wrestling. He never claimed no. that he was practicing wrestling moves, instead saying that, after a game of tag, there was an accident where he picked her up, somehow lost control of her, and her head hit a table. In a second interview a few days later, he added that she hit the leg when they resumed playing tag and she ran into the bar banister, not barrister, of the house's staircase. The judge saw through the discrepancies and rejected the quote-unquote wrestling defense. A jury found the 13-year-old Tate guilty of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life without parole, making him the youngest criminal ever to achieve such a punishment. In a 2011 TV interview, Tate, while apologetic, was unable to explain the severity of Eunuch's injuries and maintained that the death was an accident that happened when he got to quote-unquote rough while quote-unquote playing. And then in the narration, the reporter to the interview adds that he told her he was quote-unquote mimicking wrestling moves. So yeah, it's like, there was nothing here to tie this to wrestling. No. But they were trying their best to, and boy, you really want to feel old. Lionel Tate is 36 years old now. Also, let's be realistic. Maybe he had some developmental issues. I don't know. It doesn't seem like the lawyer or anyone argued that he did. You're 12. You know better than to do that if you're 12. Yeah. It's just, I mean, Dom, it's it's just... People like Brent Bozell trying to find the way to blame. And see, they're going after it, – it's WWF they're going after. You, you, know, you notice they're not doing WCW. Well, yeah, because you know it's one of those things where like the the name that everybody remembers is the WWF. You know, WCW is considered secondary minor league, et cetera. You know, everybody – it's, it's, it's not just that. There's the content that WWF is putting out. Well, there. It's got pissed off. Well, and also, though, PTC is still doing the thing where, because of the FCC, they're only complaining about shows on broadcast television. And that's it. And, and, and it's WF's content. That's what that's what Bozell's pissed off more than anything else. Yep. Yeah, and, you know, that's not why. I mean, the WWF, they, they poke the bear constantly, too. Oh, yeah. So, 
I mean, it's what it is. I mean, we look at it, and I always tell a lot of people this. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, man, you know, it was so much better than the Attitude Era. And I said, you know, I said maybe from an engagement standpoint it is, but a lot of those shows just – they are slogs to get through. Well, that's the thing, though. I mean, that's the thing, though. Um, again, I reiterate so much in this show. Wrestling's biggest boom peers is when the wrestling's the worst. I would agree with that. I mean, that's just a fact because you're going to hook more fans, the casual fans, with all the bells and whistles. They yep. don't care about the wrestling. Nope, that's that's very, you know. I mean, that's where we're at. Eh, no, I agree with that. So, I mean, that's why they say, oh, I wish it would go back the way it used to be. That's what they mean is all the shit that used to go on in this era. You know, where you... I mean, look, look at Raw. Look at all the match times we gave on Raw. Three minutes, two minutes, three minutes, two minutes, five minutes. You know? But they're doing big ratings, so especially we get to later on the show when we talk about what the rating Raw did for our weight. So, yeah. It just, it's just the way it is. Yep. Alright. Let's pivot to Beyond the Mat, which kind of ties into up in a way. Torch. Ron Howard gave his opinion on the WF Beyond the Mat controversy on the March 8th episode of Access Hollywood, NBC's Entertainment Com Gossip Show. Howard was asked how he felt about Vince McMahon using his influence to keep UPN from airing any ads for Beyond the Mat. Howard replied that when Vince tried to unsuccessfully own part of the movie, the movie rights, he said he would not promote it at all, even though he appears in the movie himself. They have said that they are not doing anything out of the ordinary, but just following their long-standing policy to not promote wrestling products that are not owned by them. Access Hollywood then showed clips of the wrestlers and said popular WF figures such as The Rock and Steve Austin appear in the film. Let's continue. Barry Blaustein, producer Beyond the Mat, talked about the controversy on Sports Radio 610 WIP in Philadelphia on March the 8th on the morning show. So that means host Angelo Cataldi, who just recently retired, one of my favorites, uh, who's been very nice to him and didn't put down the wrestling at all. They talked about draws. He apparently been a guest on Angela's TV show a few times and about Vince blocking promotion in the film. Blaustein said it was because Vince tried to invest in the film at first and then tried to buy it after it was completed. But since it was a documentary, they had to keep it independent. So basically, he said Vince said he could control it. Then they thought about Blaustein co writing the Nutty Professor remake for a while. So Vince wanted control. I mean, that's just the way it is. He wanted to market it as a WF thing. Now, we have more on this. Richard Wilner in the March 12th New York Post of the column on Beyond the Mat, critical of the movie, claiming it pulled his punches. Wilner was critical of the movie for not delving into issues like steroid abuse of the wrestlers or profanity-laced shows being aimed at children. Wilner was critical that subjects of steroids, profanity, risky stunts, and ethnic baiting were never even raised in the movie. Fair criticism as far as all but risky stunts, an issue that was raised strongly in the film. It's also impossible to do a movie on wrestling and raise every important issue without it being piled down in so many issues that don't make a point. And Blaustein chose to make his risky stunt point through the dichotomy of such an otherwise brilliant man being the one who took the stunts to new levels. Wilner wrote that Lionsgate would like you to believe the movie has gotten in a day of skin. Same producer Barry Blaustein has gotten a lot of media coverage based on that assumption. Wilner noted that Lionsgate production offered to eliminate all shots of Vincent Man in the commercials. And in fact, the scene in the original commercials of a man has been taken out of the recent commercials. In exchange for the WF backing down this ad ban. But WF still went back down. Wilner said because fans and wrestling executives said it was a fair portrayal of wrestling, 
that translated means it shows some nitty gritty, but it is still positive in its portrayal. Basically, using the fact that two reporters from Wow Magazine said it doesn't do WF any harm, which in the long run it doesn't at all. And just by WF's ban, saying WF simply doesn't want anyone making money off WF properties like Mankind, China, and The Rock, with a comment from Brad Perkins at the magazine saying, Why should he help? He's not making money, any money off the movie. Of course, that misses the point. Nobody ever suggested that man should help with the promotion of the movie, and that's never been the issue. The fact he's made an effort to keep it from being successful is a different issue. Although he did end up on Foley to promote it if he wanted to on Larry King. Winner claimed the Blaustein rebuffed Mitman's attempts to buy into the movie because he was concerned about it ruining the chance of his winning an Oscar if one of the subjects in his movie had financial interest in it. Jim Byrne and WF claimed Blaustein asked WF to use the WF restaurant in Times Square for a premiere party and wanted WF wrestlers to hype the film. He also claimed WF screened the movie and found it boring and said it wasn't fun and claimed the movie would disappear on its own. <laughs> this is just Vince being mad he made a deal to give Blaustein all this access when he was still a losing company. That's all it is. It's just like Wrestling with Shadows. Yeah, but Wrestling with Shadows, though, had the Brett stuff, and, the, and that was a hot topic issue for Vince. Yes. But... I don't know. Dom, what did you think of Beyond the Mat when you first saw oh. it? Oh, I, I loved it. Um, as a kid, it was like a really good little expose in wrestling. I remember I got it for Christmas in like 2001, I think my mom got it for me on VHS. So, so the version my, with the bonus, like 40 minutes of extra scenes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, my mom will always tell anybody that asks the reason why my pro wrestler is definitely her. She would always be the one that bought me all these tapes. So... I loved it. And, you know, it's something that Thorne and I talk about today. And every once in a while, we really try to throw it out there to students to watch this movie. Um, just because there's so much about it that teaches you about wrestling. Um, and I really do think it's a pretty non-biased portrayal of the WWE. Like they're saying, like they really don't shit on the WWE at all in it. They're really positive towards it for the most part. And yeah, I- if I was Vince, I would have probably been like, yeah, heck yeah, let's promote this. It, you know, this is probably what we need right now. Yeah, like, yeah. Literally, literally the only negative thing is the Foley's at ringside during the rock match. Yeah, I agree with that. But there's nothing else to really be concerned about. I mean, it's also it's also just the being provincial about other people making money off of pro wrestling and particularly WWE stuff. Yeah, pretty much. You know, like, some of that has some vaguely practical concerns, like with Mania Weekend and when they try to get the host city to block indies from using public buildings. Like, one of the reasons they do that is they are deathly afraid that some indie wrestler will break his neck and it'll get all reported everywhere as wrestler maimed during WrestleMania Weekend or whatever. Yeah, well, that's fair. But otherwise, like, it's just ridiculous. It's a, it's the same shit as always. It's like, oh, Crockett's doing pay-per-view now? Fuck him. <laughs> it's just always the same stuff. Yeah. I saw Beyond the Man in the theaters. <laughs> that was an experience. I did not see it in the theater. I think I got a bootleg of the screener. Especially the, uh, you know, the scenes with Foley and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Of course, I know everyone at AIW. Wait a minute, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You got a bootleg of the screener. How 
So you would have been what? 14? I mean, it was on it was on a tape trading board, I think. <laughs> what? Look at the screener. <laughs> always, always trying to get the media perks, even at fourteen years old. <laughs> Screeners or uh, advanced copies of books. Comps. <laughs> Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we all know, the people who should be credentialed at wrestling shows are marketing uh, people for online physical therapy companies. <laughs> all right, it's finally time now. Ultimate Fighting Championships. The March 10th UFC pay-per-view show was on paper a one-match show, and the one match didn't take place. The long-awaited heavyweight title shot for undefeated Pedro Hizo wound up with a legitimate backstage accident and a very strange handling of that accident, causing the show, which had been very excited up to that point, to end on a somber note. Heavyweight champion Kevin Randleman, sometime after the pay-per-view itself started, was backstage warming up, and as he went through a curtain, he stepped on a pipe, somehow lost his balance, described as someone slipping on a banana peel, and cracked his head on the floor and also hurt his shoulder somewhat. He had to be taken from the Lake Charles, Louisiana Civic Center to the hospital, and according to Dr. Richard Estrico on the broadcast, suffered a concussion, threw up in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, and there was no way they were going to let him fight that evening. After the accident, Randleman at first wanted to fight. The decision was made to send him to the hospital, and if he could pass a CAT scan, he'd be able to fight. But since he threw up in the ambulance, it was a telltale sign he suffered a concussion. He was handled very clumsily on the air and to the fans. During the show, they had an early interview with Hizzo, but as the show went on, it really didn't hide the main event like they had in the past shows. The show appeared to be running late, as it was already nearly 11.30 p.m. after the schedule semifinal match of a live show. A heavyweight match between no names, Ted Williams, T.E. 2Ds, and Steve Judson. At that point, they went backstage and had interviewer James Wormy, and Strico announced there would be no main event due to the injury to Randleman, a position neither looked comfortable in being in. Jeff Blackman then talked about hearing rumors but not wanting to say anything on the air. He was saying that's why at certain points of the broadcast he was distracted and going on a long speech about the fighter's safety being the primary concern and said so he had kept it from play-by-play announcer Mike Goldberg throughout the show. Goldberg then said he hadn't even heard about it until five minutes earlier. So this left the show promoted as a one-match show with the rest of the car being filled with fighters with no national name, some of whom looked very impressive in the cage, but none displayed that superstar future drawing card charisma either, working for $1,000 each. If there was a saving grace, it was the match was very exciting. In particular, a war with Bob Cook, not the wrestler, versus Tiki Gosen, built up on TV as part of the ongoing storyline drama between Frank Shamrock, Bob Cook's coach, and Tito Ortiz, Tiki's coach who were knowledge as being friends now and have even recently been training partners. When Randall went down while there were fighters at the show who they probably could have gotten in the last minute to take a fight with his own, being in the commission state, it would have been impossible to license and check them out on such short notice. It was talking about Scott Adams, an unknown heavyweight, who looked impressive in the preliminary fight. The command match was out of scratch into the main event, but that didn't materialize either because USC doesn't want to put fighters in two fights in the same night. The plans are once everything's worked out, to put the two together in the match in either June or July. Oh, no wonder Scott Adams said all those racist things a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Not that Scott Adams thing. <laughs> this certainly was another major blow for an organization that's been on the roads for some time. But this was clearly not the way to end the show, probably purchased by largely only its most hardcore fan base. Because from a name value standpoint, 
it was the weakest card to date. In, in the building, the card, the crowd, said not be a sell a pretty bad house, booed the lack of a minute pretty hard. But USC officials were said to be relieved that there was no riot and only small refund chance. There was no indication that press time was any significant call for refunds at the satellite dish level. Virtually no pay-per-view companies cared to show for all the political reasons gone into death. And with the situation of late with pro wrestling reviews such as WS premeditated false advertising of Steve Austin and Survivor Series in November, and WCW still advertising Bret Hart on television in January with no knowledge the advertising main event wouldn't take place. Of the three situations, clearly the USC handled it poorly live, and WCW at least redid his pregame show to give information, so WS handling the situation was by far the most deceptive. All right, let's talk about this fucking shit. Yes, not just a great moment in MMA history, but also a great moment in, because it's random, in Ohio martial arts history. I bought this show show with my buddies. Oh, no. We were huge Kevin Randleman fans. He was, like, the guy for us, man. We went, I mean, our heavyweights, I mean, we went from Maury Smith to now Kevin Randleman as being, like, the guy. And he's the heavyweight champion. Our guys were Kevin and Tito. That's that's the guys that we love the most. You love the guys with the short crop of dyed blonde hair, basically. And just because they were just their charisma and being the badasses. I mean, they they appealed to 20, 21 year old guys. You know, that was who they appealed to. They kicked ass and they talked shit and backed it up. So and Randleman being the just complete athletic freak he was. I mean, this guy, uh, I mean, just he's he's doing the the jumps in the air and shit. You know, I mean, he just looks like a complete animal. And he's fighting Pedro Hizo. We know that Hizo is a hell of a fucking fighter. We know that this is going to be a hell of a fight. You know, that, that hadn't had a good heavyweight fight like this in a while. A minute. Randleman beat Boz Rutten, who was another one of our favorites. So I mean, well, you got all this going, kind of. Well, still, it don't matter. He, he lost the fight officially. No, he lost the fight officially. Well, it doesn't matter. He won. Uh, <laughs> he won in my eyes. But uh, Randleman, I mean, he just got this aura about him and everything. So, and, and like Dave said, this show is a one-match show. So we're buying it just for this one fight. We love UFC anyway, but this is the fight. This is built around this one fight. So they get on fucking TV and talk about what happens backstage. And okay, it was like, what the fuck? You know, is is that really what's going on here? And there's all this confusion going around. But then they do give you that, like that false hope that maybe Randleman is going to come back to the building, you know? And then a streako gets on there and starts talking about the vomiting in the ambulance. and, And we're like, oh shit. And then when they finally, announced that they're counseling the fight. That was the closest that I've ever been in a situation where like we see today where people do that fake shit where they break the TVs and shit, throw remote <laughs> controls. All that shit's premeditated shit. Ooh. That that night was as close as I've ever been to a situation where that happened. Where my buddy, I was at his house, had his remote control in his hand and was ready to chunk it. But thought better of it. But, I mean, it was just like we thought that we wasted some big money for that time because USC previews back then cost a good chunk, even back then. That we wasted. Yeah, back then it cost a good chunk. You know, now, good God. 
But, I, want, uh, I wonder what the inflation calculator would look like on that, because I'm uh, I'm pretty sure it would still be cheaper than it is now somehow. I mean, it was twenty nine ninety five at the time, right? Of course it would be. Yeah, it okay. would be cheaper. Than, uh, no, no, I think it was thirty nine ninety five in two thousand. Okay, if it was twenty nine ninety five, that would be fifty two thirty four now. Because UFC was always higher for some reason than just about everything else, other than boxing. It was higher than wrestling. Okay, if it was thirty nine ninety five, boxing was the highest. It was thirty nine ninety five. That would be sixty one sixty nine eighty one now. So it'd still be about ten dollars less than UFC. Boxing was always uh, about twenty dollars less now. That pay per view Saturday, the Jones and Gone fight was eighty five. It's eighty five dollars after tax. Uh, yeah. Oh, so it's but the sticker price is is eighty, right? Seventy nine ninety nine. Yep. Plus, you have to have the ESPN Plus subscription, which is ten. Uh, they try to build that in somehow. I mean, I have an ESPN Plus subscription. Was that like thirty for thirty? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got one too. But um, yeah, I mean, so you get burned on that, and it's like, oh my god, you know? I mean, and <sighs> the fact that they had no you know, fucking, they just had no clue on how to end it. They just end the show, basically. You know, they had they showed these fights, end the show. It's just like, did that just fucking happen? I mean, really, did that just fucking happen? <laughs> that this is this is the way we're going off like this, you know? I mean, and I get it. UFC's not wrestling. And it's like, you know, you can't just have a, somebody just step in there of equal name or whatever and sh- and just show up and get involved or shit. I understand. And Dave's right. I mean, it's a commission state. So there's a whole rigmarole that was going on with that. So, but yeah, this felt like one of the biggest frauds ever, but it wasn't USC's fault in that way, because I mean, how could you control that freak accident? But it just, it, it just came off so poorly that I mean, it, we were all pissed off that night, and I mean, it's just something that never had seen before. The closest we had ever been, anything like that, was Holyfield Tyson too. But that was such a buzzworthy thing, man. That it's like I can't believe that just fucking happened. You know that did he really just bite that fucker's ear. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's the, I mean, that's a different situation. But that's a fight that ended early like that, and it's just like, what the fuck, you know? And I'll tell you this: um, we we didn't order Ultimate Japan. Um, main reason why that happened is because uh, I bought the Pride Show. Now we did go back and order uh, Field of Dreams, which of course was Kevin Random and Pedro Hizzo <laughs> in June. Which Kevin ran the one by decision, but um, you mean Ultimate Japan two or three or whatever it was called? Well, the Ultimate Japan three, but then the next one at that's Field of Dreams, yeah, which had uh, which had Randleman and Hizzo on there, and then uh, Pat Militish tapping out John Alessio and Matt Hughes, Doctor Stopping Marcelo Aguiar and that shit, but uh, and Adrian Serrano lost to Shoney Connor in a freelance match on that. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Mantle was babysitter Adrian Toronto. Yes. But, uh, I mean, it's just, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I've never seen anything like that before in pay-per-view. You know, I've had Boston reviews that ended at the first round. 
I mean, that's a different story with a first round knockout. I mean, so yeah, I mean, I bought the perfect case. Roy Jones Jr. Montel Griffin, 97, the second fight on pay-per-view. I spent 50 bucks, 1997, 50 bucks. Fight was over in the first round. Roy got the shit out of him. But you get that, that high, like, oh shit, you know, he just knocked him out in the first round. So it's kind of different. But um, yeah, it's fucking crazy. Dom, Kevin Randleman is a, an Ohio uh, legend in MMA, and uh, this is one of the more infamous moments in his history right here. Yeah, Randleman is a guy that me and the late Chandler Biggins used to always have a lot of conversations about our road trips, and it's a guy that Biggins like had really wanted to possibly book had you know Randleman lived a little bit longer. Um, and I, I like I said, it was definitely a guy that we had talked about, and like Biggins like didn't have a big MMA scope, but as you said. Randleman was so infectious to people because of the just the aura. Um, and yeah, this is like one of the wildest stories in MMA. And we almost actually had a like and you kind of start to see some repeats of this now, which never this close, like especially in injury related. Sometimes you'll see guys come to like the fight night and they're sick and the doctors won't clear them. But you never see like, oh, hey, guy was ready. He was warming up he slips on on this pipe and drape backstage and gives himself a nasty concussion you just don't see that happen like you said I mean, he had a he had a shot master moment pretty much yeah one. i mean I... And like saturday uh cody garbrandt fought and he won and there was in this post fight presser he talked about how he got a stinger warming up for the fight and i was just like what are you doing pre fight to give yourself a stinger <laughs> I mean, it's not a freak accident like this. Like this is like you said, a shockmaster moment. Like he just slips on a on a pipe, and oh my gosh, guy cracks his head. And it's you got to think about how I don't know where this must have been because Randleman has like these insane reflexes that like for him to not be able to stop himself is insane. Uh, so one version I heard years later was that he not that he slipped on a pipe, it was that. He's hyping himself up, and he runs through a curtain, not realizing the curtain is hiding that there is some kind of low-hanging pipe, and runs into the pipe. I don't know if that's true or this is true that we had here at the time, but that maybe would explain it a little better? I don't know. But, yeah, it's freaky. I mean, I guess, you know, even with illnesses, I guess the most, like, yeah, the most recent, a few weeks ago, like, close call was the Nikita Krilov fight that got canceled mid-card. That was the main event. That fight is actually happening uh, as we record this coming Saturday. I didn't even know that they re- rebooked it. Okay. Well, that's good. But, but let's talk about Randleman one more time. Randleman <laughs> was right. Randleman has always been right. He he knew about a certain long-haired WWE superstar who's on a current suspension, and he called it years ago. <laughs> <laughs> he sure did, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. What was it that uh, a certain long-haired uh, star who may or may not be roommates with someone you've wrestled? Um, <laughs> what was it that he? Oh, it was something he owed about like money for training or something. It was something along those lines, and then he like he had said something to like Randleman's wife. Then, um, yeah, I don't. Oh, wait, you're saying Matt Riddle might have said something offensive to a woman? I'm shocked. Well, I always remember that there was like, he must have done your other, I'm I'm hitting all your favorites right now. I'm pretty sure he did uh, an MMA hour. Um, <laughs> this 
this is the this is the big uh, love hour here. I appreciated the MMA hour, and Riddleman was like, "I wake up every morning at 170, and then uh, he who shall not be named said, "Well, what do you weigh right now, Kevin?" He goes, "220." <laughs> yes, and he's like, I, I don't think that one is. Uh, I don't think you're quite on weight, bud. Wait, wasn't I feel like the previous time you told that story, it was that he got a call about trying to take a fight somewhere at 170. No, it was it was because he was gonna fight. Uh, he wanted to fight Riddle. Okay. Wake up but, at 170. How much are you right now? One ninety yeah. or two twenty. The, the thing that you can't sleep on here that is the most important part of this whole story, and that this is what really pissed us off the most. They knew about this shit at near the beginning of the show and did not bring it up until the after the semifinal match. Of course they didn't. Okay, so here's a question I have about that. With what Blatnick openly talks about he knew it was going on. That's why he was distracted during the show. Well, no, he said he heard rumors. You're still? And he never told Mike Goldberg. And Mike Goldberg said it wasn't until five minutes before the announcement that he didn't hear anything. Not until That's five minutes before the announcement did we hear anything, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, that's what's fucking insane about this. They, It's like, you, we know this is a situation, but we're not going to say anything because maybe he'll come back. And then you you know he's not coming back, and then all of a sudden you pop that on us as the as the customers. Now, is Blatnick the commissioner yet? No, he's okay. just the color guy. When does that happen? I don't remember. It's at some point within the next year or so, because it's before Zufa. I don't remember. But it's just fucking insane. Yep. <laughs> Good old UFC, pre-Dana White even. Yeah. I mean... <sighs> now, let me ask you this, Chris. So you, you, you had to say the or this. Were you able to get like a refund on this after it was no. done? Wow, that's that's crazy. Then, in my opinion, that I find that to be crazy. Did you try? My buddy tried. Yeah, that he is tried. a crazy, crazy thing. Then it's I can say what's crazy too is, uh, I mean, just uh, UFC did not need this. That's the thing; they did not need this happening at this point in time. Because they're already on the ropes in, in public relations, and then you, this happens, you know. I mean, it's just like, <sighs> but we we were such fans that we kept again, we kept you know buying. Although we missed the the ultimate track because we bought pride, but uh, yeah. All right, at the show it was announced next pay per view would be April twenty first. Never announced it would be a Japanese show. They really don't take delay. From the uh, April 14th card at Tokyo Yogi Gym. The previous two Japanese reviews are generally considered two of the weakest shows in company history. That also played a role in it. Although Tito was fighting on this one, fighting Vanderlei Silva, in fact. You know, nature how news travels these days, and USC only appealing to a hardcore base, doing the show on a week delay doesn't seem to make sense, which that was another reason, too. The show's going to be headlined by Tito Ortiz versus Vanderlei Silva for the vacant middleweight title, which has little marquee value in the United States and even less in Japan. <laughs> But on paper, this would be a hell of a match. Eugene Jackson would also face a Japanese fighter, and several Japanese, but no major Japanese, will face Americans on the show. Since Random has suffered a concussion, it'd be on nobody's best interest to put him back on the Outlook for at least 90 days after an in ring concussion at UFC mandates. 
It's been rumored Pat Militich will also vacate the lightweight title of the show. But his interview, we thought the retiring came up. He looked, seems looking at retiring later in the year. With all the fighting again and brought up Cook as a possible opponent. Pat Militich retiring in 2000. <laughs> With no recognition, there was no real crowd possibly in the fighters. The only people the crowd reacted to as celebrities were Frank Shamrock and Tito Ortiz, who six months earlier in the same building, probably before the large of the same fan base, had their now classic match. All right, let's go over the card. Shoney Carter. Won a unanimous decision over Brad Gum at the two five-minute rounds. Carter threw some nice judo hip tosses. At one point, Carter threw the old Akira Maeda catch suplex, but right on landing, Gum trapped him in a triangle choke for more than one minute before Carter broke free. In the second round, Gum got him out, but Carter reversed him. It was a close competitive fight. Okay. I love me some, some Shoney Carter. Mr. International. <laughs> and this fight's at 185. Yes. If he was fighting today, he'd be, what, cutting to featherweight at the most? Probably. At the heaviest, I guess, would be the way to put it. Shoney Carter. Yeah, Shoney Carter was like, uh, he was like, when to, to us, he was like like a WCW undercard guy, like a, uh, what Benoit and Malenko was at their time in the standings, you know, to us, because we always dug him, but he was always in the opening fights. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. He's very much like the style of like what you talk about liking. He's very much a showman, very into that stuff. And, Really, uh, a character you would pop around a lot of the Chicago Land Jiu-Jitsu tournaments back when I was competing quite a bit, and everything you see is is the actual Shoney Carter. I think Jane Gum would have had a better chance against Shoney Carter than uh, Brad Gum, but that's a whole other story. Scott Adams beat Ian Freeman in three oh nine. Adams was built as a master of leg locks, and he went from move to move. Freeman seemed to have experience enough to roll away from the pressure, but Adams finally left the end the heel hook and got a tap. Adams seemed to throw back to the old style of pure submission fighters, but his stand-up was never tested since Freeman was never able to stay vertical. Well, if nothing else, Ian Freeman would definitely learn some ways to defend leg locks after this. <laughs> yeah. Yes, just ask Frank Mir's face. <laughs> yeah. Jens Pulver beat David Velasquez by rest stoppage in 241 of the second round. This was originally built as a 150-pound weight class, built as super lightweights in a sport where lightweights weigh 170. A super lightweight should weigh more based on the boxing vernacular, but they guess that's a minor point. Both came in at 157, and they agreed to fight at that weight. Pulver was formerly with Bob Shamrock, but switched to training to Pat Militich. Velasquez was trained by Frank Shamrock. Pulver was too strong physically and had better stand-up, so he dominated an excellent, exciting fight. Velasquez stayed up from some very strong punches, Pulver took him down late in the first round and mounted him. And nearly had an arm bar to bell. In the second round, Pulver mounted him and threw the punch out the punch with Velasco's unable to escape and blade before ref John McCarthy stopped it. And Jens Pulver announced a few weeks ago going to the UFC Hall of Fame finally this summer. Well, the best decision Jens Pulver ever made in his life, Dom was going to Pat Militich. Yeah, Jens, Jens got so much better. And it's really sad that a lot of like the prime gens pullover years get lost because of the UFC's inability to have a 155 pound division. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, he, you know, he's fighting at the time when that's basically the smallest division, even though, you know, in his later years, he was able to make 125. Yeah. You know, and then even when he comes back to the UFC for the pen rematch, you know, which was at 155. Not only does he not cut weight, he comes in at 147. 
Yep. And then he goes to the WC, fights at 45, and then just kind of is one of those guys that just had his kept his career going just a little too long. Yeah. I mean, he had, you know, the two good fights left in him in the WC. You know, the Cub Swanson fight and then the Pulver fight where he lost, but put up a good showing. And I don't feel like he was just or strictly shot. Because he was able to have some decent regional success once he moved down in weight after. Nothing to scream about, but still, he wasn't shot-shot. So, I think it's kind of a what-if of what if he came along in a modern setting and was in the correct weight class and all that. Yeah, I think, obviously, a lot of these guys, you know, when it comes down to it, if they come along in the more modern setting with proper weight classes, etc., it would be great for them, obviously. A lot of people didn't get that chance. I always kind of say that about about Shayna Baszler. Had she gotten a chance to kind of come around at a different time, I'm sure her or the way she's looked at it may be a lot different. Yes. Um, okay, so looking at Pulver's record, up to this point, at least retroactively, his biggest name win would be Joe Stevenson. I don't know if that meant much at the time, though. And then after this, uh, does lose to Dean Thomas, but still beats John Lewis, beats Kaluno, beats Dennis Hallman, beats PJ Penn, you know, in the title reign. Beats, uh, I guess Takahiro Murahama wasn't a particularly good fighter. And then he starts to kind of lose a bit outside, like, you know, loses to Dwayne Ludwig, but that's, you know, no shame in that, especially at lightweight in that era. And he's mostly on the outside, loses to Gomi... And then the return to Zufa and everything from there. Yeah. All right. Next, Bob Cook, not the wrestler, beat Tiki Gosen and won 26 second round. It's one of the most exciting USC fights in a long time. Tiki was large and appeared to be physically stronger. Cook's one of those guys who can take a pounding but never lose confidence of panic or panic. Cook wasn't able to take him down. And was getting the worst of it early on the stand-up, but Cook nearly got an armbar early before Tiki powered out. Tiki lost the takedowns and landed on the top. However, Cook was in better condition, and by the end of the round, was connecting a lot of punches, enough for the first round was even. Tiki was clearly tiring, and Cook was able to take him down, get him out in the second round, three punches from the mount, causing Tiki to turn and got sunk for a choke for the tap-out. Crazy Bob Cook? American kickboxer. Yeah, crazy yeah, Bob Coach. I see. Is this the AKA Bob Cook? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, remember, AKA started as like, I mean, it kind of existed as uh, Javier Mendez's gym, as a kickboxing gym, but it it turned into like this place where Frank Shamrock moved and then a place for BJ Penn to train and blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of how it turned into an MMA team. Yep. Damon A be Fabiano Iha by decision at the three five minute rounds. Yeah, seemed a little better on striking with than before, but Mene was still stronger. First round was close, but Mene did a little better on stand-up. In the second round, Dave Mene grew stronger on top, throwing good punt, body, and headshot combinations. Mene's right eye was swollen shut by this point, apparently from a thumb, which knocked his contact lens out of whack, so he couldn't see from that eye, but still dominating. He kept taking Mene into the guard to avoid the stand-ups, since Mene, even with one eye, was dominating him. Mene was very experienced at working within the guards, Eha's guard com- would guard and would more combinations to capture the easy decision. And I believe Dave Benet stops wearing contacts and fights after this and is basically just fighting legally blind. Yes, pretty much. He's Stan Hansen. 
and <laughs> wins a title after this. Of course. Um, Dave's a hell of a fighter. Yeah. Blind. Yes. I mean, we can't talk about Eha though, without talking about his legendary performance on Battledome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dom, have you ever seen that? I have not, no. So, you've seen Battledome, though, right? Yeah, back in the day. So, <laughs> I believe he won his episode just by virtue of the fact that a relatively large amount of the events involve some ver- some kind of grappling. You know, they had their hang-tough variation, and he was able to tie people up in that. They had their actual, like, weird sumo wrestling thing. Uh... It was interesting to watch because he was actually using his jujitsu in like an American Gladiators type contact. Fabio Nija also a very, very tough looking dude. <laughs> he was cut, bald. He had that face. He looked like a fucking like a Bond villain in a way. So, yeah, definitely a guy with some character. Next, Lance Gibson over Jermaine Andre. Am I not going through 30 Jermaine third round? Jermaine Andre. What a great name. <laughs> Another competitive match. First round saw Gibson dominate. Take Andre, who was a muscular Muay fighter, down. He nearly got an arm bar where Andre reversed him and bloodied his nose with a left hook. The pace slowed in the second round as they had a stalemate near the fence. Fans were booing for the first time on the show. Gibson nearly got a wrist lock. Andre broke the hole with almost pure shoulder power. Third round saw Gibson pin Andre against fence and smothered him. And Andre's head was down. Gibson brought up a knee to the chin and knocked him out. Old Jermaine Andre. <laughs> I remember this. He caught him good with that knee. But about Lance Gibson. Sounds like a quite the uh, baby face wrestler on the indie scene. Good name. And then our final fight of the night. Ted with two D's Williams beat Steve Judson by knockout in 321. Exciting fight as Judson, a 234-pound rip physical specimen, seemingly fell victim to the bodybuilders playing in UFC, blowing up suddenly. Williams, a 286-pound wrestler with some strong credentials and unbeaten in MMA, looked like one of those big baby Huey types, to where people saw him buff on the street, they think Judson would pummel him in a fight. Judson came out fast to a punch at the punch, most of them missing. Williams early on acted as if he was a one-dimensional wrestler, just tying up, not even taking Judson down. When Judson tired, Williams started punching and connecting. Judson collapsed after being hit with a left jab, probably as much from exhaustion as the blow itself. Day brings up the point here, Dom, that, I mean, has held true in all combat sports. Just because a guy looks like a million bucks doesn't mean he's in fights like one. Best Joe Rogan, my favorite Joe Rogan quote is, whenever Czech Congo would fight, he'd said king of the scary looks. Because he was. And a lot of a lot of guys, like especially in this era, just because you looked awesome didn't mean anything. A lot of them didn't know what cardio was. A lot of them, you know, would go in and try to finish in thirty seconds to a minute, and they'd be completely dead and gassed. Yeah, and then you had guys like Tank Abbott, Scafaroso, <laughs> you know, and, and some you know other guys, you know, just out there, you know, not looking like what a fighter should look like in people's minds. And going out there and getting big wins. Yeah, and that's a thing like... Well, like, what big what... wins did Scott Ferrozo get? Well, <laughs> you know. I mean, we could even go later. We could, we could say Mike Russo and Todd Duffy. That's a good one. Um, you know, obviously, you know, people would say differently, you know, the new social media generation. Like, hey, Scott B. Tank Abbott. I mean, it's a big win. Chris. Yeah. 
It's a big win. But you can't. <laughs> Never mind. I mean, Sean Gannon beat Kimbo Slice in a, in a street fight, okay? Yeah. And that's that was always like the king of like you you when I was uh, at a high schooler and we'd have all these crazy Kimbo fights queued up and then everybody all the rumor always was, was like oh I heard he lost one it was oh I heard it was this bodybuilder yada 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 and then like the video came out and it was like huh it's just this kind of chubby Boston cop <laughs> oh he knows how to grapple that's why he won well no it wasn't just that he knew how to grapple it was the there were no takedowns, but no one ever really gave any thought to whether or not standing submissions were allowed. So he caught him in a standing guillotine, and Kimbo tapped, and everyone was pissed off, and then they realized, oh, wait, I guess he won. Yeah. Well, Josh Barnett's another one in the way, you know? I mean, he didn't look like he was, you know, a guy who would be out there, you know, you compare him with guys like fucking Peter Belfort and shit like that, you know, and look at those guys that's ripped, and here's Josh, you know, but he went out there and proved himself, yep, you know? Sure. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, this is such a great era for me uh, in my MMA fandom. I love it. I love the early days. Always will, because it was so different than what it's become. I know now it's technically better, and everybody's, you know, better fighters so to speak but give me the days where the guys were announced with their special their form you know and then you had to fight these guys that had different forms and then you had this situation okay let's see how this guy's gonna react to this this guy that's a uh, a sambo fighter fighting a muay thai fighter how's he gonna react to that fighting Softer. a guy that's mainly a stand up stand up guy you know or you know just stuff like that i miss r.i.p the ranger intensive program <laughs> I miss those days, you know? I yeah, really do. Yeah. It made for more interesting fights. I I get what you're saying, but... It did. It, was, it had more charm. Yes, yes. I mean, if you want charm, watch the power slap, I guess. I don't know. There's but no charm in that. There's no charm in that. That's different. No. <laughs> no, okay, what about BKFC? You know, there actually is some trying to be KFC. I actually, I will say that. I actually do kind of enjoy watching it sometimes. And you can watch it on uh, Fight Plus along with AIW shows as part of your subscription. <laughs> Hell of a segue there. Yeah. How about that plug? Yeah, which, by the way, I don't think Fight ever responded to my Commission Junction request. What the fuck? <laughs> well, way to put him on blast on the air. Uh, All right. Uh, yeah, well... Guess guess we're gonna get all that Jerry money we get now, all you know, thirty dollars <laughs> every quarter. <laughs> well, on that note, let's go to halftime. So uh, yeah, we're already there. So that's some great two thousand commercials. We'll have the halftime where we'll talk about uh, Patreon, hit the plugs, and then we'll come back and go to Japan, where all Japan they have no good news regarding their television. New Japan's got some major uh, plans in the future. Ricky Doze Memorial Show, Jacob News, Indie Scum, even some pride. All that more after the break. WWF Raw is War is coming to the Nassau Coliseum live. Big Show. Monday, May 8th. Tickets go on sale March 18th. China. The greatest superstars in the greatest arena, broadcasting live to the entire nation. Triple H. 
be a part of the wildest, craziest, most outrageous action ever. WWF Raw is War, live at the Nassau Coliseum, Monday, May 8th. Tickets go on sale Saturday, March 18th at 10 a.m. I had not looked at it that way, so should we itemize or go with the standard deduction? Itemize. Brilliant. Hey, Dad, can I have some money? Yep. And the keys to the car? You got it. Thanks, Dad. Love ya. I'll be out all night. See you in the morning. You made me love you. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want Have you heard that Sammy helps support a positive mood balance? And the only clinically proven forms of Sammy are at GNC. GNC. Live well. Dad, you should have seen it. He was their best hitter. How'd you do? I remember when you and I went over. And over. Ballot Atlantic gives you more time for the things that matter most. Now, the name New Yorkers rely on for local service offers long distance. You only have to deal with one source, one bill, one simple call for everything you need. Best of all, no surprises, no hidden fees, no minimums. A real flat rate of 10 cents a minute on direct dial domestic calls every hour, every day. Call now and get 60 free minutes a month for all your long-distance calls for the first three months. Call 1-888-831-4952 now. With Bell Atlantic, you'll have at least a few more minutes a day for the people you care about. Call 1-888-831-4952. All right, good job. Thanks, Dad. The name you already know is now the only name you need to know. Before you go shopping, go to Productopia.com, where experts offer advice on today's best products, from golf clubs to video cameras, and everything in between. Productopia. We help you find the products you'll love. Why do I drive an Audi with Quattro all-wheel drive? Because I like driving a car that has an amazing racing heritage. A car that dominated the Super Touring Series. Bye-bye! Let's get this thing out of here, guys. Come on. A car that has such unbelievable traction that they banned it for having an unfair advantage. I'll take all the unfair advantage I can get. Something's up with Mom. Now when she comes home, she's got an activity planned. Exercise, eat right, and take GNC's Women's Ultra Mega Multivitamins with more of what's important. GNC. Live well. Maybe she'll grow out of it. All right, we should have known this was going to happen. <laughs> we don't have enough time for a halftime segment this week. So, you all know what to do. Patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. Go there. Five dollars a monkeyish access to all the audio. Of course, IWTV. We got that going on. And uh, we have a new partnership that we will announce next week. Well, no, we did at the end of the show. <laughs> well, sorry. Well, I yeah, forgot but, about that. Yes. But so I mean, just look at the show description, everybody. But yes, now we are in. We now have a connection with Fight TV. Yes, we have the referral deal with them, too. So, yeah. So there you go. We'll talk more about that next week. 
Yes. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. I don't get to talk about, about the uh, GCW New York show in advance. Whatever. We'll talk about it after the fact, I guess. Well, good lord, Bix. I mean, you're you're on the payroll for uh, GCW, but so I mean, <laughs> you got to put them over anytime you can. I mean, good lord, we know how that is. Like Brett would pay anyone for non wrestling stuff. <laughs> Are people for real? Jesus Christ! All right, back to the show, I guess. Yeah. Yes, yes. Let's get back to the show. All right, Don will be back with us later in the show as me and Bix will go now to the land of the rising sun, Japan. We'll start with All Japan Pro Wrestling. Where are they received a major dose of bad news on March 13th when the Pond TV announced it was lowering its rights fees to broadcast promotion and moving the shows from Sunday at 12.45 a.m. to Wednesday night from 1.45 to 2.15 a.m. Considered an even more of a death of a time slot. You know, the group saw its TV ratings increase in 1999. That was largely due to huge ratings in the first quarter and the aftermath of the death of Giant Baba and the retirement of Jumbo Sharuda. Still, the shows were very competitive through the end of the year, drawing what has to be considered strong numbers and even stronger market shares, usually when this time slot. But wrestling has become a, a lower of a priority within than the Pawn TV family. The news came about the same time the promotion announced a new format this year for the Champion Carnival Tournament. Instead of the more physically taxing format, which created so many unique matchups, they're doing a more traditional single elimination style tournament. 16-man, which means the eventual champion has to wrestle four singles matches, as opposed to the usual 12 hard singles bouts in previous years. All right. All Japan TV going from an hour to 30 minutes was, was just terrible to begin with, you know, in the mid-90s. Then you move it to this time slot. Yeah. One forty five so, to two fifteen AM. A midweek. So Oof. to be clear, since there's a big difference because one is the night before a work day and the and one isn't, were they on Saturday Saturday nights at twelve forty five or Sunday nights at twelve forty five? Saturday nights. That's not That's what that's terrible, why the air right. that's why the air date's always Sunday for okay. all Japan. That's not the end of the world. It's not good, but Saturday li- Saturday at 12.45 is not the worst thing in the world. Well, it is because it's still in the weekend. Right. And it's starting before 1 a.m. Yeah, I'm th- obviously we're thinking of American terms, traditions like Saturday Night Live and Saturday Night's Main Event, etc. But Wednesday night, 1.45 to 2.15. Oof. Now, is that the slot that Noah got, or were they on a different night? Um, I don't remember what night Noel was on, but they were, they were in a similar slot. Right. Yeah. And yet, rights fees are still big enough that when, I mean, granted, it wasn't just for the network show, it was also for the satellite shows. But once they got canceled, it wasn't just the exposure, it was the money from the rights fees that really changed everything. Yeah, just a shame, though, that they dropped them to a 30-minute show to begin with. In 94. In 95. Yeah, 94, that's right. Just a damn shame. And then New Japan switched to half hour on TVSI when? Like, mid-2000s? Yeah, that, yeah, they were an hour way longer. Yeah, over a decade, I think, than all Japan. Yeah, but by that point in time... People weren't even watching TBSI like that anymore. They were watching the BSSI version. 
Right. Which was the whole show. The whole well, I mean, American car. Tour, at least. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm talking about Japanese, too. Well, not everyone has a satellite dish in Japan, though, Chris. Well, well, you, I'm pretty sure they were getting it. Getting it from sources, I guess. People that didn't even know it was recording it. Hmm. But, um... Yeah, because, I mean, watching All Japan 91 TV now, like I've been doing, when they changed their style up and started going to the longer matches, you're only they're only able to get maybe uh, two matches at least a show. You know, would, would air. So there's so much stuff in 91 that doesn't air that would have aired in, but this, and it's still an hour show, but stuff that would have aired back in the day if they would, if the match times were, were shorter. Just think about now going to 30 minutes right. when you get in the midnight. Really? You're basically getting one match, you're getting one match TV shows, or you're getting two matches that are really clipped up. Right, it pretty much it kills the exposure for the mid card and the all Asian tag titles outside of like, oh yes, absolutely. Outside of like when you would have a smaller taping with a trio's main event, and then you'd maybe get to see some of those guys. And, you know, when you would get to see clips of the matches in pro wrestling news, that's when you yes. would see stuff like that. <laughs> yes, because yeah, yeah. It, you're getting the two main matches, and that's it. And and sometimes they're clipped up a little bit not heavy but still clipped up to fit the block the one hour time slot yes and you're rarely because of pro wrestling okay. news <laughs> and you're rarely getting the junior heavyweight title i mean it you still did sometimes like when Crawford was champion he well that that was that run and you know yeah 80 89 90 and even in the early 91 you're getting a lot of junior title matches on tv but that stops yes but the one thing is, though, is the junior guys are more involved in the main event scene. So you'll see Fuji, Kikuchi, Ogawa, you know, in, in the tags and six mats. Yeah. So you still see them way more than you used to, but not like in big singles matches. Right. Champion Carnival. I mean, that went away for a long time. Um, it, they quit doing it in 83. I think, and then they bring it back to 91. Yeah, and here they're doing the single elimination, which I wonder how much is the tour structure and the stress on the body, and how much is also just that Masawa had the idea for the Amori Akiyama thing, Well, which only really makes sense in a single elimination. Well, G1 went to single elimination that year, too. Hmm. It also had the gigantic field, but it went through a single elimination, huh? Yeah. Now so they have the gigantic fields, then they're round robin. Yeah. So they went to single elimination as well, so both those tournaments, you know, changed it up that year. Yeah. One thing I'll say, though, as much as I think the G1 drags out way too much now and it becomes exhausting, like, I can never keep up with watching everything just because there's so much. Um, I like, though, that you have... New Japan Cup is the single elimination tournament with all the unique matches in the spring, and then G1 in the summer. I I watched the first G1 the other day for the first first time in many years. All the ma the matches that aired on television. Holy shit! Did you watch <laughs> the Mudo Vader handheld too? Or I mean, no, I just watching TV right now. Okay. Um, you just can't. I mean, as far as booking goes. That could that may have been the best booked weekend of matches ever. Ricky Choshu, masterclass 
a booking and that because I mean you they made three new stars. I mean they were stars anyway, but they, they I mean they changed the whole thing in one in one night basically. Where I mean the end scene is Mudo, Chono, and Hashimoto all raising their hands together in the middle of the ring while Sumo Hall is just losing their fucking minds. Whereas now the Three Musketeers have been elevated to the top guys. I mean, just amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Everybody watch that if you haven't watched it. All right, back to 2000. They had a fan appreciation special type of show on March 11th between tours of Cork and Hall. The show's built around a retro main event. The Tramasawa, Kenokobanshi, and Shoshikakuchi, which was the regular babyface main event team about eight years ago, Super Generation Army, beat Toshaka Kawada, Kiritawa, and Masafuchi, who were the regular rivals in those days. Well, Kawada jumped when Jumbo had to uh, take take his leave of absence in 27-21 when Masawa pinned Fuji after a Tiger driver back in those glory days of the company those six usually worked on top in long four plus star matches oh my god did they again 1991 folks watch that shit find it watch the super generation army against Jumbo's army oh my god the multi-man matches singles matches tag matches Kawada Tawe feud was insane I mean, Jumbo's best wrestler in the world in 1991. Just everybody go watch that shit. Amazing, amazing stuff. On the same show, Masai Inoue and Timon Honda retained the All Asian Tag Titles, beating Daisuke Akita and Muhammad Yone from Battle Arts 2346 when Inoue pinned Yone with a torture rack. They did a major risk in a singles match with Junakiyama pinning, beating Kataro Shiga by Shiga passing out from a headlock. And Nakayama kept the hold on after the bell. And newcomers Takeshi Inoue and Kenta Kobayashi made their debuts in a battle royal. Full results. Opening match to Kawamura over Masamichi Marafuji. Yeah, Namichi Marafuji. Yoshiro Takayama over Yoshinobu Konamaru. Takeshi Morishima, Mitsuo Momoda, Rushkamura over Makoto Hashi, Junizamina, Haruka Egan. Kanamaru won the battle royal. Yoshinori Agawa over Shigeo Kamura. Junakiyama over Kentaro Shiga. Then the uh, all-age tag title match, Inoue and Honda over Akeda and Yone. Masao Kabashi and Kikuchi over Kawada, Tawei, and Masafuchi. So, yeah, we got uh, we got the debut of Takeshi Rikio and uh, Kenta on this on this card here in the Battle Royal. Yep. So, again, all those guys debuted in All Japan before they split. So, I forget, is it Shigeru or Hashi that's the first? Shigeru is... It's the no, first. Hashi is behind him. And then Kotaro Suzuki. No, Hashi's here! It's Kotaro. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Hashi's here. That's right. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's weird. Like, it's just weird. And, you know, it's also why, like, some of the stuff, like, the Marafuji match meant so much to, you know, Eddie Kingston, because he was an all-Japan guy and a Kingston pro today. So... Yeah, and then, you know, Akayama, they're, they're starting to do some stuff with him here and give him, like, a different uh, look, you know, making him more aggressive. And, um, yeah. So, there you go, folks. All Japan 2000, interesting time, as uh, we're headed to the split. All right, New Japan Pro Wrestling. The belief is they'll add great Muda versus Machiro Chono to the April 7th Tokyo Dome show. Muda may appear at the Nitro in Gainesville, Florida, March 20th. They're going with the angle described here where Muda has signed with WCW and New Japan's claim at WCW, which is supposed to be their business partners, double-crossed them by signing their top wrestler behind their backs. 
The idea they're trying to portray is that they're threatening to suit WCW. So an out-of-court settlement will take place where WCW will send them wrestlers to feud with New Japan. So WCW's even settling in a, in a kayfabe sense. <laughs> so lawsuits. Amazing. Basically trying to get some younger power plant type guys with potential, but no name value of reason for people to care about them when they come. <laughs> How about that, Bix? I'm so confused. They're settling fake lawsuits. <laughs> Hey, they knew they knew WCW's always gonna settle, so there you go. <laughs> Hilarious. <sighs> but anyway, New Japan is building up the probable Ricky Choshu versus Asushi Onita match on May fifth for the Fukuoka Dome. Well, Onita held one of his press conferences on March the ninth, saying that he and Choshu had agreed to a match, but acted they didn't agree on a time or a place. <laughs> with Onita asking the match take place in a neutral ring. Onita then said he won the match on March 14th at the Gandrojima Island, where Antonio Noki had his legendary match with Masaino in 1991, which went two hours and five minutes. Most of which consisted of him stalling before the match ever started, and where Hiroshi Hase met Tiger G. Singh in 1992. Onita said he won the match with no fans and only the press and Noki there as witnesses. Well, of course he wanted Noki there. So he can challenge him to a match. But Onina and Toshu take place on May 5th at the Fukuoka Dome. Shocking, isn't it, that that would happen? Mm. Which, your, which match do you prefer, the Anoki Saido match or the Hase Singh Island match? Chris. <laughs> what do you think? Come on. Well, there is, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the Hase Singh match. But yeah, Anoki Saido, of course, is the, is the match. But it's Log. If you watch the long version, it is long. So it's just a weird choice for a follow-up for the other Ganryajima match, too. Yeah, it is. All right, Kuna Kobayashi, forty-four, who hasn't wrestled in some time due to suffering an internal disease and lumbago, and undergoing surgery last summer, is going to have his retirement ceremony and show on April twenty-first at Cork and Hall. Kobayashi's big claim to fame was he was the top native rival in 82-83 for the original Tiger Mask, Satoru Siaba. And later, the Jumpin' Dodge fan having a hot program with Mitsuharu Masao when he was the second Tiger Mask. He had a press conference on March 14th where he announced the final match with that against Hiro Saido, who he feuded with many years ago, or Jushin Thunder Liger. Liger's first match ever under the gimmick was at the Tokyo Dome against Kobayashi, which is actually a disappointing match. At the press conference, he talked about his matches with the first Tiger Mask as the highlight of his career. Hell of a professional wrestler that Kobayashi was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And especially in 2000, where it's after Baba and people know more what that means. Interesting for Dave to say internal disease. Yeah. Because internal organ disease was the kayfabe for bowel cancer for Baba, right? Yeah. Uh, but Kobashi's still alive, so... Kobayashi is, yeah, yeah, and... I forget, does he ever return to rest? Oh, wait, this is 2000, so no. He doesn't but he did, but, 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 you know, he did have a colorectal cancer in the 90s. Had, it, had two surgeries to... But was uh, that a thing that was known at the time? I don't know if it was known at the time. But, um... But he wrestled, um... He's wrestled a couple of times in New Japan Battle Royals since then. And in legend matches. 
All right, he wrestled in 2011 against Sayama. Team win right, in 2013 right, right, right. against Onita. And, uh, yeah, he's been around. But, yeah, hell of a wrestler. This is the end of his career. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, yes. Yes. And I think he doesn't get enough credit for how long he stayed a quality wrestler. Like, he's a big part of all the Haijin Shingen stuff. But even, like, in the late 80s when kind of, you know, at the tail end of his junior heavyweight run, he's still a great worker. He's just phased down. And also when he would do tag team division stuff, he was fantastic. He was an excellent tag team wrestler. Yeah, he was. You know, um, him and who am I think like him and super strong machine, I think was a team for a while. Uh, no, him and Koshinaka teamed up. Is that who I'm thinking of? Wait, who was, who team was Super Strong Machine against uh, Maeda and Takata? I feel like that was Kobayashi. Well, he may have had team. He, he probably teamed up with one match, but I'm talking about. But it was a tag title shot. Team. I mean. Uh. All right, so Koshinaka and Takata, the, their tag team. No, 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 no. Takata and Maeda. Uh. Let's see here. Uh. I'm searching now. It's kind of made against it was, yeah, Super Warren. Strong Machine. Yes, August 2nd. Yeah, August 2nd, 87. Incredible match. Yeah. Like, yeah. I remember seeing it on one of those old, you know, Dave Meltzer Japan TV comp lists. And, you know, it didn't have, like, a rep like Maeda and Takata versus Mudo and Koshinaka did, but it's almost as good, I would say. Well, a lot of those matches, I mean, you, I mean, they're so, they're so good, they run together. Hmm. Believe me, I've watched all that stuff lately. Yeah, I'm going back to 87 to see how much they were teaming going into this. Um, okay, yeah, I'm looking. So they, it looks like they started taping. Bleh, taping. Teaming on May 30th. Do they have any big wins? Okay, yeah, they defeat Takano and Kimura. Um, okay, Trio's an eight-man. Trio's an eight-man. And yeah, okay. So they really only have two two proper. Oh, That's no, what I tried tag. Okay, they had a few. Actually, I found a third also against Mudo and Hoshino. So yeah, they got a tag title shot, but okay, they were not a really much of a regular team. That's what Japan. That's that's what Japan was. <laughs> they no, didn't, they, they, but they didn't build them up much. Is what I'm saying, though. That's what no, but the, again, that's Japan. You would get guys that. We're kind of aligned together. They're storming together as a team, and then they get a title shot. Yeah, it wasn't like over here where you have made teams. You know, they had great chemistry. They were part though. of this. They were part of the same faction. Yeah, you uh, know, they're part of Shingundan at that time. And then in in uh, September, they teamed to defeat Angel of Death and Cuban Assassin. Yeah. All right, Tetsuya Fujinami is also starting his retirement countdown on May fifth with Fukuoka Dome. Well. It takes a while, but he retires eventually. Uh, and on March the 10th, TV was taped at Yanai for 2100 fans, where Jushin Lager retained IWGP Junior title beating El Samurai with a brain buster. All right, uh, our card here Watara Inoue over Katsuyori Shibata in your opener. Shinya Makabe over Hiroshi Tanahashi. Tetsuya Iwa, Shinjiro Tani, and Koji Kanemoto over Nick Rokasis, Dr. Wagner Jr., and Kendo Kashin. Scott Norton and Michio Shiohara over Mike Enos and Brian Johnston. Liger over Samurai. 
Shiroko Shinaka, Takashi Azuko, Ritesh Toshigoto, and Don Fry. And then uh, Toshikojima, Hiroshi Tenzon, and Masahiro Chono over Yuji Nagata, Manabu Nakanishi, and Kensuke Sasaki in your main event. So, uh, there you go. Liger and Samurai, always good stuff whenever they wrestle each other. So, uh, yeah. 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 Just looking, I, I think this may have been a, uh ESPN taping. So... Yeah, I think this, I think this was so it could have been for SXW. Strong style extreme wrestling. Yes. Um, is this their last singles against each other? Because I mean, they're no, no, they on the I same side by this point anyway. But yeah, but they were they would have singles match with each other. So, okay. I, but I think there was another one. Both Super J and Masakos Fukuda are out this current tour with injuries. J may have a broken shoulder, while Fukuda's out with a concussion. Oh, that's not ominous at all yeah yeah when does he die very soon i'm checking right now april 19th yeah so yeah he came back way too quickly clearly um that's how it was back then although he hadn't he already had a bleed though i think he did Look, I, I don't know why I'm the only one who ever notices this. I don't know if it's the style. I don't know if the culture has anything to do with it. Basically, all of the, like, really catastrophic brain injuries we know about in wrestling that come from a match have happened in Japan. Yes. Plumariko, Mikokado, Masakasu Fukuda, Takayama after the Sasaki match. Um, who else? I know there's a bunch more. Oh, uh, Shibata. Yeah. You know, bleeds, strokes, death, etc. Yeah. All right. Ricky Doze Memorial show took place on March 11th at Yokohama Arena. The only reaction one would have the, the main event storyline at that show is that WCW level booking and stupidity occurs on major Japanese shows as well. From the start... The idea of a Shinoshimoto Neogawa tag team, while good for gaining press, still like the worst idea because of the nature of their heated angle. And after an angle-filled, strange show, when I took a duplicate one of the Japanese wrestling's legendary scenes, the late 1987 introduction of Big Van Vader, who destroyed Antonio Noki in two minutes in his Japanese debut, which actually caused a riot, which was bad, not good, that night, but ended up the, through improving, improving greatly over the next several months, actually, became a superstar in Japan anyway. This time with seven foot two former college basketball star Ron Reese. Oh, Chris, does that mean we are talking about BB Jones? Yes. Yes. What's curious about Reese is that he's a legit seven foot two and several inches taller than Paul White. But because he was never put in a position to be pushed, his height in wrestling was always de- decreased as opposed to exaggerated by the few too many inches that pro wrestling traditionally does with tall performers. Reese has flopped across the board with both the Americans and the Japanese trying to teach him to be a wrestler, playing the monster foreigner role as B.B. Jones. In the end, would look great on paper. Jones, under a mask with a gigantic foreigner, a throwback to the Sharp Brothers and Ricky Dozen era as well, pitting Hashimoto, and in one night making himself a superstar, wasn't great in practice. As it turned out, the disappointing crowd of 9,000 fans announced his 13,500 Showing that while fans will pay to see Hashimoto fight Ogawa, they aren't interested in seeing them work pro wrestling angles. This is almost a WCW level lack of understanding of what made the angle work and understanding how it can't be done as a typical pro wrestling angle. Laugh at the main event. 
and grown to the finish. A new Big Van Vader wasn't created as much as a new Gaspar brother. One of New Japan's big flop angles during the down period in the eighties. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, if you ever wanted proof that Big Van Vader is really supposed to be Big Bang Vader, and I guess this is it. Big Bang Vader. <laughs> no, I mean, isn't was... that the idea? Isn't it? Like I've seen people say that before that it's supposed to be Big Bang Vader, but no, it's just the way they. No, it's the way they. Uh, it's the way they. Uh, do the uh, pronouncing of the name. Big Bam Veda. So he's supposed to be Van. Okay. Yeah, Big Bam Veda. Because, of course, there's also the early Observer coverage where he is Big Ben Vader. Well, yes. Or Ben Vader, whichever it was. But what what Dave is also not, you know, pointing at here is Vader and the Gaspars was taking place at the same time. Now, I forget, were the Gaspars part of Takeshi Prores Gundam or... Well, that, you know, again, that only lasted a certain amount of time. He, I mean, he only right. made one appearance. Right, yeah. That, at that show where Vader was at. Yes. Where Vader made his debut. That was the only only time he ever appeared. And then he's with, uh, then Vader and Saito are together as a team for a, not long, probably about four months. And then they, and then Vader turns on him. Where basically just kills that whole thing off by that point in time. But, um, yeah, I watched all that not that long ago. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the Gaspar Brothers was heavily pushed. The fans, they were into it, but it was not main. It it wasn't main event. It it really wasn't. And, uh, you know, Vader, of course, ended up being main event. (laughs) No doubt. It became one of the biggest deals in Japan. And yes, the crowd was very, very unruly that night. At the, they were throwing the pillows at, at the G1 in 91 out of happiness. At this show, they were throwing them out of anger. <laughs> so a totally different situation because they, you know, they sat on pillows at, at, at Sumo Hall. Or well, it wasn't, it wasn't just pillows at the Vader and Oki show, though. Eggs and other yeah. items. Who yeah. bought eggs? <laughs> I don't know. But so they're trying to create BB Jones. And yeah. So. All right. And, and when it was over, in order to build heat for the next Hashimoto Ogawa match on April 7th at Tokyo Dome, Hashimoto, to be pinned dramatically in his tab match, at least on paper, was to announce that if he didn't win the dome match, he'd retire. Unfortunately, this angle that should have been a dramatic comeback to a bloody defeat came off as bad comedy, and then in retirement stipulation that due to contest didn't get taken seriously. The booking of Hashimoto in 2000 is pretty crazy. You don't which say. Caused, which caused legit heat. <laughs> as it should have. Legit heat. And that's Ricky Choshu. But Fujinami, you know, got a lot of the heat. From Hashimoto because he was the president, and basically let Choshu do that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and the I mean having Hashimoto and Ogawa team with each other is definitely like not WCW, but more like WWF. You know, enemies as tag champions bit before WrestleMania. Yeah, right. They ain't uh, OH gun yet. Excuse no. me, OH goon. If I'm being no accurate, no. Overall, the show, which looked bad on paper, was even worse live. So it'd be one of the worst major shows in Japan in a long time. 
Aside from the opener, which is even then below par, considering the talent involved, there was one pro wrestling match that could be considered good. The most assigned match after the opener was actually a sheet match of Yuki Kondo at Pancrase. It was a big pop for current teenage rock sensation Hideki Takizawa, 18 years old, to sing the national anthem, and then pinned Antonio Noki in a comedy match. All right, here's our results. Madden and Tokyo, Grand Hamada teamed up to beat Shima and Sumo Dandy Fuji in 1825 when Tokyo pinned Fuji at the Michinoku Driver. This combined three wrestlers from Torimon with Hamada from Michinoku Pro, who all do the same Japanese Lucha Libre style, was said to be the only good match on the show. Next, Noki Sano pinned Yuki Ishikawa. 11.30, and what was said to have been so-so, which is interesting considering who's involved. Next, Yuki Kondo, a pancreas in a shoot fight, choked out Kantunjin of Korea in 40 seconds. Explosive and exciting, since Kondo was given an easy opponent. After the win, Kondo announced his next match would be May 26th at Tokyo Dome. He didn't announce who his opponent was going to be, but expected to be Sao Ribeiro, the winner at 191 in Abu Dhabi last week. Then we have Command Bowl. What? Wait, Saulo Hibero. I forget. Does he have a nickname that he was better known as? I want to say so. I'm looking real quick because I don't know if he's related to Vitor Ribeiro, but Vitor is the one who's Shaolin. Um, let's see. I don't think he has a nickname. Yeah, I don't see one. Does he have an MMA record? Okay, yeah, he ended up being two and one. He beat Carlos Lopez in 1996 in Brazil, loses to Kondo here in 22 seconds, and then in 02 defeats Jason Ireland, no Wikipedia profile, at uh, TFC 5 Fight Zone 5 in Toledo, Ohio. Well, how about that? Too bad Dom's not with us. Toledo, Ohio, uh, MMA show. With a right, so they, with a Brazilian jiu-jitsu legend, so yes, Commando Boy Joy is what Dave says. In Yumiko Hota beat Kaoko Harayama and Ren Yuyu in ten ten. When Bol Shoi pinned Harayama with a reverse Yanagi, also said to be so so. Isn't that the actual name though? What Commando Bolshoi? As a, a well, Commando Bolshoi as opposed to Command Bolshoi. I think it's actually Command. So. Okay. Next, in the big software match, Yoshiko Tamura, Yuka Nakamura, and Kyoko Inoue of Neo Ladies Pro Rest beat JWP Trio, Dynamite Kansai, Savasa Kurakagi, and Izumi Yuga in 1636 when Tamura made Kurakagi submit. Said to be kind of boring. How well, the bad wrestlers <laughs> went over the good wrestlers, so. <laughs> How dare they, Bix? Where is damn Tanny Mouse? And Masai Genki, that's why it was boring. They weren't in the match. <laughs> There's already enough translation confusion around B.B. Jones. They didn't want to risk having anyone write about Tiny Mouth either. <laughs> All right. Yoshiaki Fujiwara at age 50 returned to the big stage in a Legends match against old rival Satoru Sayama, winning with a leg lock in 56. Said they've been passable. Junji Arata and Ryuma Go of his own promotion beat New Japan's team of Tadao Yasuda and Samakito when Hirata pinned Yasuda at their schoolboy. It said to be decent when Harada was in, which was most of the way. Go was said to be terrible, which was expected, but he wasn't in much. Well, See, they missed the they missed the big play here. They should have put Fujiwara versus Ryuma Go with Chuckleball Makai as a special referee. I don't think they do the same kinds of movies, though. <laughs> but they're all still, you know, it's all in the universe, you know. I mean, that. Uh, <laughs> 
I mean, the Ryumiko thing, I mean, I think War with Hindsight comes off as kind of abusive to the guys with the whole gambling debt thing. But it was, so, I don't know. But yeah. he clearly did not want to do what he was doing, from what we were always told. So, yeah. In a total comedy skit built as an exhibition match, Hideki Takazawa beat Antonio Noki in 357. This match got a huge reaction because Takazawa is such a big deal right now that a lot of teenage girls who didn't react or care about any of the matches on the show bought tickets to see him. And Noki clowned around and sold because Fujiwara would interfere. Finally, Takazawa got the pin at their people's elbow. Not all that long ago, Takazawa sang in a baseball game and drew 20,000 extra female fans, so the belief was his appearance would lead to the show drawing tons of women. But that wasn't the case. Interesting reason why they booked him on the show. But yeah, there you go. Trying to draw the ladies. At a Ricky Dozen Memorial Show. Yeah, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> You're trying to draw all the young girls to the Ricky Dozen Memorial Show? <laughs> yes. In the Big Japan FMW feud, Big Japan stars Ryuji Yamakawa and Tomoko Hama be FMW headliner H, along with Prelim Boy and Yamazaki in 1858 when Yamakawa pinned Yamazaki with a reverse Tiger Driver. Said to be so-so. Reverse Tiger Driver meaning Angel Swings. Yes. I forget what Yamakawa called it, though. Ten, and what was said to be a terrible match that the fans booed, Yoji Anjo, the former Unified Kingdom star, who most recently was fighting a K-1, beat indie wrestler Tarzan Goto by DQ in 1337. Both looked terrible, both juiced, and Goto used objects like a fork, chain, and some chair shots before it was finally DQ for hitting the referee. Fans booed the match and the finish. B.B. Jones and Tenyu Genichiro beating Shinya Shimono and Nero Gawa in 8.51. The storyline for this told him unbeknownst to the live audience is that at 5.30 p.m. with no witnesses or cameras, Ogawa's regular tag partner, Kazuna Murakami, jumped Hashimoto in the parking lot and bloodied him up. Now, that was a hot fucking angle right there. <laughs> that, that's the hot thing. I mean, the Hashimoto Murakami stuff and Ogawa, that was good booking that New Japan had been doing in early 2000 with Hashimoto. It's just at this point and so forth, that's major problems. Um, when he finally came out, the first Hashimoto didn't even come out for the match. When he finally came out, he was walking real slow to sudden the injury. Ogawa were the first five minutes before they got the pre-range stipulation of Hashimoto going in. Hashimoto worked with Jones, who threw him outside the ring and brawl with him, caused the audience to laugh. That wasn't the idea. And it got worse because Hashimoto was selling a serious beating and Jones' offense was anything but serious. So, yeah, you do this heavy heat angle, Hashimoto selling and stuff, and then you have the offense that you have from B.B. Jones. The fans laugh at it. Total debacle. Big Ben Jones. And he's never heard from again. No. Meanwhile, speaking of bad New Japan booking, let's go to Black Liger and the J-Cup. As things stand right now, Jushin Liger will be winning the Super J-Cup. That was basically agreed upon as part of the deal to get Liger in the tournament. So, without his name as the most famous and biggest junior star in the world, well, except for T-A-F-K-A-P-I. The artist <laughs> formerly known as Prince Ayukaya. Yes. It was seen like a big independent tournament as opposed to a J-Cup. Speaking of the J-Cup, the Bellas representative will be Katsumi Yasuda, who beat Dakota Adaka with a leg loss submission in March 12th in the finals of the day and night tournament at Osaka IAP Hall. Yasuda faces Mens Teo in the first round of the J-Cup on April 1st in Sendai. But Noru Tanaka, who's worked a lot in New Japan and done very well in the past two years, was eliminated in the second round by Yasuda. 
Also, well, we'll talk about that. In the He's second. talking about the Battle Arts qualifying tournament. He's not being super clear. Yeah. Yeah. And we're about to get in that. Well, we're about to get into it in a minute. Uh, so, yeah, Liger and a J-Cup. Only if he wins it. That's his step. Well, it seems like it's more a New Japan step than a Liger step. I guess. But, yeah, he's Black Liger here. Yeah, which is this whole, like, I want to be a heavyweight thing that basically had him squashing the whole division. Um, looking at Wikipedia, Big Japan also had a qualifying tournament, which I had not remembered. Uh, Motegi over Winger, Teo over Ryuji Ito, Motegi over Fantastic, Teo over Guerrero del Futuro, and then Teo over Motegi to advance to the J-Cup. So your field ends up being Shima, Curryman, Gran Hamada, Judo Sua, Jushin Thunder Liger, Katsumi Asuda, World Championship Wrestling's Kaz Hayashi, mm-hmm. Men's Teo, No Kisano, Onryo, Ricky Fuji, Rigi Marvin, Sasuke the Great, Shinya Makabe, the Great Sasuke, and Tiger Mask 4. Yep. And the tournament is fun, but the match is especially Liger's because he's not going to be giving that much offense, are way too short yeah, in that tournament that year. Yeah, like, I'm just looking at the Sima Onryo is less than four and a half minutes. Hamada Fuji's seven and a half minutes. Sano's upset of Sasuke, which was a hell of a match, was ten and a half minutes. Um, Liger Teo is seven and a half minutes. Uh, Shima Sano's almost 13. Liger Hamada's ten. And like Liger Shima's twelve and a half. Like yeah. I mean, there's something to be said about not overstaying your welcome, but with the legacy of the previous two tournaments and everything, this just it didn't feel like the J Cup. No. No. I don't know if any of the later J Cups feel feel felt more like the first two, but this did not. No. It's well worth watching. You know, and uh, of course, I don't know why Dave didn't make it clear here. Mishinoku Pro is the host company for this one. Yeah. All right, let's go to the Indies. Indie scum time. Battle Arts. Tony Jones is one of the young wrestlers getting the tryout in the Beyond the Map movie. Debuts for Battle Arts in early April. You ever see the private tryout? Did a match with no fans before the show started that they filmed a few weeks back with WCW. Jones has a strong collegiate wrestling background at San Francisco State. He comes in, he works some. You know, the rest of 2000 and stuff. So he gets his shot. Yes, Shooter Tony Jones. Yeah. Who pro- who would have been a much bigger star if he came later on down the line. As would have basically everyone in APW. That is correct. All right, the day-night doubleheader to Sakai MP Hall with Battle Arts and uh, JWP. As they had uh, the tournament going on. You know, the, oh, excuse me, RCN, not JWP. Um... And this is the, um, uh, what did they call the Trios Tournament? The Mixed Trios Tournament. I don't remember what the name was. Oh, God. P-Mix? No? No, P-Mix was the serious, like, tag team men and women's tournament. This is the comedy Trios Tournament. That's right. This is... Oh, King and Queen. King and Queen. Yeah, King and Queen. All right, so 
The Day Show, Minoru Tanaka over Yoshiki Saito. Kasumi Asuda over Chocobal Kobe. Hikoto Daka over Asian Cougar. Masaki Mochizuki over Sasaki, which is Takashi Sasaki, I think. Kasumi Asuda, Minoru Tanaka, Hikoto Daka over Mochizuki. Daisuke Akira Takashi Ono Mahamayone. Over Yukishikawa, Alexander Otsuka, and Ryuji Takada in your main event. So, your tournament matches and more of a traditional type show here. Then we go to the evening show, which is 858. We have Daisuke Kato, Ryuji Takada, Yukishikawa, Kendo Okutsu, and Aifujita over Takeshi Ono, Kao Kao, and Eskomita. Then Alexander Otsuka, Mariki Yoshida, and Yumi Fakawa over Muhammad Yone, Mario Pachi, and Fabio Pachi. A lot of great hair in that, in that match. Then we had uh, Minoru Tanaka, Yoshiki Saito over Chakobal Kobe and Masaki Mochizuki. Yusuda over Hidaka to win the tournament in the J-Cup. And then Osuka, Yoshida, and Fukawa over Ishikawa, Okutsu, and Fuki- Fujita in your main event. Okay. I remember getting this tape. And it was something that, you know, everyone was kind of looking forward to, not knowing the context at the time. Because it's like, oh, okay, you're going to do Interdendra, but you're going to do it with these two promotions that theoretically should be really well matched up stylistically. And then the tournament matches are basically just Ishikawa doing pervert comedy spots. <laughs> yes. And Yumi Fukawa, of course, it, uh, would be become married to Minoru Tanaka. That's right. I forgot about that. Also, yep. Yeah. Um, and also two wrestlers who at this point had very similar styles as well. Yes. Of of married couple wrestlers, are they the two with the most similar in ring styles? Uh, yes. I mean, because I don't think you can say Johnny and Candace are that similar. Yeah, Kitsuke and Hokuto, I don't think are similar. No. Yeah, I can't think of anyone that comes that close. Because, you know, Fukawa, when she left All Japan Women and went to Arsian, she was, you know, she was one of the, you know, how do I put this? She, you know, kind of shifted into that early Arsian, like, kind of battle artsy style more than almost anyone. Yeah. Um, all that said, Usuda had, excuse me, Usuda Hidaka was a hell of a match, though. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, always good stuff with all these folks here. Yes. Now let's see if we can fit in the rest of the segment. Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling made some uh, very preliminary moves about running in the United States, which include producing 20 home videos for the U.S. market, as well as live events in the U.S., syndicated television, their Japanese matches. <laughs> sure! So I'm presuming this is promises, or at least pipe dreams Tokyo Pop is selling them on. But they get the vi- they do get the videos out there, so there is that. And I think it's pretty clear from how you hear American fans that know of Hayabusa but didn't really watch much other Japanese wrestling, it seems clear that they sold fairly well for what they were. Well, here's the thing. I, I only saw them in certain places. And then really the only place I really ever saw them was Suncoast Video in the mall, one, in the mall that had Suncoast Video stores. Right, FYE was the most common place. And I think Suncoast and FYE were the same company by that Yeah, time. never saw them in Media Play, never saw them in Best Buy. Sam Goody? Well, we don't have Sam Goody down here. Okay. All right. Michoku Pro, they're going to show Yahaba on March 11th in front of 8.05. We have Jose Luis Feliciano over Sasuke the Great by his qualification. Beef Wellington and Shiru 2 over Superboy and Subo Genjin. Chaprita Sari, Hiromi Yagi over Mima and Rima. 
Then we have uh, Jinsei Shizaki and Hanzo Nakajima over Kaz- Kazuyu Yuasa Monroe Fujita. Curryman retained the British Commonwealth Junior Heavyweight title beating Jody Fleisch. And Great Sasuke retained the NWA Middleweight title beating Tiger Mask 4. And Beef Wellington, obviously, is Wellington Wilkins Jr. And Shiryu 2 is uh, fantastic. Yes. So there is that. All right, Onita Pro Wrestling. Yeah. Corken Hall on March 14th, front of 2150. Super vacancy, full house. We have Takashi Sasaki over Fukumentaro. Ran Yu Yu over Command Bolshoi. Mr. Nobuki Kazawa, Masashi Oyagi, and Nobutaka Araya over Sambo Sako, Exciting Yoshida, and Sensuo Takagi. <laughs> then we had a no rope barbed wire street fight tornado barricade double health death match as Nisei Onida and Onida Jr. teamed with Shigeo Okamura and Dick Togo and Asushi Onida to be Ichiro Yaguchi, Viking Tanaguchi, Great Kendo, Kendo Nagasaki, Shoji Nakamaki, and Yase Yaguchi. And Yase Yaguchi, I'm sure, is Ishiro Yaguchi, Raijin Yaguchi, etc. Well, Ishiro Yaguchi's also in the match. Oh, wait a second. Yeah. Wait, so who's Yase Yaguchi? One of the indie scum guys that were playing fake Yaguchi. Oh, is that? Oh, so that's probably Nisei Ishiro Yaguchi. Great. Great. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> so wait, I forget. Is Onita Jr. still flying Kitashihara or whoever at this point or someone else? Anita Jr. at this point would be Flanky Jahari, yes. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> what a match. What a, what a dirty yeah, 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 All it's missing is like Nisei Poison Sawada. Yeah. All right, now we go to the uh, MMA side of things. Wouldn't you know this is bound to happen? Hoist Gracie held a press conference. A lot of press conference in Japan this week on March 13th. So he wants his match with Kazusha Sakuraba on the May 1st Tokyo Dome show to be a no-time limit fight to the finish with no referee. And the match continues so somebody taps or the corner throws in a towel. Of course, Pride is about to put the match with no referee. And when fighting becoming the nature it's become, you can't do a no-time limit match on live pay-per-view with an arena filled with spectators on a tournament format show for a first-round match. <laughs> really, Dave? Gracie also jumps for WrestleMania Ogawa. Grace said his family was screwed by Pride and the Sakuraba Hoyler Gracie finish and insists he would cancel out the tournament if the no time limit and no referee turns weren't accepted. He said he may still do a singles match on the show if he pulls out the tournament and has given Dream Stage officials two weeks to respond to his demands. Sakuraba then held his own press conference on March 14th agreeing to the terms, saying if he has to, he'll wrestle Gracie for one week. Saying he's sick of hearing their talk and the Gracie's always had to change the matches to have their own special rules. Ain't he right? Sakuraba said he fight wearing a uniform, which he brought at the press conference, being that he's got the pro wrestle hype background. That regard his skin in case Gracie has to pee in case the match would never end. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. May 1st, 2000. What a match. Yes. Or in the format you saw it, it was not Hoist Gracie versus Kazushi Sakuraba. It was Hoist Gracie versus Mr. Sakuraba. Yes. As he was announced on the American pay-per-view for some reason. Which, it w- was the Pride show only on DirecTV? I, Wasn't that the, just DirecTV exclusive? That first one, I think, was, yes. What a show that fucking was. Because <laughs> I remember that, I didn't order UFC Japan because of the show. But what a show that was. And, yes, the difference in production between that and UFC was very, very uh, interesting. Yes, and... I think it ends up being, obviously, there's a referee, but 
Otherwise, Sakuraba agrees to basically all the concessions, and they do unlimited 15-minute rounds, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is where I was at. It was, it was in my house we watched it. Very pro-Sakuraba. So. Well, pro wrestling is strongest. Um, and for those who are not familiar, the Sakuraba Hoyler finish is that he broke Hoyler's fucking arm, and the Gracie Corner would still not throw in the towel. Of course not. Rings. There are a lot of stories going around that Kyoshi Tamura will jump from rings to dream stage. Or as Dave has it, dream state. <laughs> rings is changing the nature of their mid-contracts as they run it this year. They in the past had stable performers on their annual deals. But now as they switch from a war promotion to apparently a full-time shoot-off, as they are contracted to fighters one match at a time. I would hope so. <laughs> but Tamara does make that jump, though. So there is that. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's Joshi. So it's Zenjo time to start off. Tor Corkin Hall, March the 12th, in front of 1,600 fans. Nani Takahashi over Keo Nomi. Takako Inoue over Miyuki Fuji. Azumi Hyuga and Kiroko Horiyama over Manami Toyota and Tanami Kansai. And Mio Wakazawa, handicap match. Yumiko Hota and Karito and Tomoko Watanabe and Kamiko Mikawa over Ranyu Yu, Kamen Bolshoi, and Carlos Amano. Uh, let's get like to another the, handicap match. Let's get to the actual Big Joshi news of the week. Gaia will be holding their fifth anniversary show May 14th at the 11,000 see Araki Coliseum, headlined by the Crush Gals, reforming their tag team for the first time in 11 years. They shot the angle for the company's biggest show in the history of March 12th, Corrigan Hall. Akira Hokuto, Miyumi Ozaki, Beach, Goose, and the guy on Meiko Satomura of NXT's fame, and the main event kept being on them after. Linus Asuka ran in to help Nagayo and clean house. Nagayo and Asuka in the mid-80s were the most popular female wrestlers of all time as Crush Gals, as well as teen idols for a generation of Japanese schoolgirls as pop stars. During the TV popularity peak of women's wrestling, it was on Sunday afternoons drawing ratings equal to what the NFL was doing the same time slots in the United States. The angle had another major name as Dove Masami did a run-in attack on the Crush Gals, so probably Hokuto Masami as their opponents. Are they do 2200 at Cork for the show? Linus over Saiki Taguchi. Rie over Sakura Hirota. Toshio Yamada over Toshiyamatsu. Aja Kong and Linus over Shikai Nagashima and Shigurasato. And Ozaki and Hokuto over Nagayo and Sonomura. Well, it took almost 400 shows, but we finally got to the week where it becomes clear the guy is overtaking all Japan women as the top women's promotion. Yeah, this is a, this is a big moment for Gaia doing all this, yeah. I mean, this is where they just completely pull away. Yeah. Um, well, they're number one in everyone's eyes for years because Neo's number one. Oh, stop it. But what a great show this ends up being, too. And the the whole thing, too, the whole anniversary show, Match by Match, is up on the guy at YouTube channel now. Went up a few weeks ago. So, you know, you got the main event. You've got the Keiru Ozaki street fight. Um a little bit of interpromotional stuff, like the Bloody is in a tag match, I think, for the tag titles on the undercard. Um, Great Kong versus uh, Satomura match. Just very strong show. Um, so, yeah, one of the more underrated official wrestling YouTube channels that just lots of the old great guy stuff going up in, like, broadcast quality on YouTube. So, yeah, there you go. And we close Japan with LLPW, Marcy A for Cork and Hall. Sharshashuya over Miyu Watabe and Ayakiyama. Naruto Tatano over Krishna Damari. Mizuki Endo over Karol Midori. Eagle Sawaya and Suri Okuno over Shinobu Kandori and Keiko Ono. And Harley Sato retained the LLPW title beating Rumi Kazama. So, 
There you go. There's Japan. All right, let's go to Lucha now. As Triple uh, R ran a TV table on March 10th at Tijuana, which is one of those shows starting with a battle royal and then a tag tournament with the partners chosen by who got eliminated. First guy out, second guy out, formed the team, and third guy, fourth guy, etc. It came down to Bizo Negro and Electro Shock beating Heavy Metal and Pedro Guayo Jr. All right, so our, our results here, we had some local matches here. Start off the show. Ebola dos Mil, Guepardo in Neon over Peligro Motal, Pens Negro Jr. and Shazam, Shazam, then Los Pandereros, one and two, in Silencio Negro, be El Bueno, El Malo, and El Feo. <laughs> Then we have Pedro Russo and Toronto Negro over Pathfinder and Sicodelco Jr. And then their battle royale, Batala Campal, where uh, Paraguay Jr. and Heavy Metal won the battle royale. Uh, they went the eliminations, did the seeding. So Abiso Negro and Letro Shock beat the Keys and Oriental in your first uh, quarterfinal match. Alebrije and Octagon over Scopidon Negro Jr. and Pentagon 2. Cibernico and Tiger Steel over Hector Garza and La Parca Jr. And then the round of the quarterfinals, Pedro Goya Jr. having Metal over King Azteca and Tejano by disqualification. In the semifinals, we saw Bison Negro and Electroshock over Alebrije and Octagon. Parito and Heavy Metal over Cibernico and Tiger Steel by disqualification. And then the Bismo and Electro Shock over Perito and Heavy Metal in the finals. Tiger Steel. He's Canadian. Was he not? I don't Wasn't think that's Lazansky, though, right? No, it's another one. It's another guy. Um, That sounds right, though. A giant, it's giant Warrior. <laughs> I well, uh, well, I'm looking did here. not remember that. Yeah, that's what Lucha Wiki says. Yeah, it's, it's Butch Masters. I knew he was Canadian, but I know it was that Canadian. <laughs> no, Butch Masters isn't Canadian. That's right. That's right. I'm thinking about You're the... You're confusing uh, him with the uh, Canadian giant. Yes. Uh, Demolition Hux, who I just watched recently. But uh, Oh, uh, what? On New Japan TV? Oh, yeah. I saw a lot of Demolition Hux in the last few weeks. Wait, isn't um, it actually Hux, and it's just a weird Japanese transliteration into Hux? <laughs> I guess, but they really never even called him that. They really always call him the Canadian Giant <laughs> on commentary, but that's a whole other story. Uh, so, yeah, how about that? Butch Masters, one of the, uh, which is not him, so Butch Masters would be uh, Land of the Giants, who I've also been watching in all Japan with Skywalker Nitron. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, a, what a team, Cibernetico and Butch Masters. So, yeah, Triple A. Uh, Quite the show here. Then we go to CMLL for Pedro Aguayo Sr. Made his return to Rio Mexico after eight years. And he drew this one crowd of 7,500 on March the 10th as he begins his retirement tour. Pedro, Atlantis, and Radesco Jr. team went in the envelope to be Viano Tesero, Scorpio Jr., Bestia Sabaje, and Shoker in Straight Falls. It was going to be a terrible main event. Atlantis had Viano Tesero in the Atlantida when his brothers, Viano's four and five, interfered and attacked him. Pero did get a gigantic pop. Los Guapos came out with blonde hair dressed like the Backstreet Boys, which said to be hilarious. Well, that's their gimmick, Dave. Let's go argue this meal and beat Pero off in the semifinal, which was a bloody brawl, which has super heat in both men's 42nd birthday. This wasn't the hair match as per original plans. They seem to be building in that direction. 
And then the card during the trios match, they teased problems with Emilio Charles Jr. and Brother de Plata, giving the impression that Emilio is going back Rudo. This lasts for months. I mean, it's a right, for, CML turn in this era, so yeah. In the same year as Tarzan Boy. Um, let's go with the full results, and then we'll talk about the main event. Uh, Alan Stone and Motocross is Brother Chris Stone of Ricky Marvin and Sombra de Plata. Quite the opener. Antifaz del Norte, Mascara Bajinka, and Pantera over Ocarina de la Muerte, Dr. O'Borman Jr., and Rico Latino. Apolante, Cien Caras, Universal Smil over Brother de Plata, Emilio Chavez Jr., and Pelino. Then Mascara Hino Smil over Peroff. And then the main event, Atomicus match. Why didn't you call Dante, Cien, and Universal Los Capos? Los Capos. They They are. They are. I just. But the main event is a story here because this is the week for the pay per view. The uh, first pay per view. Yes. Yeah, with the Atlantis Piano Tessero main, main event. And, you know, this match does not sound like encouraging for what that what that match would lead to. So. What do you mean? Yeah, the. I mean, the ACM was a terrible main event. You know, it's the last week before the pay per view. The house wasn't good. So, yeah, but it had Pero and when he's old and Ryo and Scorpio when he's past it. I mean, I can see why it wouldn't have been a great main event. Yeah, but still, I mean, for your pay-per-view, I would think that you would kind of want to go into it on a high note. And that doesn't really happen here, Hmm. especially because tennis wise, especially that's the main thing. That had to be considered disappointment. Pedro's first match in the building in eight years. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, the rest of the okay. I mean, we got the, like I said, the Emilio turn, which is being teased forever and ever in the day. And the, uh, the opener sounds great, but we, we would have never seen that. So, no. This is a different era where you don't see such things like that. No, not we, outside of uh, Momentos Estelares. Yeah, you saw maybe a spot. All right, other TV on March 14th for Coliseo, we have Los Reyes Tapatillos over Inimigo Publico and Fugaz. Future Sangre Resteca. Fierito and Peravito over Ciclancita Romerez and Ultimo Dragoncito. Brazo de Oro, Pantera and Solar over Haco Negro, Golov Nagardi Jr. and Virus. Black Warrior, Blue Panther and Mr. Mexico over Milo Chavez Jr., Rigo Mendoza and Tony Rivera by disqualification. And then Mr. Diabla, Rahadilisco Jr., and Tinebus Jr. over Bessie Savahe, Petoff, and Satanico by disqualification. We're right here at the tail end of the uh, Ringo Mendoza Tuesday shows, aren't we? Ooh, I wouldn't say that. They go on for at least another year. Okay. Yeah, he's definitely in there 2001. So, uh, yeah, he's still he's still doing the Tuesday deal. Mm-hmm. But Mr. Mexico obviously probably subbing for somebody here, so yeah. rare for him to get a semifinal match. Yeah. I wonder if Vince's mustache is like his. <laughs> they said it was kind of wasn't the big one. So I, I'm picturing Vince with, with the with the pencil thin mustache like John Waters. Okay. Or Errol Flynn or some shit like that. That'd be even more creepy. IWRG hit Tate TV on on March the 9th. Only two matches listed. Espetrito, Fatitica Guerrera, and Peratito Morgan of Mascarita Sagrada, Otte Goncito Original, and Suki. 
And then you have the Diablo, Satanico, Super Mega over Felino, Super Parka, and Ultimo Vampiro in your main event. So there's our ESPN uh, Mexico, ESPN Deportes, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Uh, uh, ESPN Jokes, I guess, would be the, the way to call it. Um, I forget when we started getting this more regularly via Alfredo getting tapes from Roberto, because that's. I mean, that really starts with the pay-per-view, so I would think the IWRG and Monterey tapes start around the same time, right? The first is in April. Okay. Yeah, because so, I just dubbed, it, just dubbed them uh, last year. Okay, so if any of this is out there, it's from other, whatever other sources IWRG was coming from before that. Which, good luck. <laughs> I mean, there's a no. decent amount of 99 that is available, because I know Bahari has a lot of it. Well, I mean, consider the source. I mean, Bahari, he can find things. But I don't think he, like, hunted for it, really, is what I'm saying. I mean, Well, thing... he has his ways, Bix. I know. <laughs> I mean, well, he can find well, he stuff better like, than we can. He had less ways back then, though, when I got it for some of that stuff from him, though. I do. Oh. I really I really regret, though, not getting to convert to DVD when I still had it, the... Uh, he had made me an eight-hour best of uh, IWRG 99 at one point, but unfortunately, that's all gone thanks to uh, climate change. Well, you mean the hurricane? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Hurricane Sandy. Which, how long ago is that now? That's over ten years. Oof. Oof. I Puerto Rico. Star and Victor the Bodyguard jumped from WC to IWA in Puerto Rico and switched to being technicals in the process. This all stemmed from a six-man tag with IWA tag titles on the line. Yes. Last champions were Valvius and Ricky Santana, they believed. A six-man with a tag titles on the line. In the match, Savio Vega, Miguel Perez Jr., Ulo Castillo Jr., beat Fidel Sierra, Sean Hill, and Ricky Santana. One of these things not like the other. Which made Perez Castillo the new IWA tag champions. After the match, Perez Castillo turned on Savio and Sierra Hill and Santana joined in to make a five-on-one. Then Chicky starter uh, Angel and Victor the Bodyguard ran in to save Savio, making them technicos. All right, results of uh, this show from Carolina. I think this is yeah, this is this show um, in front of a thousand fans. Andre Borges over Mikami. Yes, that Mikami from DDT. Working here on an excursion. Then you have Ricky Santana, Sean Hill, doing WQ with Miguel and Castillo Jr. Andy Anderson over at Nuevo Gran Apollo by his qualification. Then the match we just talked about, the six man for the tag titles. Ricky Banderas going to WQ with Fidel Sierra. This is a TV tape, so why you got this why you got guys working twice. Santana Urcan Castillo Jr. over Jesus Cristobal, not the original, and Steve Bradley. Victor the Bodyguard going to WDQ with Oregon Castillo Jr. and Cristobal over Rastaman. And so Sean Hill beat uh, Mikami on March 11th in Arroyo to win the IWA Junior Heavyweight title. So Mikami must be going back to Japan. I wouldn't say this is an excursion, especially since it's 2000 DDT. Well, he's there. So. I mean... I mean, by that argument, you could say that uh, Ligula was on excursion in Mexico from SPWC or whatever. <laughs> well, maybe it was. <laughs> I mean, DDT, really, until the Takeshita stuff recently, have they ever done excursions? 
No. But he was there for, I mean, he was there for a minute, so maybe he's trying to get a job with WWE. I don't know. Hmm. So wait, Jesus Cristobal here is not Zorro. Not the original. Because Zorro was Jesus Cristobal on Super Astros just before this. The Aegis is not the original, so take that for what But when he says original, is he referring to Zorro or someone else? Let's look and see, shall we? Uh, figure out. It's him. It's Zorro. That's what I'm saying. Is he working in Mexico around this at all? He's working in Mexico 2000. But is he, like, in on an extended stay here that would make it impossible for it to be him? I mean, it is him. Okay. I'm trying to tell you. I'm just making sure that, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm looking at the results now. He's there for months. Yeah, but Dave said not the original. But who would the original be? I don't know. He's me. He's there until August, it looks like. Maybe Dave got confused. Not the first time. I mean, there's no, like, historical Jesus. Won't be the last time. Is there? No, no. Okay. No? Maybe Dave's getting fed wrong information. It happens. What, Eddie Gilbert told him it was the other Jesus Cristobal? <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know who the Puerto Rican version of Eddie Gilbert would be. But... Uh, I thought that would be Eddie Gilbert. Well, before this, at least. Me, not, not at this point in time, Dix. I think that's pretty impossible. Doug? Well, he's not there. I don't know. Cage Match only has one Jesus Cristobal, so... Yeah. It's got to be what it is. But so anyway. It's, presumably it's that Dave doesn't think it's Zoro, but it's Zoro. I guess so. Okay. All right, Don's back with us as we go to the Indies, U.S. Indie scene. And we start with USA Pro Wrestling, Frank Goodman. They ran a show in Staten Island on March 11th in front of 1,000 fans. Our opening Sports match Plus saw... Or Sportsplex or whatever it was called. Yeah. Cousin Luke of a Metal Maniac in your opening match. Oh, Jesus Christ. Duke Schneider. That's fantastic. And Schneider spelled S-N-Y-D-E-R over the Super Ninja. Bix, do you do you know what the uh, meaning of Duke Schneider is? I know the name and I'm drawing a blank. Duke Schneider, S-N-I-D-E-R, was a Hall of Fame player for the Brooklyn Dodgers in the 50s. Okay. So there you go. Kid Crush over Joe Fagucci. Oh. <laughs> Thunderbolt won a Royal Rumble. Uh-huh. Thunderbolt, incidentally, is the first wrestler I ever saw at a show. The first, like, no-name indie wrestler I ever saw that was selling promo picks. <laughs> a rarity in the North, unlike the South. Danger beat Chris Michaels. Uh-oh. The new Dynamite Kid and Mr. Puerto Rico beat Boogaloo Lou and Demian. <laughs> Nick Maddox over Jimmy Snooker Jr. by disqualification. Yes, that would be Deuce. Uh, <laughs> Julio Fantastico over Ace Darling. Mass Maniac over Ken Sweeney. Of course. Rocco Rockin' the Patriot, that jobber Tom Brandy, over Kid USA and Filthy Creep. Why not? Well, there's an indie wrestler named Filthy Creep. Well, he's there's the Filthy not... Freakin' Creep, technically. Well, there's, I mean, there's not like there's any of those in indie wrestling by any stretch of imagination. Oh, no, they got rid of all of those two and a half years ago. <laughs> Jimmy Snook over the Equalizer. Brutus Beefcake over King Kong Bundy. And Big Dick Dudley won a three-way over Iron Man, Tommy Cairo, and Axel Rotten. Sure. <laughs> 
Dom, it is a shame we don't have indie shows like this today. <laughs> I mean, we occasionally get them from Goodman in Florida. Yeah. Goodman, Goodman in Florida is a big thing at this point. Like, our Thor and I always laugh when we see those those flyers. They're, they're what AIW aspires to be, huh? <laughs> uh, Frank Goodman, he's point, a trendsetter. He's a trendsetter when that comes to that. So. Definitely not, not definitely not from a card length perspective, <laughs> as that's been a big uh, thing that we've really tried to rectify over the last few years. But Lord have mercy, what a yeah. show! Oh yeah, let's go over a, a little bit. Okay, so uh, Chris Michaels is of course veteran indie worker Chris USA Michaels, who spent a lot of his career having relocated to Kentucky and learning more of a Southern style. Uh. Mr. Puerto Rico is, of course, the legendary Mr. Puerto Rico, Ralph Soto. He of the endless boring shoot interview where half of it is just him lifting weights at the gym. New Dynamite Kid is a skinny black guy who is on the shows because he runs the sound system. <laughs> we talked about Snuka Jr. Julio Fantastico, of course, is Julio De Niro, Julio Sanchez. Uh, fairly late for his darling here, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Ken Sweeney is a mulleted, mustachioed fellow who printed the posters for each show. And Mass Maniac is, of course, Frank Goodman, uh, basically just wearing the same clothes he wears when he walks around as the promoter, but with a mass superstar mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kid USA, I don't remember which one it is, because there's at least two in the New York area in this era. And yeah, that's about it. And it, it's the following year where the shows start to get more work ready. As everything kind of changes. But they still have all the other shit. Of course. And just for the record, uh, the last USA Pro show, uh, June 26, 2022, Wrestle War 2022, at the Rosen Jewish Community Center in Orlando. Uh, not going to read the whole card, but it included such names as Wes Briscoe, defeating Question Marks, and Jake Logan. Uh, Chris Masters is Chris Adonis, managed by Carlito against Brian Myers. Serpentico was there for some reason. Um, I have no idea who a lot of these people are. Oh, it's a USA Pro show, so even in 2022, that means Tony DeVito's on the card. <laughs> well, uh, naturally. Gangrel defeated whoever Krampus is. Uh, oh, right. He, he was out of WWE, so Sam Shaw was on the card. James Storm defeated Tom Latimer. Great. Bram. Uh... Jerry Lawler beat Simon Says in a Kiss My Foot match? When, I, <laughs> Brian Cage beat PCO, among other things. But of course, the highlight. Austin Aries and EC3 fought Loki and Max Stardom to a double countout. <laughs> I guess everyone in that match wanted to control your narrative. Ah, goddammit. Controlled their narrative so much that they couldn't be on a finish. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm leaving that in. It's too good a screw-up to leave it. Well, I'm glad you finally decided to leave some in. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's go to the CWF in Wayne, New Jersey on March 10th. Oh, boy. We have John, Johnny Thunder over Punk Bully by disqualification. Wild Child, one of three way over Dave Delicious and MD Dog. <laughs> Not Ryan Wing. Them, dog. <laughs> Ryan Wing over Sweet Destiny, which led to Ryan Wing over Missy Hyatt, which led to Nicole Bass over Ryan Wing. Sure. Chris Candido beat Gilberg. John Thunder beat Punk Bully again. And then our main event, 
Little Guido and Sally Graciano were super crazy and Big Dick Dudley by disqualification. Sure. Um, I believe Johnny Thunder's the promoter here, right? I think so. He was a Corluzo hanger-on who had a falling out, if I remember right. So CWF here in Wayne, New Jersey. Yeah, I'm not sure what it stands for in this case, and I don't know if a tree stump was holding up the ring. <laughs> Jersey All Pro Wrestling at Don Bosco Prep School in Ramsey, New Jersey on March 10th. Elax over Little Dixie. The big unit, Dave Desire and Rick Silver over the STD, or excuse me, STD, the Orphan and Frankie Stars. Raging Bull Manny Fernandez over Gino Caruso. Oh! oh. Hardcore match, the Bad Breed, Axel Rotten and Ian Rotten defeated Uncle Murder Crew, Homicide and Louis Ramos. Low key over Judas Young. New Jersey State title match, Dr. Hertz retained over Flash Wheeler. Of FTR. 69 degrees, Chino Martinez and Grandmaster B, not Bud Bundy, over Mark Real and Nick Burke. Jersey All Pro Heavyweight title match, Dirty Don Montoya retained over Skinhead Ivan. And then our main event in a Weapons and Tables Falls Anywhere match for the Jersey All Pro Tag Titles, the Hit Squad, Mafia Monster Matt, retained over the delinquents, Glenn Strange and Jay Lover. Okay, let's see what we've got here. Uh, is Elax the exploited child yet? Uh, well, he's younger, so maybe he is. Okay. Uh, what a team name STD is, especially for one involving Frankie Stars, who looks like he had many. <laughs> um, Manny Fernandez, I guess, is driving around with Loki and Homicide and company and teaching some of them how to work, at least, which... It was never until a few years ago that, that, like, even though I knew the whole connection there, I was watching, I think it was on an ICW show, Homicide, and he's doing that little circle he does into the lockup. And I'm like, oh, that's Manny Fernandez. Of course, that's his teacher. Yeah. Um, not who broke them in originally, but definitely who taught them how to work, especially Homicide. Um, Judas Young did kind of like a Mohawk punk rock gimmick, right? I think so. Flash Wheeler, not to be confused with Cash. Mark Real, of course, is Billy's brother. Uh, skinhead Ivan, of course, is a Puerto Rican gentleman doing a Nazi skinhead gimmick. And I think that's it. So still not quite what Jersey All Pro would turn into. but Well, these promotions are just now starting to you know, get going, such as the next one. Combat Zone Wrestling at Champs Arena in Sewell, New Jersey on March 11th. The Cash Marino brothers, Johnny Cashmere and Robin Marino, went to a no contest with the Softcore Connection, Nick Burke and Ty Street. Trent Acid beat White Lotus. No, not the critically acclaimed television show. Dallas went to Double DQ with Natasha. Mercury over TCK. Man Man Pondo won a staple gun match over me, Mitch Page. The Haas brothers, Charlie and Russ, retained the CCW Tag Titles, beating the Shane Twins. Or supposed to hear Shane Brother number one, Shane Brother number two. Yeah, they're not Mike and Todd here for some reason. World title match, Zandig went to no contest with John Cronus to retain his title. What the fuck? Nick Gage beat Justice Payne. And they battle your brothers. And then a uh, dart match for the CCW Iron Man title as White Beater beat Lobo to win the championship. Okay, okay, okay. They do not have TV yet. Dark match, I presume, means they ran out of tape in the camera, right? 
Or this could be, uh, I mean, I don't think it's DM for Deathmatch. Because it's DM instead of a number, so it's Dark Match. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what's going on here, but interesting. And yes, everybody, when the Haas brothers broke in, they broke in in the Northeast because they had been going to college in New Jersey at Seton Hall, and they worked Jersey All-Pro and CCW and ECWA and all those groups. Yeah, and Dom, I think part part of the deal with why Jersey All Pro and CCW were starting to get names for themselves is all the controversy that was going on at the time regarding them and the State Athletic Commission and hardcore wrestling and this, that, and the other. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> nothing is nothing sweeter than the forbidden fruit. So when you can watch the forbidden fruit or, or taste it in this case, it's that much sweeter. And I know, like, when I was a kid, like around this time, I'm about 10 at this time, you know, my parents didn't want me watching hardcore wrestling, you know, like that was like my mom thought all normal WF stuff was okay. And like WCW stuff, but like she'd see barbed wire and thumbtacks and she'd be like, what the hell? Absolutely not. Yeah. Cause Dave would talk about on Iata and stuff like that. And it like definitely appealed out to a, you know, a broader fan base, but getting that out there. So, Whoa, okay. This sounds it sounds like it's uh, risque or something about dirty or something like that, you know? They're yeah. doing all this crazy shit. And the actual band, though, it ends up being the best thing that could happen to Jersey All Pro, though. Yeah. And CZW got to start running shows in Delaware. And after that. more shows in Philly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, of course, Pennsylvania Commission is temperamental when it comes to what they'll allow. But. Um, I mean, the thing that's so weird, though, about that law, which basically never ended up really being properly enforced, was it was not a ban on what they were calling extreme wrestling, which was really just, like, blood and sharp implements that they were banning. But they weren't even outright banning it. It was that if you were promoting extreme wrestling, because you didn't need a promoter's license in New Jersey anymore since they deregulated in 97, um, Yeah, it was that you needed to apply to the commission to get an extreme wrestling promoter's license. Yeah. Which the commission didn't want. They didn't want to have to deal with this shit at this point. So no one ever ended up requesting a license. So once the heat died down, that's why promotions just started doing death matches in New Jersey again. Yeah. I mean, technically speaking, like GCW and H2O and companies like that could get in trouble. But it's probably never going to happen, and I would think the people who like to fuck with their and ICW and whoever's buildings, you know, probably know about this at this point. So I would think they've already tried and failed. So very weird. But anyway. Now let's go to the FWA, a favorite indie promotion of Rob Naylor and Mikey Falcone in their neck of the woods, Palo Alto, Pennsylvania, on March 11th. DZ Gillespie beat Jake Daniels. Dino Devine beat Soda Pop Ronnie Zuko. High Voltage over Ox Hog. Savoff over the Cremator. Don Montoya won a number one contender battle royal for the FBWA heavyweight title. Anna Flash and Danny Rose, the family of freaks, beat Bat Crew 1 and Bat Crew 2. Dog and Rose, so we know who's... Uh, License is being used here. Loki won a no DQ match over Master Mac. The Finn twins, Gregory Martin and Martin Shark Schrader, 
won the FWA Tag Titles, beating the Sex Idols, Keenan Creed and Tommy Idol. And Mike Quackenbush retained the FWA Heavyweight Title, beating Don Montoya in the main event. And no, Mike Quackenbush did not work the USA Pro Show as the filthy creep. <laughs> Remember, Chris, he he never had any, yes, he never had any relationships with trainees. Very specific sure. wording. That's all he said in his video. Trainees. Mm-hmm. I, I guess it's. I guess it doesn't count if they train somewhere else first. No. Or if they graduated. No, it does not. And there's FWA step on IWTV, folks. And probably this show's up there. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> check that yeah, out. I think all the shows are. It's you know, it's yeah. Mike Burns' promotion. Yeah. So everybody can go check that out on IWTV. Meanwhile, elsewhere in that part of Pennsylvania. Reading, Pennsylvania, for IWA on April, on April March the 10th. The Backseat Boys beat the Soul Brothers. Slambo the Clown <laughs> won a three-way dance over Vince Bono and Al Harris. <laughs> oh, oh, the names get better in the next match. <laughs> There's a battle royal one by the Hooch Oliar Brothers. No, it's the, I believe it's the Hooch Oller Brothers. Who's all brother? Whatever. C.W. Anderson beat James Proper. Nova beat Rapid Fire Maldonado. Oh, wait, I'm sensing a pattern here. Who's in the next match, Chris? <laughs> Steve Carita beat Tommy Golden. Oh, oh, I'm shocked that he's on this show. Jimmy Dio and Roadkill beat The Damned. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Maniac Demi Gio. <laughs> Demi Gio. Jimmy Dio was on a show in 2000. <laughs> yeah, Steve and Roadkill beating The Damned. And then our main event. Oh, of Jack- course he's on the show too. <laughs> Jack Victory over Harley Lewis. Oh, gee, I wonder who's booking this promotion. <laughs> oh, it's a promotion this uh, part of Pennsylvania in the early 2000s featuring uh, C.W. Anderson, Rapid Fire Maldonado, Nova, Steve Carino, Jack Victory. Hmm. One. Donald D. <laughs> oh no, I was thinking it was. I think I was thinking it was Carino that's booking. I think it's Donald B. involved in this somewhere, somehow, well, when, some way. When Donnie was doing uh, PCW, though, I don't think he used all of the Carino crew. <laughs> Good bit of it. I mean, Vince uh, Bono. <laughs> that is a fantastic indie name, Dom. Vince Bono. <laughs> Vince Bono is a, a solid one. Sometimes when I do these shows, I feel like every Adobe student that hasn't debuted yet should fear for what they could be named. <laughs> Slambo the Clown. <laughs> oh, Slambo the Clown is going into the into the repertoire for possibly somebody during the Halloween show next year. And also, like all of the all of the like really indie names in this era, they're all on the Eastern Seaboard from Maryland on up. You know. Oh yes, it's, and, yes, and yes, usually yes. not, and usually below New England too. Like New England yes. usually has normal names, but from like the tri-state area, basically. yeah, pretty much from the tri-state area down to Maryland and Virginia, you get you know these fuckers. <laughs> you know, Ke- yeah, Keenan yeah. Creed, Keenan spelled Q E N A A N, and that's not yeah, even a because... bad name. It's just the spelling. I mean, we're about. Let's get into, you know, the Southern style now. We go to NWA Nashville and listen to the difference in names. So we're starting Columbia, Tennessee on March 11th for 245 fans. It's Air Paris B. Jorge Estrada. 
Ronnie Lane over Big Billy Douglas, Wolfie D over Shane Eden, Gypsy Joe over Lucky 13, the clown by disqualification. Not to be confused with Pennsylvania's Lucky 13. Or Slambo. GQ over Lex, Alan Funk, Rick Cornell, and Jeff Daniels. Not the actor. Be Barry Houston, Sean O'Hare, and Walker Chris Harris. Oh, wait, since, we're in Nash- since we're in Nashville, is Barry Houston doing his male stripper gimmick? <laughs> Maybe. Gary Valiant it'd be Tony Falk. Is Gary Valiant friends with Dave Mysterio <laughs> and Dave Patera, though? And uh, Don DiBiase, and who's the other one? <laughs> who's the other DiBiase oh, we had? I can't remember now. Colorado Kid beat Chris Champion. Uh, the New South, Corey Williams and Ashley Hudson beat Tennessee Volunteers, Stephen Dunn and Reno Riggins. Okay, so what's the worst name here? Or Lucky 13, the clown. Yeah, I feel like the overall most Northeast name, though, would be uh, Gary Valiant. Now let's go to Nashville the next night for 125 fans at the TV taping. Colorado Kid over Big Billy Douglas. Gary Van over Lee Victory. Okay, that, that that's kind of right <laughs> in the middle of like a Northeast name and a Southern name for this era. Yeah. Tennessee Vols over Elizabeth Skipper and Crash. Wolfie D over GQ, which GQ is Sonny Siaki. The South Side Soldier beat Richard Lowe. New South and Chris Harris beat Jorge Estrada, Air Paris, and Adam Jacobs by disqualification. Rick Cornell and Alan Funk beat Barry Houston and Sean O'Hare. The Natural Born Thrillers beat Lonnie Lane and Neil Skipper. Oh, my God. And Skinny, and Skinny Kenny Arden and French Riviera beat King Cobra and The Soldier by disqualification. And since this is Bird, I'm presuming this is King Cobra from Memphis. Possible. Oh, my God. What? what? <laughs> Lee Victory is a very indie name, too. Lee Victory, yes. Yeah. Which, which natural born thrillers is it though? Um, especially based on who else? Actually, wait, they're not the natural born thrillers yet. So this is a, wait, but it's the Observer. It's not Cage Match. So it's probably Jindrak and maybe Jindrak and Mike Sanders. Or it may just be it. Oh, wait a second. No one WCW in this era it could just be someone else using the name, and that's where they stole it from. It's possible. All right, Memphis Championship Wrestling. Yes. They did a celebrity angle with Dustin Diamond playing his role as, as Screech from the various incarnations of Saved by the Bell on the Memphis Championship Wrestling tapings on March the 8th, which aired over the weekend. <laughs> Screech on both shows at Angles where he had a crush on the cat, Stacey Carter. She politely blew him off the first time. The second time, she blew him off politely again. The heels fabulous rocker, Chip Diver, and Danny B all attacked him, and they did the cliche that means nothing today of stretch and ambulance combination. Well, at least he sold and let the first member of the cast of that show, Mario Lopez, who did an angle where he took down Val Venus in an interview laughing about it and was never seen again, except for that cheesy Pacific Blue. Also, the tapings, they started a tournament, the crowning new MCW champion. They didn't announce when the tournament would conclude. Steve Regal debuted, and four star he lived the lightest he's lived in years with the gut noticeably down. He beat the Blue Meanie. At one point, Jim Neidhart went to attack him, but Bruce Pritchard ordered Neidhart away from ringside. Mr. Guy Coffey, a longtime Memphis backstage regular going back to the beginning of time, was at the tapings. Brickhouse Brown hit on Bobcat backstage. She blew him off exactly like the Bagwell angle on WCW. Well, I'm sure she knew of Brickhouse's uh, <laughs> his past. All right, so let's read the results here, and then we'll uh, we'll talk more about Dustin Diamond. 
Lumina or K Crush, Ron Killings. Mass Man number one, aka Edie Little, with half Mass Man, aka Hollywood Little, beat Brickhouse Brown. Todd Morton with Bull Pain and Alkeholic beat the Fabulous Rocker with Lady Vixen. Chip Diver went to no contest with the, with Reckless Youth when the KAW wrestlers interfered, and Jerry Lawler threw fire at Ali's face. Tomahawk beat Bull Pain by disqualification when Morton interfered. Lumini beat Jim Neinhardt in an MCW Championship tournament match. Reckless Youth over Todd Morton in another tournament match. Then we had the Screech Angle. Curtis Hughes over the half mass Man. Lawler beat Kick Crush. Fabulous Rock over Danny B. Bull Pain over Reckless Youth. Mass Man number one beat Neinhardt by a countout. Then Screech gave Cat some candy, turned him down. So when he insisted the heels beat up Diamond and was stretched on ambulance. Regal with Bruce Pritchard beat Blue Meanie and Lawler beat Curtis Hughes, after which Regal joined in a three-way brawl. Okay. Before we get to the clip, um, the deal with the kick-ass wrestling guys, because this is just a rebranded kick-ass wrestling, is that, you know, Bull Payne, Todd Morton, referee Alkeholic, um, Ali, and maybe a couple others were like, the guys who called themselves the Kick-Ass Re- still associated as Kick-Ass Wrestling because they resented it becoming Memphis Championship Wrestling. So that's kind of the idea there. Um, Tomahawk is Travis Tomko. Um, whether or not he is signed to a developmental contract or what and just gets cut and goes back to WWF years later, who knows? And is there anything else I wanted to clarify there? I think that's it. So, yeah, let's go to the clip, I guess. Yeah, so let's watch Screech in Memphis Championship Wrestling. With Lance Russell. With Lance Russell. Yes, and also for context, this is like eight weeks after the final episode of Saved by the Bell in the New Class airs. Well, here comes the cat. Back in the ring, who had some problems last week. Well, maybe we can do better. Lance, I'm not here to get something straight. Where, where's Dustin Screech? I know he's here. Come in here. Oh, we got this guy, Dustin, who plays Screech on Saved by the Bell, back again this week. He's a big fan of the cats. What's he got with him? What did, what did he rip off one of Jack Eaton's pork coats? <laughs> What is with Stacy's mic? I don't know, but that coat is amazing. That looks like a coat that somebody should would have wore twenty years earlier. Meanwhile, Lance is much more stylishly dressed than him. Lance looks like Christian. Yeah, he's got a turtleneck, and he's upgraded from his Baxter suit to something more fashionable. Yes. And uh, Stacy has the. Did she dye her hair, or was she wearing a black wig the whole time? She dyed her hair. Okay. Of course, I know. I'm really happy that you like me. No, 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 cat, I love you. <laughs> He's in love. He's in love with I the cat. I got you some chocolates, my love. Here, hold this. Oh, the mic works. No, it's just bad at it. You don't love me. You don't even know me. Of, of course, I know you. Armageddon. 
Now I know why he's in love. If you saw him again, you would be too. This isn't going to work. You know, I've, I've got a boyfriend. I'm perfectly happy with my boyfriend. I, I'm, I'm, Who's your boyfriend? You can, you can grow to love me. You can grow to love me as much as I love you. A boyfriend doesn't matter. That's not permanent. He's a homewrecker. I'm, I'm perfectly happy the way he starts, really. And I know you'll be happier with me. No, honestly, no. I, you just, don't, don't, don't have to touch me. I'm, you know, I'm. But I want to touch you. You're my love. Just yes, I think she's trying to get it across. She actually likes you. She appreciates you liking her. Come on, Kat, I love you. I know you can grow to love me as much as I love you. This is embarrassing. I don't love you. I have a boyfriend. Do not get that to you, Please, I got these candies here. These are great candies. Somebody get Lakeside on the phone. You just don't get it. Somebody in Bolivar, somewhere, you help us. You don't get it. Just leave me alone, okay? But... <laughs> no, no, please, please, come on. I know. Yeah, wait. Wait, come on. Oh, we got three guys now. They've sent out the fabulous rocker Chip Diver okay. and Danny B. Can you please? They're blocking away. Apparently, they. I don't know who you think you are, but the lady said no, and no means no, and she don't want your stinking candy. This is the last territory I would think to be pushing consent talk, but. <laughs> Whatever. Hey, Lance, give me a moment here. You are telling me that you know how the cat feels about me and what she does or does not want from me. Is that right? That's right. Oh, okay. Can you hold on? What is he doing over there? He's got that box of candy. What's he offering candy to him? I don't know. Do I want any candy? I know you do. Oh. Uh, yes, you're right, Lance. I agree with Lance. They're gonna kill Screech! They're gonna kill Screech! Oh, okay, it is appropriate for Memphis because the heels are the ones that are saying you should recognize a woman's yet. No. <laughs> oh my goodness. Still two and a half more minutes of this. Well, it doesn't look like he's going to be saved by the bell this time. <laughs> Leg drop out of Danny B. Someone get Eddie out here. Big frog splash. Mr. Guy. Rocker, fabulous rocker, Danny B, a chip diver. Standing up for the cat. I don't think she asked for the help, but they had had enough of Dustin Diamond being out here, the crazy stalker. Chip Diver has a position, drops with an elbow right out to his rib cage. Geez, you know, this is just a... Man, this is just a uh, guy on a TV show, Saved by the Bell, and they have really done a number on him. I don't think the cat necessarily asked those three guys down. Oh, look out, the rocker's back in here, Lance, again. <laughs> well, 
me tell you, Lance, you know, a lot of people are coming into Memphis Wrestling, and these are three guys, Chip Diver, Danny B, and Fabulous Rocker, who have been in Memphis Wrestling for the past several years. And I don't think they appreciate somebody coming in to Memphis Championship Wrestling and taking any kind of spotlight away from them. We've still got tournament matches. Blue Media is scheduled to go against Steven Regal. Steven Regal. Uh, we ought to take a break and give them oh, time boy, to uh, yeah. get <laughs> Dustin <laughs> Diamond out of here. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no, the chocolates. Okay, David, good idea. We'll take a break. We'll be back in a moment. Oh. Well, we're back, and this is what happened during the break. If you missed it just a few minutes ago, <laughs> Screech, yes, Screech from Saved by the Bell just got the crap kicked out of him by three wrestlers. He was stalking the cat or whatever, and this is, this happened during the break. They loaded him up in the ambulance. They're taking him off to the nearest hospital so they can check on him. Here's the cat standing back out, watching this going on, having second thoughts about the whole thing. The goof deserved it. Take him off. Take him back to Hollywood. What a weird angle. Uh, now, the question is, Dom, if you were going to pick any uh, television star from your youth to do an angle with, who would that be? Oh, man, that is a that's a great question. Um, hmm. Probably Ryder Strong, a.k.a. Sean Hunter. OK, well, there there is a wrestling tie in. I think there's a wrestling tie in. Also, I just, I just love Boy Meets World. Um, and I think that he's better than, uh, old, old Savage Boy, so I, I like that. Um, also, I guess if you're gonna do it now, Ethan Suple, who played Frankie Stacchino, would be awesome because he's in amazing shape now and he would look like a total, like, monster. Yeah. Okay. I have not seen 2023 Ethan Suple, now I'm curious. Oh. Holy oh. shit! I say you're in for a treat, Bex. He is in phenomenal shape. He's no longer staring, looking for sailboats. No, he is not. <laughs> he is. He, uh, before I uh, just quit on the Joe Rogan podcast, Rogan had him on there, and it was a really good episode actually talking about his weight loss journey and, and the things he would do. And it's, it was a really good episode, obviously. Um, but, yeah, it's Ethan Suplay would be like a sweet one to do now because of all the cool stuff he's done. Um and Souple is his name, so you could do a Souples on him. Well, it's Souple, but, yeah. but yes, well, it doesn't matter, Bix. Don't be so damn technical. So there you go. Uh, and uh, just to show how I guess his being younger than the rest of the cast would skew our perception. And everything doesn't Diamond just turn twenty three at this point? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like the WCW guys, though. He's been around so long, he seemed old. I mean, but he also does not look 23. Well, he had a hard hard life, hard living. Uh, I don't even know if he had yet. Oh, I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah, I mean, with the dynamic with the rest of the cast, though, and stuff, they, you know, it's kind of, it goes both ways, because then obviously he doesn't have the, the job and stuff, but it's like, I, you get the impression from the stories he told and you know after his death the way everyone kind of came around on him was talking more nicely about him and stuff and being so much younger than the rest of the cast kind of messed with how everyone treated him and caused a lot of issues yeah because he was three right. years younger despite everyone else being basically the age of the characters yeah 
All right, so let's go to Power Pro Wrestling. They had their 100 TV show, but Dave Brown wasn't there. As they did an angle where Havoc dismantled his truck, and he was going to have him arrested. Yeah, and to be clear, wow. by the way, because we are at the point where the WWF affiliation and Lawler have switched over to Memphis Championship Wrestling, and with Lawler goes Lance, this is just all whatever Memphis indie workers are not working for MCW. And David Corey. CBY is now calling himself CB Hales with new protege, the aristocrat, formerly Bulldog Reigns. A police officer during Havoc's match came out and distracted it, so he lost. His spray handcuffed him. They had the DNA test results on Randy Hales and Wyatt and Wyatt's mother, and Wyatt started rejoicing and asked Dad to come out, but Hales refused. <laughs> I bet Bulldog Reigns has a bunch of road stories from this promotion that he could end with the aristocrats. <laughs> Yeah. Brandon Baxter uh, introduced Wolfie D as newest member of the cartel. How original. They got a promo of was interrupted by a phone call from Dave Brown, who claimed he'd be unable to make the show because havoc of the cartel had tampered with his truck. Blade came to the ring, but was attacked by the cartel. Mr. Corey was announcing the show by himself, by the way. Chris Michaels over Adlin Steele by DQ when Lance Jade interfered. Okay, wait, 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 wait. So did he drive to New York? I guess so. I mean, so he is based out of Louisville at this point, I guess. White Lightning beat Havoc. Wolfie D over Derek King. CB Wyatt and his mother Julie came up for a promo. Wyatt took the results of the test, ripped them open, came up, jumped up and down, found out Hales was his dad. The aristocrat, Scott Reigns, when Bulldog Reigns made two fault for sure, he fought uh, when uh, Wyatt interfered. And Ali and Blade and Moondog beat seven in the regulators in your main event. Hmm. So there's Power Pro Wrestling. Yeah, the two promotions have a pretty big gulf between them in terms of the show quality at this point. All Pro Wrestling. Dave Meltzer was at All Pro Wrestling. Uh, San Leandro, California on March 11th. I saw a legit three and three quarter star match with Michael Monis and Donovan Morgan. The best match to compare it would be the 1997 Classic from Germany with Owen Harvest, Dave Boy Smith in the finals of the first European title tournament. This match had more dives and innovative spots, but the latter match was smoother and tighter because of the experience and skill level of those two at the time. It was like actually crowd response to that match. Because there were two blood ballets hit Rigside, the crowd couldn't get in, get their eyes off of them and get into the match, and even chanting boring loudly during early technical exchanges. Hmm. The same crowd never chanted boring once during undercar, which consisted of typical indie level type work. The crowd picked up, but the biggest pop was still for a surprise table spot. Not the contrived version, but one that came out of nowhere, didn't look set up, and that nobody in the crowd saw coming. When it was over, there were people who gave a stand ovation, but by and large, it seemed the crowd was more into a semifinal on the show, which had a lot of high spots, especially the finish, but the wrestling wasn't overall close to the same level. All right, our uh, results here. Frank Murdoch over Jack Perez. That's uh, Peter J. Perez, right? I guess Peter Snot and Seymour Snot over Sh- the Ballard brothers, Shannon Shallot about his qualification. Vance Vane over Bison Smith. Boom Boom Comedia over Nathaniel Sweets. Then uh, University of Waitano Mayock beat Tony Jones to win the title as Tony Jones is headed to Japan, as we talked about earlier in the show. Robert Thompson and Boyce Grand defeated Vinnie Massaro and Jardy Fronts. And Michael Monis over Donovan Morgan. You know uh, how you know that Dave is much higher on indie wrestling and WWF wrestling than he was 23 years ago? 
when was the last time we ever heard him condescendingly use the term a legit three and a half or three and three quarter star match? Because <laughs> he never said that about WCW, never said that about Japan, never said that about Mexico. It was always indie matches in WWF. Yeah. And he hasn't said it in a long time. I doubt he ever went to a PWG show and was like, oh, that was a legit match. Yeah. Yeah. Also, also another thing I'm getting sick of, and this is all every newsletter, um, when we go over these, is uh, the use of said to be. X is said to be Y. Well, That's one, that one's used a lot. Yeah. But um, you got these guys in the main event. Modest and Morgan, they've been around for a while now in this area. You know, it's the main event of the show. Everybody knows about to get a good batch. But the crowd's got their eyes on the blonde valets and Shannon Boring. Not good. No, especially because, I mean, you look at APW, you know, they've built so much stuff there. But, you know, I think we talked about this, you know, in the WWF section. You know, it's really the the time and place, you know, of the era. You know, we're in, you know, 2000 and people liked what they liked. And this is definitely a, uh, a TNA type of era where that stuff is much more intriguing to the to the common fan than good wrestling was yeah yeah i mean this is this is definitely something that probably could not happen today at the indie show because those fans that'd be doing that would be shouted down by the other fans yep 100 percent. so there is that yeah i mean when do we ever get any kind of boring chance anymore too very rarely. APW had a pretty low get-in price, right? Like, it was, like, a very cheap ticket, right? Well, this is one of their regular, like, road shows. This is not at the garage, but... Yeah. But I'm saying, sometimes you gotta look into, like, the guys buy cheap entertainment, buy something for cheap entertainment, they're gonna heckle for what they can heckle for, and they don't, they don't care how good the action is in front of them, you know? I guess that's... Gonna, I mean, you gonna have that, you're gonna have that a, a lot of shows, no matter what. Even then, that goes on today. You know, still today, but I mean, it's just it's the fact that you know the way the fans today treat the women is different than it was here in twenty two thousand. You know, so you just you just don't. It's hard to get away with that today, so to speak. Yes, unless you're sitting next to Liv Morgan at an NBA game. <laughs> well, that dude was just trying to talk. You I know. And, and and she acknowledged it, which is funny. So, it went viral very quickly as we were recording. Oh this. yes, oh yes. When so. I saw it, it was like twenty minutes old and over a hundred thousand views. Yeah, so almost five hundred thousand now. And um, I'll be interested to see if they don't do a parody of this on SmackDown or something. <laughs> but, oh yes. Fun times indeed, but Tony Jones, Dom, real quick, um, you weren't in for with us for the Japan session. We talked about him going to Battle Arts. Uh, he's the type of guy that definitely would have fit in and and did fit in there when he worked there. Yeah, to- Tony is a guy that probably, if he comes around ten years later, is like a massive Gabe Sapolsky, or not ten years later, probably six seven years later, is a massive Gabe project that he probably pushes to the moon um, based on the style that clearly Gabe was into. Um, 
I don't know. Hey, Tony Jones, I doubt you listen to the show, but the offer is still out there for you and Modest uh, for Jaylet. Every year that offer's out there. There's three There's three offers that Thorne and I will make sure get made every year. Uh, Reckless Youth, Tony Jones, Mike Modest. But the agreement on Modest and Jones is they have to wrestle each other in the first round. <laughs> Take him well, up on it. Somebody get the word to those guys. Tony, Tony Jones, and he does a lot of great stuff still in the California Indie scene. I know, like, uh, Nicole Savoy, you know, credited him for a lot uh, in her career. So once again, I just think that Tony Jones is another one of those guys. And Thor and I actually had a had a had a huge discussion on Mike Modest like two weeks ago because uh, that guy who has done some of those documentaries. I watched the Bison Smith one, and then I watched the Modest one right after. And Thorne watched it. I had sent it to Thorne, but Thorne's always a big Mike Modest guy. And you know, Modest had a great career. You know, short of getting to, like, I mean, he had the WCW run, but never really got to a major major. And obviously, you know, in a different time and era, he's gonna definitely get a run in a major. But those APW guys, man, realistically, you know, it's kind of one of that first era of indie guys that is really special. Um, that kind of got trained from the ground up in that more modern era indie style. Um, and they kind of also got brought up in a weird time too, where near the tail end, yeah, they were there for WCW and the end of WCW and ECW, but guys like Modest and Donovan Morgan, Bison, and, you know, Tony Jones for that matter, they kind of didn't have a leg to stand on and they had to navigate a brand new field of, well, there's one major company, and I guess we got Japan, and everything else in America was just in such a transitionary period. We had a really good talk with Paul London about this when we had him in there of how he is another one of those guys that kind of came along and had to really kind of figure out how it all worked in a completely new landscape and found a way to blend kind of the old school style and then the kind of more modernized indie style together. Yeah, uh, you know. I mean, Modest had a really good run in Noah, though, and so but, did Morgan. Yeah, so I, was, I, was, I was about to bring that up. Those guys did get their shine in Noah, Modest and Morgan. And that was a major promotion at the time. Now, Tony, Jones, Tony Jones, Robert Thompson, Boyce LeGrand, Vinny. guys like that. Yeah. Vinny, yeah, they did. They did. Bison Smith did, too, though. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, Bison did. But I'm talking about... Good yeah. run, though. Yeah, it's a shame that... But, yeah, you know, Tony Bison, and Robert Bison, you put Bison in a 20, let's say 2017 indie spectrum. Bison is pushed to the gills of the Triple H run NXT for sure. Oh, yeah, he, he, he would get developmental. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, great. So he'd have to deal with Triple H staring at him awkwardly while he gets stressed again. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe so. I don't know. All right, let's close out with everyone's favorite world championship wrestling. And what a week this is for them. Oh, my goodness gracious. World championship wrestling had what was on paper its most successful weekend in at least a year, drawing three consecutive sellouts. Largely very enthusiastic fans and selling out all the merchandise in the United Kingdom. While the gates were huge, reaction to the shows by the time they were over was typical of the WCW Shoot Yourself with a Foot Tour 2000. Birmingham drew 11812 paying 383976 London drew 10450 paying 375-411. And Manchester drew 16318 which had a few thousand empty seats, which were technical holes, so the building itself was sold out of available seats, paying 447436 Okay, real quick. 
is it this tour or the Australian tour that year where WCW lawyers screwed up with the contracts with the local promoters that said WCW had to pay for unsold seat pay the promoters for the unsold seats, but it didn't have a carve out for production kills. Was it this or Australia? Because no, one of those tours, which were these big successes at the gate, ended up losing money because of that. No idea. WCW, everybody. Oh, well, <laughs> they didn't even seem to... It didn't seem fit to even announce a level this level of success on television when they came home. Of course not. It's WCW. On the surface, that would seem like great news, and WCW's plan to return from November. Reports indicate the crowds were hot to see a big show, and WCW brought all the trappings, such as the pyro... Nitro Girls, along with injured stars like Bret Hart, Buff Bagwell, and Kevin Nash. But reports from the shows were strongly negative across the board at the wrestling itself. And the fact that the perceived top guys like Steam, Bill Goldberg, who were both on the tickets themselves, and Sid Vicious weren't there. Goldberg, DDP, Steam, Scott Hall, and Billy Kidman were all advertised ahead of time as being on the tour, or this as being there in the program. Bret was clearly the biggest star of the tour, getting huge reactions for interviews in all three cities, with loud chants for both himself and Owen Hart. Brett received a standing ovation in London, talking about his 1992 match at Wembley Stadium with Dave Boy Smith, which he said was the best match of his career. And strongly hit on the final night, this would be his last appearance ever in the UK. He was visibly choked up about it. Brett in Birmingham talked about his 1997 match in the same building as The Undertaker. In Birmingham, he said that he was advised not to fly, but had waited three years to come back to England and see who had wrestled if there was any way he wouldn't be putting himself at serious risk by doing so. He didn't say he didn't want to wind up like Muhammad Ali or not be able to remember all the good times he's had throughout his career. He actually brought up his memory losses from his latest concussion and how it scared him in the reality, and ended up said this may be goodbye forever, getting a true standing ovation. God, that had to suffer for it. Because you know, you know how excited he was about working in England and stuff, and there's this big tour that's been in the works, and he's there, going. he, he goes there, but he can't wrestle. God, that had to be frustrating. Oof. Yeah, I mean... I guess this far into a concussion, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing unhealthy about flying, right? No. Um, and it clearly meant a lot to him, you know. And clearly, he wanted to do it, and it helped. And I think for being around a little more, by the way, I think it was the Australian tour where they did the TV okay. that had the uh, ticket thing. Um, but they appear to be trying to pull out all the stops. I mean, the interesting thing to think about too, though, is like what. Australia makes more sense as far as drawing so well. Australia is starved. Australia has not had Major League American wrestling since 1986. And what they got in 86 was like C-team to D-team WWF. For the most part. Yeah. Uh, why do you guys think this British tour drew so well with this WCW? Is it just that they had enough of the boom stars that had never been there before? Gotta be. I guess so, right? You've got Nash, you've got Sting, in some form. You know, or at least they advertised, you know, Sting and DP well. and Goldberg and Hall. Also, it's like, I gotta think that's what drew. It's not that WCW is hot, it's that WCW's never been there, and there's still enough left over from the NWO boom that seeing these guys in person is a big deal. Yeah, they haven't been there in years. Because they never went over there during the NWO period. No, they hadn't gone since 94, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's got something that ain't been there in six years. So it's, it's 
kind of new to these people. But, I mean, even though WCW is WCW, it's still big-time American pro wrestling coming to their country. Yeah. Um, so, real quick, looking at that last... And look, how the, and look how they treated TNA, Bix. <laughs> you know? But the TNA thing seemed to be more in, of an investment in TNA proper, though, on the part well, of the fan base. Well, still, you know? Um, so looking at the 94 results of that European tour, because uh, they did have Continental Europe for that one, too. They did 6,000 in Zurich. This is the Hogan Flyer European tour uh, in September. 2,000 in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. 2,000 in London. Uh... Nothing listed in Schwerin, Germany. 7,700 in Bad Segeberg, Germany. And the rest don't have attendance, it looks like. Uh, oh, Frankfurt did 5,000. So Dortmund, 7,200. So as far as England, though, you know, big change in the last six years, almost, that they're drawing these huge crowds at what's arguably a weaker time for WCW in the States than late 94 yeah but it's not as weak over again it's you know i mean it's the nwo you know they have not been since yep so that's the difference well i just realized the other thing too not only nwo but hall and nash are big wwf stars of the wwf the later part of the wwf european boom yeah and brett's and brett's supposed to be there so yeah you got that yeah. factor involved as well. So, anyway, Dom, it has to be tough for a wrestler to go to a place that they want to wrestle, but they're not able to wrestle because of injury. That would be that would be brutal in terms of like just the sheer length of that flight. And back then, like there, the entertainment options on a flight are definitely not what we have now. Um, so I can only imagine, like, when I when I couldn't wrestle, like, for that time I was off in 2021, and, like, I remember I got brought out to do agenting and production at, like, an MLW show, and I just remember, like, just being like, man, I wish I could do more than what I'm doing here. And I can only imagine, you know, going all the way to the UK to do that. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's got, it had to be just excruciating. All right. Um, most reports indicated Vampiro got the last response of WCW's in-ring wrestlers every night. Something I'm surprised is he's only started getting pushed on television. The name on all three nights was a disappointment. On the first night, they used Rick Flair's skirt hitting on top, and from all indications, they had a good technical match that the crowd wasn't into with lots of Goldberg chants, and even chants for Sid Vicious, and overall, the two not getting heat. After the match, Lex Luger and Elizabeth did a run-in, leaving Bagwell to make the save, and the show actually ended with Bagwell in the ring with his music playing, saying, you didn't get Goldberg, and you didn't get Steam, but you got Buff, and he's a stuff. <laughs> Needless to say, that interview wasn't exactly well-received by the audience. The second night in London, the main event started as Lex Luger versus Booker T, which ended with Flair and hitting Buffett and Fury, and Commissioner Kevin Nash turning into a tag match. No chance for Goldberg because fans were told when the car started it would be an eight-match show. And if the Luger-Booker match, which was turned to a tag, was counted as two matches, it was. But most of the audience assumed there was still a main event to follow, and when there wasn't, they left disappointed. Nash, who has dropped the amnesia Commissioner Gordon gimmick, 
was on crutches despite being on two major television shows promoting the tour, walking around and acting fine. Oof. <laughs> that means to have everybody. They put Flair and Luger versus Vampiro and Kurt Henning in the middle of the card in Manchester. Even then, Vampiro was only wrestled really over the crowd except for Bagwell doing the run at the finish while the fight all died. With Bagwell interfering, leading to Henning pinning Flair while at the same time Luger pinned Vampiro. This led to a huge disappointment event. Headlined by local boxer Steve the Viking Foster, working as an outside the ring second referee for the Mamelukes tactile defense against the Harris twins. The match had no heat and lots of missed spots with fans falling out as it was going on. Ron Harris actually grabbed the house mic and ripped on the fans for not caring about the match. <laughs> Reports were the match was terrible. Foster, who weighs 100, about 168 pounds a day, a local level boxer in 1987, was challenged for the WBO light middleweight title, junior middleweight, 154 pound division. Um, Use a right hook to floor Har- Ron Harrison, fast count the pin at the first ref was bumped. Foster were told wasn't a big enough name next to help sell tickets, and most fans in attendance didn't even know who he was. Yeesh. <sighs> the first night in Birmingham, Nash came out in the wheelchair and ordered Elizabeth to the bat before a Luger Vampiro match, which Luger won with the rack. When Elizabeth showed back up and hit Vampiro with a bat, Nash was said to be embarrassing. Badly slurring his words. Nash also ordered Elizabeth away from the ring on the third night, again on crutches. The tour featured the Nitro Girls, including Miss Hancock performing in that guy's doing her distracted wrestlers routine, in addition to being Sky dancing as a Nitro Girl in a totally different outfit. <laughs> that was never everybody. She hasn't been a Nitro Girl Jeff, Sky Jeff, in six months. Well, she was in the, on this tour, Bix. Jeff Jarrett missed the first night of the tour, apparently because he had lost his passport, and before the problems could be cleared up, he had to take a later flight. Sid wasn't there. According to WCW sources, because he's not allowed in the country due to the Arn Anderson in 1993 when they got to the very serious fight while on tour. However, in 1996, he appeared in England working with WWF. Still was doing autograph shows in the U.S. over the weekend. Okay, okay, I'm so confused. <laughs> well, well, yeah, it's not like that was, psych- that, that, no, that was psycho Sid. This is Sid Vicious. It's not like he's ever no-showed a show claiming he was banned from traveling before. <laughs> Maybe they thought he was actually Sid Vicious, that, that uh, he wasn't really dead. Did he have a biographer in England that he was looking forward <laughs> to meeting up with? <laughs> anyway, in a funny segment in London, Jim Duncan got the crowd chatting USA in his match against UK wrestler Dave Finley. But it didn't go over well as in Birmingham, which had a younger audience that didn't remember Duncan from WF days as well. In Birmingham from the main event, Michael Buffer announced Kurt Henning as a six-time world champion. Oh, I must have missed all those title reigns. Yeah. Morale's at an even lower level than it was before. The latest stems from Brett, Brett having his contract cut in half while being out of action due to the injury. While in England, Brett probably told several of the wrestlers the first two nights most of what he pretty well said in the ring in Manchester about there being a good chance his career was over, and he was pretty choked up about it. When the word got out about his contract, it brought the old double standards, let them enforce Mrs. Goldberg's in the same situation for the same amount of time. He ain't got his pay cut. And that's virtually all the big names when they've had time off for injuries like Sting. The feeling is also if they do what, what they would do to Brett, you have to really hide the food chain now to avoid it. But still with the knowledge people they see as the very top people still won't have the rules applying to them. Okay, yeah, wait a second. I always forgot about that part. You know, when we talk about the contract being cut in half and then a quarter and then him being fired, Goldberg was pulled from the pay-per-view like the same week that Brett got pulled. Mm-hmm. Yes. Why is Goldberg's contract not being cut? Because he's Goldberg. 
but he's Bret Hart. Well, <laughs> he was on. He's not a homemade guy. Not yeah, Bill Goldberg they're, they're, was. They're also paying Goldberg more money. Doesn't matter. It's Goldberg. He's a Georgia Bulldog, Bix. They probably associate Goldberg more with WCW exactly. does than they do Bret Hart, who made his whole career, you know, up uh, up in Stanford. Yeah. And they see Bret Bret Hart as this whiner and all this other stuff too. So he's not one of us. He's a, he's a Canadian. Uh, I mean, also the fact is like it also just seems like an extra bad idea. And again, it just shows you how bad WCW is at these things. Wouldn't Brett, the guy who may end up being permanently disabled because no one noticed he had a concussion, isn't he the one more likely to sue over the injury than the guy whose injury was his own fault? Might they care about lawsuits? Let us sell out of court. <laughs> what are you talking it costs about? Money though. It, like, actually, yeah. it's kind of amazing. Brett never sued them. They just thought it wasn't even worth it. But it is, you know, but it's worth it. It's WCW. They'll settle. <laughs> well, we know that. You don't think Brett knew that? Oh, I see. Maybe Brett heard things about WCW and he decided not to act because he thought the WCW would behave differently from WCW. <laughs> Maybe. What a tour. <laughs> yeah. And I'm also, the main event in Manchester, that's so weird, too, because it's like, you have bigger matches on the card. Multiple bigger matches. Why are you slotting that as the main event? The the Mamelukes against the Harris Twins. Because it's the, the, the boxer, Steve Foster. Who, as a boxing guy... Then put him I, in... I, I, I knew of Steve Foster, but he, I mean, he never fought on American television. Um, he, wasn't, he wasn't one of the biggest named UK fighters at the time period. So... Okay, but again, though, why does why does he have to be in the corner of the Mamelukes? Because they're the babyfaces. No, why can't he be in Booker T's corner? Why can't he be in Terry Funk's corner? Why can't he be in Kurt Hennig and Vampiro's corner? I don't know. I don't book. I'm not booking this show. <laughs> it's like Kevin Sullivan, whoever, or Terry Taylor, whoever's are booking the house shows. Well, one of them would, would take my calls. The other would not. All right, uh, looking real quick... Uh, but to give you the gist of the lineup here, uh, Norman Smiley beat Brian Nobbs, The Wall beat David Flair, Doug and Ruff Finley, uh, Terry Funk over Dustin Rhodes, Booker over Jarrett, and Mama Luke's over the Harris's, and Henning and Vampire over Flair and Luger. That was Manchester's car. So. Yeah, there are three matches that would have made more sense as main events. Yeah, so I don't know. It's, it's fucking WCW. But I mean, they did great business, though, but still, what does it matter? Yeah. You don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Your your company's morale's terrible. And you have shit like this going on. Brian Knobs shaved the wall's eyebrow. Some of David Flair's eyebrow are both out of it and only during the England tour. Oh, that's the least shocking thing ever. And the torch said one wrestler told the torch is terrible. Every time I go out, people on the street are telling me WCW sucks and I should go to WF. Uh, why do I get the feeling this is also someone who then went to TNA and was constantly asked by wrestlers at airports if he was still in wrestling? I mean, by wrestling fans in airports. If you <laughs> it's like my favorite when it's like, oh, they tell me I should go to the WWF. Uh, yeah, man, that's just how it works. I mean, I can just go there and say, hey, sign me. Sick. 
have you ever had any of those Mark Indy fans come up to you, Dom, and and say, "Why aren't you in WWE?" Uh, I've had that. I had a I had someone who worked in the WWE come up to me and Kevin and be like, "You guys should be here. You guys should you guys should come work here." It's like, yeah, like you work there. You kind of know that's not how this works. <laughs> I'll tell you guys off air who that is. Okay. All right. <laughs> Yeah, like, it, yeah, you know, it, it invite y'all down to Orlando and you get down there while you're here. Job. <laughs> I want to keep working my day job and, and not get paid to work out and hang out with uh, the former DX and Norman Smiley. <laughs> yes. Oh, me. All right, now let's go to what we all want to talk about television. Thunder on March 8th was taped in Winston-Salem, North Carolina on March 7th. In front of a thousand ninety-eight paid, or thirty-one thousand dollar gate though, thirty-one thousand thirty dollars in Winston Salem though. <laughs> WCW yeah. in possibly their birth best per what or their best per cap market. But the thing is though, is look at that gate. <laughs> oh, it's, it's two thousand, and tickets are getting more expensive. So the average ticket price is about thirty bucks. Insanity. There's one great thing, good thing about one good thing about the show. The angle of Ric Flair and Arn Anderson was the best angle in any WCW TV show in months. And except for the Mick Fuller retirement speech, Arn Anderson did the best interview for any promotion so far this year. We'll have more than that when we get to Thunder Proper. On the worldwide tapings, apparently the tag match for Chavo Jr. and La Parca be Super, Super King and El Dandy, who at one time were a great tag team together in Mexico, was really good, and the crowd got into it. Not a surprise. Yes, and also... Pretty much starting at the end of 99 and through the end. Well, especially once... Uh, I mean, Saturday Night's the leader for once it's still around. Once Saturday Night has gone worldwide is far and away the best WCW show. Yeah. Thunder opened up with the artist versus Psychosis. Reverend Stewart Jr. came out and got a healthy pop doing commentary. Tuka Guerrero was at ringside. After a red bump, Sakosis had a pin, but Hoobie counted the three. But the ref instead DQ'd the artist at 301 to keep the title. They used to call that the dusty finish, and it was known for killing cities and territories. <laughs> now people just yawn. You know the few that still buy the tickets. <laughs> oh, I mean, Dave's already salty already as we start up here. Well, also, I mean, it was an Eddie Graham finish. And yes. he's booking. Kevin Sullivan. Exactly. Because Eddie Graham was his one of his wrestling fathers. Yeah, just like uh, Mark Lewin was his other booking influence, uh, as well as uh, his other wrestling father, period, of course, would be father. Concur. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, so next we get Flair and Arn. And this is uh, the setup, the big uh, angle that's coming up later in the show. So let's go to the clip. Making sure that I'm uh, sharing the right. Window. Okay, there we go. And again, I told you I think Iron is dead weight. I know your relationship, but come on, man, we gotta get an answer. We never put up with what we put up with last night. He stuck his nose in our business, and we were taking care of business in the ring. Come on, Nate, what's it gonna be? I gave him my word. He's a player. He's still a player. I promise you. I know he's in the building tonight. I know I'll get him out there in front of all these people. He will become part of the team package. We get an answer. I'll deliver, I will deliver Iron tonight. I promise. All right. I hate that they're still doing the NYPD blue camera movement from the Russo era. <laughs> you know, I, I, 
I guess this is just the time to talk about it too. Like, we'll see as we get through these shows. We talked about this before we started recording, and we were queuing up and setting up the clips and stuff. There is so much more Russo stuff retained throughout the Sullivan stint that last three months than I think we all remember it being. Yeah, because it's always retroactively put the Russo. Yeah. All right, the demon pinned the idol in 213 with a rock bottom. No, not the <laughs> idol, idol. I know. Idol of 2XS. Well, are they 2XS or are they XS at this point? Because I was doing my Bret Hart, uh, the idol. Oh, uh, okay. Well, yes, there is that. Um, <laughs> yeah, idol is, of course, Lodi. Yes, team par- tag team partner of Lane. Lane. Lane, yes. And eventually, out of some sort of fear of legal issues from uh, Billy Idol, that comes apparently, up. yes. Oh, oh, it comes up out later, that. yes, because he changed his name to Rave. So anyway, uh, Demon Pin Idol two thirty two in a rock bottom. Miss Hancock came out and kissed Idol, who was stunned enough for Demon to score a pin. Lane laid out Demon at the match until Norman smiley made the save. What a tag match this is building up for. Miss you know, Hancock, who was formerly with Lenny Elodi. <laughs> Oh, yeah, wait a second. <laughs> also, you know, for for a character whose whole persona is cutting promos talking about Rizats and where to find Rizats, <laughs> I don't know if he should be so startled by uh, Stacey Keebler. <laughs> wow. There wasn't no Rizats that looked like Stacey Keebler, brother, I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's why. I guarantee you there were older guys in that locker room, though, that called her a Rizat for choosing David Flair, though. (laughs) Oh, well, I don't think they would call her that as much as they would call her a fucking uh, gold digger. Oh, yeah, because Ric Flair has so much liquidity. (laughs) Well, it was uh, as far as, like, moving up into the, you know, moving up, getting standard. To the east side. <laughs> get standing in the company. <laughs> but anyway, they didn't link the interview where Bam Bam Bigelow was mad at the wall for starting him in the business. Actually, the wall was started by Larry Sharp, who started Bigelow. But in storyline, wasn't Wall this German bodyguard for Alice Wright? And what he turned into? The monster wall then chose Sam Bigelow to a table and destroyed David Flair and Crowbar again, winding up with all three going on a stretch. <laughs> Okay. Yes, the wall is still Alex Wright's German bodyguard, supposedly, but Bam and Bigelow started him in the business. <laughs> well, at least it's good then that they t- named him the wall and did not go with the intended German name for him of Mercedes Diesel. <laughs> wait, did you say, wait, how did you pronounce her name, Tom? Money? No, it's not that. It's money. Oh, I know it's money. <laughs> now this makes me want to see Kevin Nash uh, in the Mercedes Money uh, gear. <laughs> Mercedes Diesel. <laughs> would he die? Would he dye his hair purple in a how to come tribute as well? <laughs> Maybe. Yes. Uh, Miller. No, wait. Yeah. Remember, we have something that's not listed in the Observer. Oh, I thought that was after that. Sorry. All right. No. Yes. Hulk Hogan has a promo here, a tape promo. And yes, it's time to talk about the Yappa Pie Strap. Yes. I'm not sure if this is the promo, but it's definitely a promo about the Yappa Pie Strap match. 
Hey, Ric Flair, I'm watching you, brother, and I hope you're having fun because I got a bunch of different straps made up, brother, a bunch of different leather. Hey, what you gonna do when I strap you? What you gonna do, Flair? What you gonna do? What you gonna do? Lord Rick Flair has been sending a message to Hulk Hogan. They call Hulk him Mr. Message. Wonderful. I know. Going to be but actually, it is the show. Another in that big showdown, that big strap match on March the 19th. Well done. And there's Ryan Shamrock, too. Wonderful. And Shamrock left his wife for the actress who played his sister. <laughs> it was named after his son. Yes. <laughs> no wonder it was booked by Russo. <laughs> Ernest Miller made the Maestro 129 to hit him with a boombox. So there's that. Yeah, I love Dust- that it's just the Mr. Wonderful theme without the lyrics. All right, Dustin Rose beat Lash LaRue in uh, 67 seconds with a bulldog. This started when Dustin attacked LaRue during an interview. The interview was suspicious for the star since Lash LaRue never gets interview time. He had nothing to say. Come, come to think of it, the latter is <laughs> different than most of the WWE's main eventers when a mic is put in their face. <laughs> and by the way, uh, not mentioned in the recap, but in the th- thumbnail and chapter marks on the network, there is a segment that is just referred to as Vampiro Talks to Himself. <laughs> All right, let's watch this Dustin Rose Lash LaRue deal here because Terry Funk shows up in Terry Funk fashion. Oh, I have to cue this up? Okay. Just go ahead and play. Now, because this is a short segment. Okay. Oh, wait, did I go too far ahead? Okay. Can you play it? Can you play it right now? It doesn't matter. Okay. And he's not satisfied with a victory in this unscheduled match. And here comes the hardcore legend Terry Funk. Oh, he's got the raw chicken. He's got a raw chicken. We saw it Monday on Nitro. <laughs> Terry Funk has got the chicken in his hand. He just hit Dustin Rhodes on the side of the head, just winds up and got him again. As only Terry Funk can do. I was waiting for you to call it a foul ball, Brain. I'm not that way. <laughs> got him again. <laughs> On an extra <laughs> or original. Oh, now he's putting it on his hand like a boxing glove. And remember, he's, he's done a promo before this where he actually had hand. it on both hands. And he just knocked him out with a chicken, as only Terry Funk can do. Thank God Dustin Terry doesn't gig here. Can you imagine the infection? Who will square off on March the 19th? <laughs> Maybe like he works in uh, Wait a minute. We don't have to wait until butcher. then. It's not over yet. Terry Funk may be eating that chicken for oh, you. Dustin's mean obscure wrestler of Dula the Butcher? <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Did he just that elbow drop elbow nothing? Oh, no. He elbow dropped the chicken. Okay, let's go back and make sure. Well then. It's not over yet. Terry Funk may be eating that chicken before Dustin's done with him. Okay, yeah, I guess it was the chicken, but the camera didn't really Dustin pick it up well. Turning yeah, his attention to the chicken. He dropped the elbow on the chicken, and then he's hitting Funk with it in the head. Thunder continues to be the craziest, most unpredictable program in wrestling. 
Boy, you, you got that right. Fact, we got two of the toughest guys that ever came out of Texas. I'm talking about fucking roads. You got a chicken involved. They're going into the stands. What is that pay-per-view going to be like, Mike? It's going to be off the charts, and Terry Funk is going to follow Dustin Rhodes into the crowd. Well, you think this is the first time Terry Funk's ever fought in the aisles or outdoors and in the parking lot? Uh-uh. Not the first and not the last. Oh, God. And here you see T. Uh, I love them. <laughs> they just cut on someone in the background. You're like, oh, God. Uh, um, back. <laughs> is this before or after the segment where Cody shows up in the chicken suit? I think it's before. Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Dom, um, is there going to come a time when you will use a whole fryer in a wrestling match like we just saw here? I hope if I can get to the career longevity of one Terry Funk that I would just be able to get away with that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, maybe on a booking where I give zero Fs, um, <laughs> that'd be one. But that's, I mean, that's just also a funk. Like, obviously, you know, one of probably the absolute best AW moments of all time was – Terry just smoking the Duke and Kingston that night, which when he agreed to do that booking, I think John's mentioned it on, on the AW podcast, like Terry Funk had no plans to do anything physical. You know, Thorne was like, I'm going to try to like ease him in, get a couple Bud Lights in him and see how he feels. And all he wanted was a couple punches and Terry tore the concession stand apart, gave Kingston a DDC on, on the floor. It was <laughs> awesome. Terry was the best. When we yeah, got Great small time. Now, from a kayfabe credibility point of view, though, shouldn't you be using a chicken that is still frozen, both because it's a better weapon and because it would negate the germs <laughs> and the bacteria? I mean, technically, if you want to get you know down to it, I guess so, Vix. Yeah. We don't sell our chi- our chickens are fresh, never frozen. That's our our hook in our store. We do not sell frozen chickens. Oh, you don't sell any? Interesting. No, not like that. No, fresh, never frozen, brother. That, yep. that that's what our our people want. But if, yeah, I didn't know that until a few years ago until I was at supermarket and the fish guy mentioned it to me. I forget how it even came up that freezing and even just putting on ice actually does help with killing bacteria the same way that heat does. Yeah, but it's it's about the taste. No, I know. I'm talking about – we're not talking <laughs> about eating it, Chris. We're talking about using it as a weapon to bludgeon someone with. I know, but I'm talking about eating frozen chicken. Okay. There, believe me, there is a difference. <laughs> oh, absolutely, there is a difference. Yeah. So, anyway, all right. So next, we get team package out, and uh, Arn comes out as Flair calls him out, and Arn lets him know what the deal is in Arn's way. Let's go to the clip. Yeah, we're gonna at least watch Arn's promo and see how it goes because this is long. You can tell the lifestyle is getting to Liz, by the way. Let me start off here, uh, Rick, by clearing up something. Did you say out here subservient to you? See, I've, I've stood beside you so long that maybe I forgot to stand up to you. I'm not subservient to anybody. Let's get that started right out of the chute. Now... There's some uh, familiar faces here for both you and I, so let's don't talk at these people. Let's just talk to them 
in each other. Because this is, after all, about you and I, not him and her. Isn't it? You don't want to just shake hands and jump over here? There's nothing to talk about. You're going to do what I asked you to do because you're my friend, my best friend. You're going to come over here and prove to him I'm not a liar. Now shake his hand, damn it. Don't make a fool out of me. (laughs) Do it. Do it. Well, Governor, it kind of goes like this. You are my best friend, and you brought me out here, so... I'm going to say a few things to you that you might not like, but you're going to hear me out this time. You see, Ric Flair, you got a 21-year-old son, and maybe that doesn't matter to you, but Monday night was his 21st birthday. Now, you and I have been up down these roads, and we've been to towns just like this for the last 15 years. You live in a million and a half dollar house. You got two Mercedes. You got boats. You got motorcycles. You got a bunch of money in the bank. You got a closet full of the finest clothes that money can buy. But the reality is, Rick, you and I aren't very good fathers. And we're not very good husbands. Because last year, 200 of those days, we are up and down these roads. But you got a chance with David, who's with you each and every day, to be a father. Because you see, three years ago, this ended for me. It's over for me. It's over. And it's going to be over for you soon. Guys like David are just beginning. For him to get half killed Monday night, you not to make a move again tonight, not to make a move. Do you realize the pressure that he's under alone just being your kid? How would you like to be Ric Flair's kid, the finest wrestler that ever lived, much less the strongest personality that's walking these streets? You realize what a pressure position he's under? Listen to him, Rick. They love you. I spent a lifetime idolizing you. But now I'm not standing beside you. I'm standing up to you because you know why? David can't. Now you got Luger standing beside you who we've known for a long time. Luger was a horseman. Luger's always been an egomaniac. It doesn't detract from what he is. He's one of the finest wrestlers alive. We know that. I know that. Everybody in the back knows that. But the fact is, Luger cares about Luger. It doesn't matter about David. It doesn't about you. even matter about you, Rick. It's about Luger and Team Package. It's not Team Flair. It's Team Package. You ever think about that? Team package. You're Ric Flair, by God. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? You're Ric Flair. And David Flair is your son. Don't give him a hand out, Rick. Give him a hand up. Be a man. Be a father. Boy, is that from the heart. You know what really hurts about this deal? Did you read the forward on your book? Did you read what I told the world? My best friend, that's between you and me. They don't need to know what goes on in our private life. That's you and me. And here's the difference. You decided to go home on a private conversation with me one night and raise your little boy. Me, I want to ride the Learjet. I want to hang around Luger. 
I want to stay all night. I don't want to go. I've raised four kids. I've done being daddy. I want to ride fast again. I tried slowing down. When I slowed down, this company kicked me in the ass. Right in the ass. So to this company and to you, I say, in your words, Ric Flair has strapped his jetpack back on, and I'm going all the way. And if it's with Team Package, forget about David. God, you're right. He is my son. And you know what? He's had the world by the ass for 21 years. Now he's got a, what do you call it? Stand up, be a man. Me, I'm going with the package. And you, as my friend, telling you, walk over here right now and don't make me look bad. You're making me mad. You're double A. Don't go home and be daddy anymore. Be the enforcer. Be double A. Come on. Show him. I told him. Show him. You're double A. Shut up, damn it. That's double A. <laughs> Here's the You're reality. double A. Here's the reality. You bet your backside I'm double A, and I got maybe one or two more good fights left than me. But the fact is, Rick, I'm reserving those fights for when I select them because... In the good old days, I'd have walked right over the top of Luger to get to a better fight. You understand <laughs> what I'm saying? <laughs> Nate, you promised you deliver double A. I see his lips moving, but all I see coming out is a bunch of misty-eyed gibberish. And there's no room in that for you and I and Elizabeth for where we're going. But I'm giving it one more chance because I'm going to be there Monday night to take out... to take out Kurt Henning. But Nate, this is two strikes, three strikes, he's out. As much as I love you, you're out. Monday night's decision time. Do you run with this, a Ferrari, or do you run with that, a broken down pickup truck? You make up your mind, I'm out of here. Ooh. Monday's D-Day. Decision day. Will the Nature Boy stick with Team Package? Will Arn Anderson join? You gotta make join? this right by Monday night, damn it! You gotta make this right. I wanna be part of Team Package. You're my best friend. You make it right for me. God only knows I've been right for you your whole life. And y'all, you know what you can do? I shut up, punk. I want to be part of Team Package. Double A, make it right by Monday night. I want to be part of Team Package. Damn it! We'll get our decision on Monday. Double A. 
Let me read what Dave said about this. It started out as sad as it could be because Arn got no pop in Winston-Salem. But Arn did a great promo, made it even stronger with Flair standing there and saying more standing there than just about anyone in wrestling says when they won't be quiet. They suddenly transformed for one brief moment, WCW into the best wrestling company of all time. It was almost like a dream. Then came the next commercial, and it was a dream. Luger was standing there like a bump on a log. Well, a bump on a log with 4% body fat. Basically, Arn said they were both lousy fathers and husbands since they were on the road 200 days a year. Flair came off like a crazed, overage playboy hanging around Luger so he could still be cool. Uh-huh. It was it was great, but in a sad sort of way. Uh-huh. And the negative is that even if these guys can do the greatest promos or even the greatest matches, which isn't going to happen since Arn can't wrestle, they're doing nothing to have the problem, which is WCW does nothing to build for the future. If this was a buildup for Rick versus Benoit with Arn in the corner, it would be tremendous. As a buildup for nothing, it's a very entertaining moment that means nothing for the company. Dave guesses we should just be thankful that there are any entertaining moments on the show. When Mark Madden told Arn how well received that segment was, Arn responded by saying, That must mean I'm going to get fired. We're told the people in charge didn't like this segment. And the guys that there was nothing in the angle that built up anything to the upcoming pay per view or house shows that was. Thus, it was counterproductive. Wow. All right. First off, Arn's promo. Dom, uh, your thoughts? Arn, just one of the best promos of all time. Um, I'll tell you this. Might not have been a good father then. Good father now, though, you know, uh, from my interactions with Brock and Arn when I got the chance to work with them last summer. Uh, just really good relationship between those two. Those two, like, you can tell that they have very strong relationships. So, uh, man, just... Arn brings so much good energy into every promo. Makes you believe. Uh, definitely something missing from the promos of today. Well, it's personal. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a personal thing, you know? That's the thing. Um, when you bring that element in there, and you could... And as the day's right. Look at Ric Flair's face as Arn is talking that stuff. Flair's face about to start crying. Because Arn is speaking truth. This is this is before Ric Flair started crying, just at at a, at a heavy gust of wind. Yeah, but and then Flair, I mean, yeah, that's basically what he comes off as. This guy still holding on to what his legacy was as the Nature Boy, you know, in this whole team package thing. Bix, you were agreeing with what Dave said there. Uh, yes. It's interesting. I mean, it's interesting seeing this promo and what Dave says about it now. Who are it's more obvious that that's how Rick is in real life. Um, I mean, they pulled from reality and they got a good promo segment out of it, even though it's not really going anywhere. But I kind of get why people behind the scenes would be (laughs) feeling like it's a waste of time because it really isn't building much of anything. Well, it's fine. It's building up for Nitro. They, yes. they, 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 you know, talk about how this is going, you know, Monday night we're going to resolve this and this and the other. So it's building up for a TV rating. They were hoping. So yeah. there is something. Yeah. But anyway, Arnold's awesome. Ming Russell Finley, Tanky Abbott came out and all three destroyed all the NWA Nashville guys acting in security. But think about this logic. Abbott hits the ring to get at Ming. He and Ming beat, beat up everyone on their path until they were the last two standing. 
Then they both leave even going after each other. Then it was asked if we would ever see Mean versus Tank Abbott. Did we already see it months ago and it was lousy at the time? <laughs> oh, WCW, everybody. Dom, I don't think we've ever had you on on a show where Tank Abbott was in WCW. Um, what are your thoughts on, on his run in WCW? I feel like Tank Abbott could have been a great pro wrestler if he would have embraced the actual, you know, thought of learning pro wrestling. But as Tank, you know, and how dedicated he was to MMA as well, you can tell. I think Tank Abbott was just a guy who kind of coasted on a natural charisma streak and some athleticism, obviously good, good rest, like good high school, good amateur wrestler and obviously not got power. But, you know, this guy just never really took training for anything seriously. You look at this, you look at when he goes back to the UFC and what was that? Oh, three, oh, four or two. Yeah. And yeah. Just, gets smoked by mirror, gets beat by cabbage, gets beat by chemo. Like, just uh yeah just kind of smoked all around and it's, it's like i said it's a guy that i think with at least the base skill set he had in both mma and pro wrestling could have been great it's just i don't think that you ever had a guy that was going to be committed enough and when you give a guy like that that kind of money deal like russo and and the wcw brass gave him at that point what was his real need to get better and russo didn't care if he got better as a wrestler russo just liked him as the ufc tough guy mm-hmm now, mm-hmm. what if he got to be Tank Sinatra like was planned? Oh, I mean, Tank Sinatra, and don't don't give me and John Thorne any ideas. You can put Tank Sinatra and Dom Greeny together. <laughs> you you've seen, Maybe. by the way, that one of the WCW uh, theme collections that WWE's put out online has unused stuff, including the Tank Sinatra theme. You've seen that, right? I actually did not know that. That now I'm going to have to check this. Yes. Uh, just for the record, uh, he is on a. $650,000 a year contract with uh, no termination cycles. Hey, I mean, get it. Get that money, brother. That's what I say. All right. Next, they had a promo for WCW Saturday Night, which are building up a Jeff Jarrett U.S. title defense on the show and a Mom Moose tag title defense on the show. What's funny about that is both uh, title defenses left on Thunder. So they basically gave away in the promo that neither title was changing hands. That would be so everybody. Well, they did that all the time, pretty much throughout the whole history. <laughs> Four-way saw the Mamelukes beat the Harris Twins, Kidman and Booker, and the new Harlem Heat in 1047. What a mess. Heat was out first, then Booker accidentally kicked Kidman, who was pinned after an H-bomb. Finally, Johnny was blown up by accident. Cameras pan away from him fast. Disco hit Don Harris with a title belt, and Johnny pinned him. Then they gave Disco the H-bomb after the match. Match was real bad. The only thing good was Disco's commentary at ringside. They announced Harlem Heat versus Booker and Kidman for Uncensored. Add that to the string of great matches Kidman's been put in. They announced that Brian Nas will have to run the gauntlet against all three rooms of three count on the pay-per-view as well. Finally, Jeff Jarrett pinned Vampiro in 459 to keep the U.S. title. Harris Twins came out, but the Mamelukes chased them away. Match had no heat. Even though they had lots of false finishes, they didn't work well together, so it was disappointing. Told Jarrett somewhat blamed himself because he was suffering from the flu. Vamp had the title one after hitting Jeff with the belt, and, the, and Jamie Tucker was in the count of fall after Nick Patrick had been bumped, but Patrick pulled Tucker out. While both were distracted, Jarrett used a stroke on the belt for the pin. The original player for this match was for Vampiro to get the title when Sid laid out Jarrett after a rep bump. Either earlier in the day or the previous night, Sid asked for Thunder off and was given the day off. 
the feeling, and this is correct, is that it would be stupid to be Jarrett in any way except Sid costing the title because he would weaken the pay-per-view main event. So they changed the finish to Jarrett going over. But probably sometime in the next month, they'll do the match again with the planned title change. No, they, uh, no, they don't. No, they don't. So Sid, pulling a last-minute play, oh, I need to be off, calls Vampiro the U.S. title. <laughs> yeah. Also, seeing the name Jamie Tucker for the first time in forever, did that guy just fall off the face of the earth when WCW closed? Uh, I mean, he was around. He wore TNA, didn't he? Did he? I think so. Okay. I think he read TNA. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. Damn that Sid. Uh, oh, Jimmy Tucker has a Twitter. Damn that Sid for asking for time off on short notice, Dom. He would never do such a thing. Oh, never. Not at all. <laughs> it is March, too, so I don't know how much softball is being played at this point in time either. It all matters. Maybe he had to go to the batting cages, you know, get 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 some rounds in. Maybe. Maybe. Oh my god. Uh Jamie okay, Jamie Tucker's pin tweet is from twenty fifteen, quote tweeting a photo of him and uh Bradley what's Brad Bradley's real name? Brad J or J Brad Bradley J. Yeah. Uh as Aiden O'Shea in Impact. With them arguing at ringside. So, yeah, he's been there around on and off. It's just that it's TNA and no one remembers or knows anything about anything that happened there. Yeah. I feel like when I've heard the name more, though, I feel like I've heard other. Ref- I don't know. Thunder on the Marcy Titus record, unopposed, regularly scheduled low, said the previous week with another 1.93 ring and 3.1 share. This means both Thunder and Nitro reached record lows on WCW's last two primetime shows. The high point was the Artist vs. Psychosis at a 2.46, and the low point was Jarrett vs. Vampiro at a 1.54. The audience basically declined throughout the show with the exception of a 0.4 bump during the uh, Flair Arn angle, after which Ming and Finley and Abbott dropped immediately down to 0.4. See, they were a trendsetter for how wrestling shows uh, the ratings curve go today. <laughs> Yes, on the same network, yeah. on the same night. Yeah. WCW Saturday night on March 11 was taped in Bismarck, North Dakota on March the 8th, the same night Thunder was airing. Uh, Harris Boys beat Disorderly Conduct. Norman Smiley beat Scotty Zappa. Three Count beat El Dandy, Silver King, and Jeremy Lopez. Alan Funk beat Barry Horowitz. Jim Duggan beat Frankie Lancaster, retaining TV title. Tommy Rogers beat Todd Perry. Mona beat Little Genie. Mona being Molly Holly. Mama Luke's over Scott and Steve Armstrong and PG-13 in the three-way to retain the tag titles. Fantastic. Kidman over the artist by DQ. And then Jeff Jarrett over the demon to retain the U.S. title. Hmm. Saturday night was uh, always a hoot for these wild matches like the Mama Luke's versus the Armstrongs and PG-13. And you know what, though? And I'd like Dom's insight on this as a quality tag team wrestler. The Mama Lukes, and, you know, here it's Vito and uh, Johnny the Ball. They were one of those teams where neither guy is particularly good on their own in terms of just being like a, you know, good matches, so to speak, wrestler. But they have enough grasp of, like, basic psychology or whatever that you put them together and they're actually a very good tag team. 
Yeah, I mean, Vito had been around the world, so I, I hope he had, he had picked something up, um, you know, in terms of the psychology aspect, things like that. And sometimes, you know, if you have two guys that aren't particularly great as singles, you can. it's got the same effect of having two great singles and making them a tag team where they become even better. But essentially, it's like two negatives making a positive, you know, if you have two bad guys, because as opposed to having, you know, one slog of a, you know, 12 to 14 minute match, you can take what those guys do best and instead of having to put all that into one match. You know, you've got all these different pieces, parts to play with. Um, a certain canceled wrestler once talked to me about tag team wrestling in a way that made a lot of sense where you have all these different uh, colors to mix match to make a better painting out of. Um, and I think that's why you can take two guys who might not be as good singles, put them together as a tag team and that their work gets better at that point. Yeah. And there's been other tag teams like that over the years, you know, that, I mean, let's see. I mean, I mean, it all depends on what you think about Brian Armstrong as a wrestler, but him and Billy Gunn were far more effective and better as a tag team than they were as single wrestlers. Smoking Guns, too. Smoking Guns, too. Yeah. I mean, Billy and Chuck, too. I mean, there's a lot of that, especially in WF. Yeah, and especially with Billy Gunn. Um, The other example I always think of is um, Corey Williams and Ashley Hudson as New South. Yeah, because I remember like I had mainly seen them in tag team stuff and I always thought they were a very good tag team. And then I I forget if it was watching national TV or watching them in WCW when they started to be used as singles. Holy shit, were they so much worse than I thought they would be. Yeah, especially Corey Williams. Corey Williams, I was kind of shocked by how not good he was in singles. It just been dependent on the tags. For so long. Yes, and unfortunately he did uh, not have the superficial resemblance to someone on the WCW roster to get him uh, potentially <laughs> a storyline like uh, like Ashley Hudson did, although that didn't last long either. No, it did not. Even if he kept the name on the indies for years after. Yeah. Because he kept wrestling as Ozzy on, on some indies for years. Yeah. Nitro! On March 13th in Providence, Rhode Island, drew 2809 paid, 3187 comps, for $84,105 house. Okay. We've had a lot of WCW shows on here with a lot of comps. Is this the first one where we've had more comps than paid? <laughs> I think so. Pretty wild. Hey, hey. Aside from the lack of interest in the current product, WCW's track record is doing really poor shows in Providence. The show up on Ric Flair calling out Arn Anderson and asking him to join Team Package. Well, let's see how this plays out now, shall we? Sure. So wait, should we start with Flair apologizing to the total package or jump to Rick and Ring and calling Arn out? I mean, we can start with the Flair apologizing to Lex first just to see how that goes, because it ain't long. Hmm. Okay. Hopefully this whole thing isn't too Package, long. I want to apologize. For last Wednesday night, I know that Iron came out, made a fool of himself, oh, embarrassed me, made you look bad. And I mean, I want to—I want you to know that I definitely want to be part of Team Package. Iron Anderson, I don't doubt you. He's delivered. I'm never riding it's, that old truck again. I, I'm riding with the Ferrari. I'm riding with Team Package. <laughs> Iron is delivered oh. tonight. Rest assured, deal's done. Mitch. I promise. 
Yeah. I, Man, that's a that. huge load off my mind. That. I got Henning tonight. You know, we got him. I, you know, Sting coming up. You got Hogan. That's that. My head's clear, man. That that's great. You need to know that you are team package. I want to be so part of the team. And so I, is Liz. I, I will deliver. So Arne. is Arn. And you never have loved, you never have looked lovelier than you tonight. Team package, <laughs> no problem. Man, well, done deal. All right, now we just get this. Have Mark Madden live right. in Providence, Rhode Island, pushing right up against that center of the center. And my hand here. Players got hit yep, by the crowd. There's no question. Wednesday on TBS and on Thunder, there was friction. There was a conflict there. And it had to do with Rick Flair's recent actions. As a like that, the same side. This is a well no, a player does get his hair like this again in WWE. I forgot about that. Only one reason a man like me would be here, and that's to make a point, prove a point, and tonight, package, total package, lovely Elizabeth, I gave you my word, I would produce the legendary. Double A, the enforcer, tonight, he will walk down here. He will tell me he is sorry for embarrassing me and the package, and he will become part of Team Package. Double A, come on down, brother. Woo! So here we go, Arn Anderson in that familiar hoop beats. We're seeing the music of Double A Arn Anderson. Well, best friends like Arn Anderson and Ric Flair can have disagreements. They can have gifts. But they almost always get back together. Will Flair and Anderson reunite right here? I think they will. Shut up. Shut the music down. Double A, before you send these people off the deep end and come down here, let me remind you and the world, there are 4,000 women right now going... What if Double A doesn't do it? What if Double A doesn't doesn't go back to the horseman? You're, this is it. We are the horsemen. <laughs> we were wrestling for 15 years. Horsemen are dead. Now it's team package. The girls still love us, Double A. The women want us. Big airplanes, suites and hotels, and unparalleled lifestyle. Come down here, Double A. Become part of the most glorious of all team package. Woo! You know, that would be real easy just to lumber on down and become part of team package. And anybody that is anybody in this sport would be honored to do just that. But the reality is this, Rick. Something that keeps ringing in my ears, you said the last 15 years, you made it right for me. Well, that's true. And I made it right for you. You see, the four horsemen were something that myth is made of. But we earned that right over the course of time in front of people like this because we dumped our blood in their town. And when at the end of the night, they knew we were the, just the best wrestlers in the world at that particular time. 
We didn't do it by process of elimination, by breaking arms, by breaking legs, because we knew we wouldn't have to face that guy again. That's not what we were about. What we did, Rick, is we had notoriety, we had money, we had cars, but we did it the old-fashioned way. We earned it. What you're trying to do with Luger is ego-driven. That's all it is, and you're headed on a course with Luger that is hell-bent for destruction, and I'm not going to be the guy that's standing in the middle. You and I have been friends too long. I would rather separate as friends because our lives will constantly intertwine at different points. But I'm not rolling down this aisle and being that crutch that you've always had to lean on when times got tough. Because in six days, Rick, you got the hardest match your life has ever seen. You got Hulk Hogan in six days at a stop match. So what? Six days, Rick. You, <laughs> you get said down here man. right now, damn it. You get down here now. I've had enough of this. I'm not playing around. You always said Hogan was... Not the man, you were the man. I and on that cue, I'd like to have Hogan come out here because I got something to say to Hogan. <laughs> oh, no. Can I? I can't believe what's unfolding here. Did Art Anderson really call Hulk Hogan out? Art Anderson just went from being a horseman to being a jackass in my eyes. He threw over his best friend. For, 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 for this guy? Give me a break. Are you actually turning your back on me and walking over to Hulkamania? Shut up, Flair. I'll get to you in a minute. Double A, you got something to say to me, brother? Hulk, I've heard... For 15 years, from his mouth, that he was the man. Here's the reality. In six days, we find out who the man is, and you know what you're getting yourself into. You know how dangerous he is. I know how dangerous he is. You put Package and Liz in the corner, you got a long road ahead of you. But when you put those eyes in the back of your head, because he's wrong, and in this situation, you're right. You won't have to look for me coming out of one of those dark corners because I'm not going to be there. I'm taking myself out of the whole damn shooting match. What? <laughs> what? Looks like you got a problem, Ric Flair. For 20 years, brother, you depended on that man to watch your back. For 20 years, brother, I've been the man in this business. And coming this weekend, brother, in Uncensored, when I strap this python to your jet-flying, limousine-riding, wheeling-dealing, peroxided, you know what, brother? I'm going to put an end to the myth of Ric Flair once and for all. And you know something? This is Hulk country, brother. These are the people that made the dream come alive. And from the way things sound out here, brother, I don't think these people want us to wait till next week. And I'll be damned, I don't think I am. Oh, my, he's going to the ring. 
He doesn't oh. want to wait till uncensored, Tony. It's Flair Hogan right now here on Nitro. Flair sees near the edge. Ric Flair, get the first blow in. Hogan is looking up to it. Ric Flair, knife and jump. And because it's 2000 WCW, the rubber baseball bat very obviously bent on camera. <laughs> it sure did. <sighs> With the right, so baseball bat, cracking yep. Hogan. In what? the back, across the back, and now stepping on his throat. Oh, what a bat shot. It is spring training, Tony. Yeah. Although Luger looks like he's in mid-season four. It's not spring training. It's probably thrown out and out. Rick Flair using that weight belt that he stole from Hogan weeks ago. The referee's trying to get in and restore some sort of an order here. But Hogan right now is helpless. After taking the ring sure is louder. That shot. Yeah, it's very creepy. Trainer Danny Young's come out. Hey, Danny Young. Danny Young. Tony, whip it Poor man's touch offense. touch offense. Say what you will about Flair, most of it deserved. Um, he was a professional here when he easily could have given Hogan a receipt for what he did to David a year earlier. Yeah. He was completely working, going with the strap. He was, you know, making it so that it was not the tip of the strap hitting Hogan, that it was the, you know, further up towards Flair at the end of the arc. So, like, he was not, you know, this is only a year after that. Yeah. And it's something that we know has stuck with him for a long time. So, you know, and I, I honestly, I'd probably consider him justified if he had done it in this case, but he didn't. Absolutely. Dave said, is <laughs> what he said here. He says, you couldn't help but think how old these two guys looked. It's about Hogan and Flair. I mean, facially, so, uh, facially, because Hogan's arms here are, wow. Yeah. Hogan sold his shoulder and then it's only going to the hospital and ambulance. The incendiary angle was so soon after him doing the arm deal that his stuff has become bad wrestling parody. Arm was good, but nowhere close to the work they did on Thunder. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Three cab beat the Young Dragons in 326 when Shannon Moore pinned Jamie Howard with a sleeper hold, dropped like a net breaker. That's these six guys. Noble. Yeah. They have been working on. as Jamie Howard. Well, yeah. Jamie Saw. These. These six guys worked their asses off. Dave loves WCW's creativity. When Jerry Lynn wore a mask, remember that? He was called Mr. JL. When Jamie Howard was a mask, he was supposed to be playing on the part of Japanese Row, so they call him Jamie San. But there are any Japanese kids named Jamie. <laughs> are we just ignoring, by the way, that only one of the Young Dragons is Japanese? <laughs> yes. I mean, you know... Uh, what the, uh, Jimmy Yang is a Korean American from Georgia. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Shane Helms suffered legit broke nose. 
more than a top rope by Simon moonsault to the floor, and everyone else did spectacular dives as well. Slightly sloppy in spots, but it was the most entertaining Nitro match in a while, and for a few minutes, you like watching Nitro was something fun. Yeah, Dom, I mean, this, the, you know, we finally start getting these guys pushed more as this year goes along with these multi-matches with Young Dragons, Three Count, and then other people get involved. PG-13 and, uh, and Frog. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, I'm talking about after that, though. I'm yeah. talking about when we get later on in 2000, when the, you know, the power plant guys start getting more involved. Oh, okay. And, yeah. and WCW had a, I mean, their tag division was really fun at the time. Yeah, you, you had, like, these guys, and then they ended up doing those cruiserweight tag titles near the end of the company, which were awesome, and, like... They kind of, it was almost like they refigured out kind of where their roots were. Um, but I think it was one of those things where it was just too far gone. Yeah. And I think that they had so many bloated top end contracts. Like, this is, Bix, this is going to go over your head, but you'll get this one, Chris. It's like a team that, like, signs all the talent in the world to win the Super Bowl and they backload everybody's contracts. So then after the Super Bowl window's over, they're just very bad and they're like a poverty franchise. AKA kind of where the Rams are at now or where the, the Rams right now. Yeah. And others over the years. Yeah. I mean, good Lord, we've seen it happen in sports a lot. Yeah. And it's like, kind of like WCW sold their soul to kind of win in nine, like mid 90, like 96 through most of 98. And then this is the, the kind of the, the, the downfall and they never got the chance to maybe build it back up. Like, here you go. They had the young, the young cord they were looking to build up, but they had to shed all that old dead weight out of there. And they just didn't have the time or the, the resources to do that. No, absolutely not. Yeah. The Cruiserweight tag title tournament, uh, right at the end was fun, but it, uh, was still kind of weird too. I mean, it, you know, the tournament ends on the last pay-per-view, and then on the last WCW show two weeks later, they switch the titles. But um, what a lineup well, that tournament had. Kidman and Ray. Sure. Johnny Swinger and Jason Lee. Okay. Uh, yeah. Shanmore and Evan Courageous. Uh, Jason B. and Scotty O. Team B.O. <laughs> Jason B., of course, being Jason Jett. Uh, <clears throat> Elix Skipper and Kid Romeo. Air Raid of Air Paris and air styles mm-hmm. uh young dragons who at this point are hayashi and yang and uh mike sanders and kiwi so uh, wait wait why was noble not in the tournament had he, ian courageous oh right they did the three count reunion that's right noble was a singles once uh more and courageous reunited mm-hmm. i mean because he was teaming with courageous well, Shane Helms went singles. So Shane he Helms broke went off singles. Sugar Shane with the sugar yeah. with the sugar sugar babes, whatever they were called. No, I don't think he rejoined three count though. I think three count. No, he didn't. He went on his own. Shane was on his own. But right. courageous, courageous took his spot. That's right. That, because, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes because yes. courageous had been teaming with Noble, but then they re. But and then right, Helms goes singles. So three count is now more in courageous. Yes. Yeah. Then he did somebody to tag with Shannon Moore again, so hence having courageous turns. Right, Art Anderson uh, is shown next leaving the building. So he's going home to the wife and the kids. Mom and the babies, as uh, Roddy Piper would say. Next we get Silver King and El Dandy backstage. Let's go to the clip. Hmm. <laughs> 
Wow. Is all this now for you? Oh, yes. In Mexico, we are very big stars. We are Latin Americans, most of South America. Mami, ¿puedo estrechar tu entrepierna? What? Do we not excite your groin? Excite my groin? Shit, they found you. Excite her loins? Something like that. Groin. Del Dandy and Silver King. Well, that's it. Uh, and of course, this turns into her managing them and them becoming Los Fabulosos. Yes, I guess uh, uh, they eventually excited her groin. I guess. Um, Dave said there was something about that skit that was funny. <laughs> yeah, and as we all know, if uh, all Dandy's groin got excited, that would not be allowed on television. <laughs> At least as the story goes. Thanks, Coach Johnny K. Um, <laughs> Where was I going with this, though? And as you can kind of see here, but becomes more obvious a year later in the Luchador's feature during Super Juniors on New Japan Strong Style Extreme Wrestling on ESPN Japan, Silver King speaks fluent English at this point. Well, yes. Whether yes, anyone absolutely. in WCW knew that, who knows? I don't think they really cared. Take a little bit of the wall in 43 seconds when he handcuffs in the corner. Crow at the rig, gave Wall the worst pipe shot in the history of wrestling. Wall then came back with a high kick to Crowbar, but fell down doing the move. Wait, it gets worse. Wall chose Sam Crowbar once and then threw him over the top rope. David Flair showed up with a better Crowbar shot. David celebrated and looked ridiculous doing so. When they chose him off the apron onto Crowbar through a table. Wall went back to beating up on Bigelow. Bigelow got released from the handcuffs and did a promo after the Jarrett interview, calling Wall world. <laughs> Okay. It's the world, brother. <laughs> Speaking of Jared, Jared did interview some the guitar shots and called the Harris Twins who challenged Sid and anyone to a tag match. Sid accepted and said he'd do it on his own. But Vampiro came out and agreed to be Sid's partner. But now it's time to go to the Highland of Nitro. Yes. Is this now the first appearance we... of this segment? I think so. As Paul Lorndorf is on location at the Arnold Classic. Let's go to Mr. Wonderful. Contract! W locates the top free agent talent. Actually, wait, should we hear Tony's intro for that? Um. Seems like he was know. saying something about it. Let's hear it. Paul Orndorff went to the Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic regionally in Columbus, Ohio to track down Big Jakes and maybe sign him to a WCW contract. Who's Big Jakes? Uh, obviously not. And first time. To investigate. Anybody who is anybody in the physical fitness world, this is where they're at. The world-famous Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff is the trainer and recruiter for the WCW Power Plant. No, the arms are incredible. This South African has the largest arms in the world. If it's, if it's true, that's uh, phenomenal. Dorian Yates! Arnold himself needed an up-close-and-personal look at Big Jakes, and Big Jakes didn't disappoint. <laughs> the world record authority, the Guinness Book, confirmed that this former strongman competitor flexed his biceps to measure an astounding 28 inches. Seeing Big Jakes and possibly signing him, his potential could be unlimited. Hey, Mr. Wonderful. How you doing? How you doing, Jake? 
Yeah, I want to know one thing. Are you interested in becoming a wrestler for oh, WCW? Yeah. You know what the power plan's all about? I've heard about well, it. Well, let's go. What I want to find out is to see what kind of speed, what kind of agility, your strength, see some of your coordinations and see what you got. Oh, if you got awesome. all those things and you got the heart, then maybe we'll put you on paper. Come on, let's do it. Wow, what potential that is to have big takes, possibly a part of W. As Paul Orndorff said, his potential is unlimited. I can only say one thing about Big Jakes. He's got the look, the size, the rap. I smell money. The rap? You're saying you were <laughs> impressed by his great promo skills there? <laughs> Dom, uh, Jake's arms. I mean, it's, that's the most insane <laughs> definition I've ever seen on an arm. I mean... Good God! Well, that's 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 not a real bicep. That's simple. I know. I don't know what you do with something that big. Like to me, it's like that just seems like a hindrance. Maybe I'm I I've just been too focused in the last 14 years of my life on you know functional strength and muscles. Like if I get in a fight, you know, like if you get a guy like that an armbar in a real fight, that everything's going for that poor guy. He's gonna have a whole different life. But is that too much of an arm, though, to try to even work something like that? I mean, how do you, how like, would you work around an arm that big? It would take like it would like if like I was in a real fight with a guy like that, it would take barely extending that arm to rip half of everything in his arm apart, <laughs> just because of how tight everything is. Oh my God! There is a website with a uh, photo gallery of Jacobus Strauss, uh, and the website is Synthol Studs. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, hopefully, unlike Greg Valentino, his arms did not explode, though. Hope, uh, mm. I hope you're using your V. Uh, I hope you're using the Viper VPN. It's a real weird spot. Mean, uh, it, private internet access. Private internet access. You better be using that VPN so that uh, you don't get some very weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wonder if the website also has a, has a barefoot section with Dom in it. That makes sense. <laughs> that, that tracks. <laughs> oh, he has an Instagram. <laughs> Let's see what Big Jake's Instagram. Okay, no, this isn't. No, this is. Oh no, this is. This might be him because it says it's someone. I I searched for Jacobus Strauss bodybuilder. This is a. This is a South African Jacobus Strauss. That's a bush pilot. Okay, no, this is someone. I think this might be someone else. So we had synthol studs and bush pilots. Well, we're, we're really getting into the pornography aspect uh, of the show. <laughs> yeah, I guess bush pilot could be a euphemism. <laughs> He's traveling through the bush. <laughs> I tell you, I mean, good lord, you watch some of that 80s porn, you, you need somebody to pilot through the bush. I mean, according, according, according to a certain wrestling book, uh, Arne Anderson loved being a bush pilot in this era. <laughs> well, well, no hair, no flair. We all know that. Well, uh, yeah, Arn would Arn would ask if you wanted a cat path. <laughs> oh, uh, my goodness. Yeah, and just to close the loop here, uh, would either of you like to guess how much uh, Big Jake was making, in theory? hundred grand. Dom? Uh, 
72,312. Okay, well, first of all, he was actually signed in April 1999. Okay. And he was signed for 85,000 the first year, 100 the second year. He gets released two, uh, two months after this. So by Price is Right rules, I win. I guess so. Da, 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 yeah, because it was Chris went over, so I won the there show. You go. Um, yeah. I won the big, J, the big Jake Showcase Showdown. Sure did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and just also to close the loop, as far as uh, referral uh, deals, I haven't set up the tiny URL or anything yet, but shortly after we finished recording uh, the WWF segment earlier, uh, I got a... Uh, wait, was it WWF or... I don't know. Whichever segment I brought up, Fight TV. Um, after months of, you know, waiting after I s tried signing up for it, I finally got the Fight TV uh, referral acceptance email. And then I got it again five times in the next hour or two. Well, they were just want to make sure you got it. Uh, meanwhile, I opened incognito mode to Google Dominic Carini Barefoot Wrestler. Oh, God. And let's move on. All right, so yes, yeah, so back to a nitro here, Jake, Jakes, excuse me. All right, uh, so we got yeah. Kurt why Kidman is everyone call, repeatedly calling him Jakes? That's that's what the cryon said too. Oh, it did. Booker and Kit. Yeah. Wait, and did Dave say anything about Jake? Uh, he said Arnold was running around the Arnold class, looking like the single most annoying mark at a wrestling show, fawning over this guy like he's going to be the next Buddy Rogers, some because he's got big arms. <laughs> Booker and Kidman beat Lane and Idol in 249. They're doing an angle where Miss Hancock lights Kidman and Tori Wilson threatened her. That's potential. So they'll probably drop it next week. Idol's new name is Rave. Because apparently the people close to Billy Idol threatened WCW for using the name. Doesn't matter what his name is because he looked awful. Booker did all his moves on Lane and went up top for the missile drop kit when Kidman ran in schoolboy Lane for the pin. Kidman and Booker argued afterwards. Hogan drove the ambulance back. It was so predictable. Also, his shoulder was now all better on steroids. Kurt, anything beat Les Luger in speaking of steroids by DQ in, in uh, 139 when Flair interfered. Luger looked horrible, even by his standards. Flair was whipping handing with the belt when Hogan limped in and ended up challenging into a tag match in the main event. It was one of the lamest gimmicks to date. The dog got loose from Brian Noms. And, well, Let's watch this, shall we? So wait, is Big Jake the best thing on this show, or is it this? <laughs> Dog, where are you at? Dog! Where is he at? Dog! Where are you at? What the hell? What the hell is this? Dog! What are you doing? Dog! What are you... What the... He's drinking out the Spring Breakout 2000 Spice. You haven't been to any of the parties. Oh my God, Bob! What have I missed? All right, so Dog was drinking out of toilet. Yes, Dog, of course, being Al Green. Yes, Al right. Green, uh, most recently seen before this on WXO as the masked Al Green. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're going to play this. So Ricky Ratman and Spice mm, from the Nitro Girls is here for a sort of a Nitro party. So let's uh, watch this real quick. 
like a lot. Well, it looks like you missed the Nitro Guy contest. It's what we're doing right now. This is contestant number one. We got three count here. Three count. What did you think about contestant number one? One, two, three count. Let's take a look at contestant number two. What? The Disco Inferno. Oh. The party was going good, but nothing brings down a party like the Disco Inferno. Let's take a look. Zero. The judges concur. I'll tell you what, Disco Inferno just got three zeros. That, that I think, was good for Disco Inferno. Well, Disco Inferno has left the building, so I think the party will pick up. As the party continues at our count at a All right. <sighs> Dom, your favorite Nitro girl. Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, Spice is up there for sure. I mean, I haven't really looked at the Nitro Girls in years and a, and a thought process of it, but seeing Spice, she she does uh, check some of the Dom Green boxes, so we'll go with her. <laughs> she's she's like the consensus favorite in a lot of ways, you know, and it's easy to see why. Yeah. What about what about a uh, Whisper? <laughs> well, she's Shawn Michaels' favorite, obviously. <laughs> Now, we all know AC Jazz is Larry Zbysko's favorite. That's you mean AC Jazz? <laughs> now, you know who that means his favorite Wild Side wrestler would have been, though, right? <laughs> J. <laughs> J. C. J. C. Jazz. Yes. <laughs> and Kevin Nash, you know, he was a fan of Shea because he liked to eat Korean. Um,. Which so, he literally uh, said on TV as an obvious <laughs> reference to him having an affair while married. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Dog beat Norman Smiley. Oh, well, excuse me. Dog wrestled Norman Smiley. Smiley won a 56 seconds with a chicken wing. Smiley spanked the dog for the match. Demon, Lane, and Rave all showed up in this totally awful segment. After the match, Dog went after Scott Dickinson, with Mark Madden mentioning that Dickinson's full-time job is a mailman, which is true. <laughs> that idea, when it was explained, was really funny. Dog tried to tree Smiley backstage after the match. Brian Nostra and he went to hardcore match, so Terry Funk showed up. They both smashed each other with garbage cans. Evan Moore, Evan Moore, Shannon Moore, Evan Courageous came out and Nobs gave them Pity City. Evan came on top and announced with a hardcore title belt, and Courageous dragged Funk on top of the pin in 255. Then Courageous and Moore beat up Funk until after until Funk and Nobs joined together to clean house with Funk using his loaded chicken. Finally, Dustin Rhodes came out and hit Funk with a cowbell. None of this was good. Tony Schiavone did put over Beyond the Mat, though, and Terry Funk's part in the movie, strong in this match. Well, somebody's doing it at least. Funk had asked him to mention the movie as a favor during his match, and Shivani played it a bit because he personally loved it. Well, how about that? Finley did an interview Val to shove Vampiro's head into the toilet and uncensored. Wow, a lot of toilet stuff. Uh, since they're doing this false game where match. They also added a stip that had zero bias to the show. These bookers have lost the very concept on why you book stip matches and why people want to see them. Making Sting versus Luger a lumberjack match with lumberjacks wearing cast. The guys without broken arms are going to have to put cast on. Dave gets Hogan's the only guy allowed not to wear a cast after doing that gimmick. And we got Sid and Vampiro over the Harris twins at 341. Sid missed every movie tried. Vampiro was better, but really couldn't work out at all with the twins. They did the H-bomb on Vampiro, making sure nobody took him serious as a top guy, even though he's the only new guy with a similar some momentum. And Sid pinned Don after a powerbomb. Stevie Ray beat Disco Inferno 217 with a slapjack. Harris twins came back out, attacked the mom Luke's back. Well, they attacked him backstage, so they didn't come out with Disco, who was oblivious to it. 
Disco tried to get out of the match with Big T and Cash surrounding him. And then finally, Flair and Luger be hugging and hitting by this qualification in nine of the most excruciating minutes of Flair's career. Again, they end the show with nothing but guys over 40, and they're almost unwatchable. It was, sad because nobody cared. it was sad because nobody cared at all. Hogan was DQ for shoving the ref. Liz hit Hogan with a bat, and the lights went out. Somewhere in all this, Vampiro came out, as did Sting. Crowd did pop for Sting. Vampiro and Sting clean house on Luger and Flair as the show ended. Oh, is this when they become brothers in paint? <laughs> I think so, yes. Oh, so there's one thing but, Russo uh, adopted from Sullivan, I guess. The thing is, Dom, is, is Dave hits on the head here, is, is hit on the head, you know, as this segment's going along. These guys look so old here. Oh, yeah, it's... It's kind of insane, uh, and it's it's something I think I had to talk with Thorne about the other week. Like, a lot of, like, wrestlers, like, in this era age rapidly, like, compared to the way you see guys age now. Like, for an example, obviously, like, this is the most extreme example I could give, but, like, look at, like, a Bobby Lashley. Like, he looks the same now that he, for the most part, looked when he kind of came into the WWE back in the mid-2000s. He does! It's insane. Exactly. Obviously, that is a guy that has spent a lot of body maintenance, time, works out, takes care of himself. But even, like, to a lesser extent, I mean, MVP, like, look at a guy like MVP. I mean, he looks older, of course, but, like, he's not broken down and haggard like these guys kind of came to look like. Look at knobs in 2000 versus, like, knobs in, like, even 94, 93. He looks like a completely different human. Well, I mean... You look at some of these guys now, and I hear you know that's about you know these guys being this age, this age and such. The guys' age is different now than it's ever been in wrestling, mm-hmm. because these guys aren't living the lives that those other guys were living. Yeah, it, it, I look at it two ways. Like obviously, like the most part, the drug usage and things like that are down. I, I do believe that you're going to see a lot of these guys say like, "Oh, well, you know, we were traveling," you know. 250 to 300 days a year but i will say that the entering style back then is a whole hell of a lot different than it is now you know wrestling now is an entirely more bump based movement style but then again you look at some of those old third vf rings until they got those new ones in what 99 oh my god those rings just look like bumping on pure cement but also the different thing is too is yeah like you said these guys are not are working schedules that are nowhere near as taxing as what the guys worked in the eighties and nineties. Oh, I mean, you look at some of those old eighties, nineties schedules. I mean, those guys, some of those guys working twice on a Saturday, twice on a Sunday. And I mean, like, you know, now, like if a guy works a double shot in, on an indie on a weekend, they, you know, they're very horribitzing themselves in the back harder than you could ever imagine. You know, <laughs> like that's just kind of like, I don't know. I read enough wrestling books when I was a kid to understand that if I got double shot two shows on like a WrestleMania weekend or like any weekend, like, Oh, Hey, that's just kind of how it used to be. Like just living the lifestyle. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, and, and, and just seeing, so they, not only do they look old, they just see, they were perceived as old, you know, that's the thing that was probably the, that's the worst when you're perceived as being old. So, all right, for March 13th, Raw delivered a 6.28 rating. 6.09 first hour, 6.45 second hour, and 10.0 share. Nitro dropped to a new low level of 
2.92 first hour, 2.19 second hour, and a 3.9 share. Nitro's first hour was beaten by Walker, Texas Ranger, which did a 2.98. Wow. Raw triple Nitro over a 30-minute period late in the head-to-head. The retirement stipulation in the Raw Big Show match and return of Vince actually meant nothing to the ratings. Since now the overall number of the ratings for the main event were up over usual levels. Rocket Show started at 6.39 for the final quarter and grew to a 7.254 overrun. The latter is exactly what the show averages for their main events. Nitro's main event of Hogan and Haney versus Flair and Luger did a 2.51 rating. One of the lowest ones ever. For whatever reason this week, Raw picked up virtually none of the audience once Nitro went off the air. Getting only 3.6% of the nearly 3 million viewers watching the Hogan match once the show went off the air. Head to head saw Raw 5.98 opening the show to and then uh, to Nitro's 2.33. Then we had 6.08 going to a 2.10, which was dog and smiling segment. Raw 5.98, which meant young segment to a 1.86. Harris Twins versus Sid Vampiro. And then 6.23 for the Angle Tash Jericho match to a 1.93 for Stevie Ray and Disco. But the key thing on all that I just read is the fact that we I think we've now pretty much reached to the point where only people watching WCW, well, the main people watching WCW this time are the people watching WCW and nothing else. You know? I mean, the Rangers just told that story, like they said. There was hardly no crossover after Nitro ended. Yep. <laughs> I mean, the thing that really showed it, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the main show. We did on the, you know, say old WCW shows. The impact and where you could see the difference and that they weren't moving over was immediate. Because as soon as the Nitro simulcast ended, Raw saw no bump that last, you know, head-to-head in March 01. Actually, didn't Raw's number go down throughout the rest of the show? Uh, Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, that's where we're at. And and that's a story, you know, when WCW closes up, most of those fans never really watch wrestling again. Yep. Weekend numbers saw so Livewire do a 1.8, Superstars 1.8, Sunday Night Heat a 3.25, and Saturday Night did a 1.5. Now, Chris Candido and Tammy Sage were backstage in Nitro and Providence and are both in the company. They want Candido to do the Cruiserweight bully gimmick. You know, the idea of Nash bounced around where an American would beat up all the Cruiserweights, thus expose their moves as ineffective, except against each other, which is exactly the kind of mindset the company needs to build for the future. And there are no concrete plans for Sitch. And they come in. And destroy their credit in the process. <laughs> yes. Hmm. Eric Bischoff has another meeting with TBS Brass about trying to get out of his contract and his no-compete clause. Well, we know how this is all going to go. Well, not exactly. Because they end up switching him over to being a consultant when he comes back. He's not a WCW employee. Any of the employees during the Russo, Russo Bischoff thing? Nope. He's a consultant. Oh, okay. Yeah, he specifically asked for that. Well, how about that? Yes, and for what it's worth to see what kind of contract people are getting at this point while they're trying to make cuts and stuff, Candido's getting 104000 plus $500 per date. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And what was it that they owed total on their credit cards thanks to Paul? Like 125 <laughs> Yeah. All right, to the torch for quite a few stories here. Longtime national base promoter Jerry Jarrett met with WCW officials last Thursday, March 9th. Sources say the meeting was more than just a drop by to say hello to his good friend JJ Dillon, known as in the front office. 
Jerry's the father of Jeff and may have been meaning about Jarrett's role with the company. Jarrett, though, is hands friends with Dylan and once was a paid consultant to Bischoff, leading up to Nitro's boom period. WCW may have invited him to the headquarters about becoming a consultant again. When Vince McMahon was in 1992, he hired Jarrett to change the run to for him in case he was to be convicted and sentenced to time in prison. Bill Bush remained looked at Jarrett as someone who could help steer WCW in the right direction. All the meaning did have to do with official businesses. Too much shouldn't be written to it since Jarrett was already in Atlanta working on a construction project he was involved in. Jarrett's not involved in wrestling these days. He owns a property development business. There are rumors that he has another meeting scheduled for Thursday with Bill Bush. Well, Jerry Jarrett could be more involved in this as time goes on. Yes. Uh, along with Lenita Erickson. So, uh, Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. <laughs> Scott Steiner's lawyers continue to hang with WCW's lawyers over what punishment WCW's contractually able to levy against Steiner for his unauthorized comments on Nitro last month. He's going to be back in April sometime, no matter what. It's been eight years since Bill Watts realized he couldn't punish anyone for drug tests and they still haven't changed the contracts to make it clear no. what ways they can be punished for violating company policies. Great. No, no. It's WCW fix. What do you expect? WCW, everybody. Exactly. Brian Clark, a.k.a. Raff, and Brian Adams, a.k.a. Crushed, are about with WCW next month as a tag team called The Chronic. See, Bret Hart knew. He knew. They both signed similar to your contracts last month. There's no word on the concept of the tag team. But you, what do you think it is, Wade? But Jimmy Hart has worked on, worked on their interest music, which said it'd be WF-like in that it isn't generic as most WCW interest music. Uh, More on that in a second. The, the vignette scripts for their return have been approved and they begin shooting this week. Both Clark and Alice worked out in the ring this past weekend in Tampa at Steve Kern's gym. All right, Dom. Okay. Big missed opportunity here for what their name should have been. Yes. Should have been chronic, okay? And I'm going to give all credit to Hot Sauce Tracy Williams for this. Him and I had a discussion about this on a car ride once. When they came back, they should have been called uh, Adam Bong and Kush. <laughs> You're, uh, hey, Kona that's not the Kush. first time that's not the first time somebody has, has, I think, said that. So, yeah, so I've heard that before, but not in, in you know, like from you or, or Tracy. So that's like uh, something I think that people have shared. Maybe. But so, man, if yeah. I remember, that theme song's like pretty butt rock generic, right? It's like chronic, chronic, chronic. Well, about that. Okay. <laughs> On the surface, yes. Uh, let me pull up some clips so we can compare. Um, okay, chronic WCW theme. Oh, this is a version I must have started playing at some point. Let's start from the beginning. Chronic. 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 Bitch with the bitches and da 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 Oh, I couldn't begin to imagine this. Okay, I'm going to turn off the screen share, actually, so you don't get any hints. Uh, you probably won't know it. You will see that it's an obvious ripoff, though. <laughs> I, I can't believe I'm letting you do this to me.
Oh, yeah. It's the same fucking I mean, song. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even by Jimmy Hart standards. Now, Chris knows this one. I guess Tom doesn't. The song being ripped off is Love Dump by Static X. Which is about uh, poop sex. And <laughs> for lack of a better term, uh, the lyrics, uh, according to Google, hand me a line, really hand me a line, really hand me a line, hand me a line, really hand it to me. I always loved you, love dumpling, your shit's like chocolate cake, and your ass smells <laughs> like a rose. I really hate <laughs> you, love dumpling, now my bowels ache. Drop down yeah, the line. Yeah, they used to. And then the rest of the chorus again. You got it. Um, so yes, the the sample of the girl talking at the beginning is about the poop-related sex. Well, there you go. So how Jimmy Hart and Howard Helms stumbled upon this as the inspiration for the chronic theme? Who knows? I mean, it's similar to like that Harlem Heat interlude in that song where isn't it like the the famous like... Uh, chorus line is like from like somebody talking about getting their butthole eaten, right? Yes. Uh, Sweet Pussy Pauline by Hateful Head Helen. Yes. Yes. You guys have talked about that on the show before. That's why I know that. Yes. And it also has crack craftwork samples. Um, it's the tongue waggling. It's the that comes from that. There you go. So it's about eating ass. Yes, it is. All right. <laughs> The Chronic. All right, Terry Taylor is no longer on the booking committee. Oh, he's in charge. He's in charge of WSW's farm system, character development, house show bookings, road agent duties, managing backstage TV tapings, and is the rep for the UK tours. Oh, so he must be the one who told Orndorff that Big Jake was from Africa. <laughs> no wonder he got fired. Well, now we know. Well, now we know who could blame for the UK tour debacle. Paul Worthen Taylor. Ooh, oh, just the match order and stuff. Yeah, I guess so. He was in charge of the tour. Well, and he's the house show booker, too. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, here's a big fan. <laughs> DJ Rand signed a new contract. Because why not? Well, I think you need a new contract to legally be all up in your area. They need to iron <laughs> out exactly what that means. Canyon, Stain, Crowbar, LaRue, Kid Romeo, and others will be hearing on the, in the Biff Naked music video debut on MTV's Total Request Live next weekend. Yes, we're, the cover of We're Not Gonna Take It from the Ready to Rumble soundtrack. Yes. Latest idea, oh, this is for Dom. Latest idea of, in regarding shoot fighters coming to WCW is to bring Mark Coleman, Don Fry, and maybe one or two others in, include Rick Steiner in the group, and had to be managed by Paul Orndorff. God, they have no clue how to do this. The oh, Knockout Club. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, sure. I mean, th this this idea sounds great. Uh, Paul Orndorff, after what we just watched, I don't think is the ideal manager for this group. But, I mean, I could think of worse managers that they, at that time, probably could have put in with them. Well, see, the thing is, is Orndorff is known as a tough guy. <sighs> but he's not... I mean, he's not a mixed martial arts fighter. No, he's no. not a shooter like Tom. There's a million things that they, a million guys they could have brought in mouthpiece wise that would have been better. Uh, but man, Dan Lambert, use, <laughs> use Tank as the mouthpiece. You yeah, could use Tank. Tank as the mouthpiece. I mean, there's all kinds of guys you could have gotten. I'm sure at the time, 
WCW or uh, the UFC was so down their luck. I mean, like Jeff Blatnick could have been like an awesome guy to just come in and be a mouthpiece, even though he's kind of dry. But like he'd get the point across. Guys like that. I mean, there's all kinds of guys they could have brought in. Gone to the Dragon that. Wilson. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's a million guys they could have they could have brought in for that. Um, Don Fry though the 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 White Whale. Uh, of AIW, the AIW booking committee. That is one guy that <laughs> I have wanted to book for so long, and it's just never worked out, and it's so hard to get a contact for him. Maybe one day. Maybe the, one day. Thorne loves Don Fry. Like, when Who we doesn't? talk about UFC guys, like Don Fry's on there. Mark Coleman, you know, he, as we've talked about before, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with him. Um, but you know, I'm happy for Mark. He's gotten sober. He's gotten in pretty great shape. Like he follows Instagram. It seems like he's very at peace with his life now, and, and it's awesome. He's been cornering some guys in some of the recent UFCs. So you know, Mark's Mark's had a really good late life turnaround since that hip replacement. Well, good. I was a fan of the Hammer. So there you go. Good, good stuff. Glad to hear he's doing better. <laughs> Knockout Club. All right. Uh, next. Christopher Daniels was signed this past week. Oh, that'll go well. Michael Monis is ready to get a try to the Thunder Tapings in Orlando on March 21st. That'll go well. The Young Dragons are Kansayashi, Young Yang, a power plan guy, and a mascot is Jamie Howard from Florida, who they pretend is Oriental. Jamie Howard <laughs> from Florida. That's He's from, yeah, from Florida. I guess he was a Malenko <laughs> student, right? Yes, he was. Okay, so that's where that comes from, when it's when he's from West Virginia. Um uh, also, Dave calls him Yang Yang, not even Yun Yang. Yang 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 Yang, yes. Yang Yang. Yeah, I think maybe he had the WCW discrimination lawsuit and the Chinese menu <laughs> on the mind. Well, he does, he does uh, call Jamie Howard pretending to be Oriental here, so there's that. Um, they said, but this surprised everyone. Jake Strauss, the bodybuilder they show Arnold. And with the gigantic arms of Orndorff embarrassing falling over him on the second Nitro segment, has been training at the power plant under Orndorff since WCW signed him with the idea of giving him a big push. But he's showing no potential at all. So, yes, he was actually training at the power plant. And has been for almost a year. God, we need to get some of these guys that were in the power plant and tell some stories on him. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we got to remember, there are a bunch of people who came in also, you know, as paying students who theoretically graduated but never got used you know yeah the, the discrimination 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 lawsuit is full <laughs> of them you know most of the plaintiffs yeah. in that law in those lawsuits are power plant guys like oh i can never pronounce his name like the laotian refugee guy yeah perry Saturn on his website said he believes he had to childish some of his comments regarding hulk hogan as it pertains to the name calling, but he said he was furious about the comments Hogan made about Billy Kidman, and that Hogan's in a position where he should be a team leader and that should outline one. Saturn brought up the current state of WCW business, said if Hogan, if he has just tried to say, said the whole Kidman thing was to start an angle, to follow through and work a program with Kidman. Well, he does. He probably wouldn't have if not for Russo, but he does. Yeah. Um... Yeah, did we ever get an explanation for why he did that in the first place? And why Kidman was who he singled so. out? Because Kidman's with Tori Wilson. Oh, you, know you think it's is. the whole... And because Tori Wilson's his type, particularly? Yes. Yeah, that Absolutely. makes sense. 
I don't think anyone ever explicitly said that, but that certainly makes sense. Absolutely. She should be with the main event, her brother. Exactly. Taylor's oldest time in wrestling. Mm Mm-hmm. Former WCW national Lee Marshall's morning show on KVEN in Ventura, California, was selected as one of three finalists for best radio newscasts in the Southern California branch of the Associated Press. That isn't a made-up story. (laughs) Why would it be? Well, it's Dave and it's Lee Marshall, you know. So you think he talks about his expertise in women's wrestling on that? Okay. <laughs> Maybe he does. I bet that Special show. Tour. I mean, with what the AP saying, it sounds like it was great. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Back to the tours. Gene Oakland was arrested over the weekend in Siesta Key, Florida, on DUI charges. His arrest made local news in Tampa. WFLA confirmed with the torch that the police report says Oakland ran a red light. And was bobbing and weaving in traffic, almost hit a police car in the process. He posted bond as a Raymond set for next month. At lunch this Monday, he was drinking water at the bar. When asked why, he didn't specify. It was not common knowledge. Backstage at night, Charlie Sudgeon wasn't openly broached about his arrest. Yeah, Gene had his problems over the years, that's for sure. Um, not great that he's doing it on a failing kidney. Well, on his one failing kidney. Uh, some because people like that big, yeah. their mentality is, I'm dying anyway, I might as well have fun doing it. And then eventually he actually, you know, his wife's able to give him the kidney, and it lasts for quite a while. Yeah. Um, and for yeah, those who don't so, know, Lee Marshall, by the way, was a radio guy long before wrestling. Well, of course, listen to his voice. Yeah. Casey Collins, who was the licensing director for the company for the past three years, gave notice that he'd be leaving for an internet job in Tampa. And to close, Jay Hossman, who had the pay-per-view division, was fired. There'd been heat on him ever since he was the one who got the blame for the screw-up at Halloween Havoc 98 when WCW increased the show to 3 hours 30 minutes instead of the usual 247. And somehow most cable companies never got the word, leading to most of the companies cutting off the Goldberg-Page title match. And that would be the last we would ever hear of Jay Hossman. <laughs> With WCW. <laughs> uh, okay. So, have we ever covered much of the Jay Hasman TNA stuff on here? We've talked about it. Just a little, though. I mean, the, the, for those who don't know the story, the gist is that he gets brought on to TNA early on and does not tell them that the company he does his main work for is the company that does the WWF Fanatics pay-per-views, where they play the home video documentaries and stuff. And presumably not coincidentally, tells them they're on cable and satellite companies they're not on, appears to forge fake in-demand like memos, inflating their pay-per-view buys, etc. They sue him. It's settled. I think Jeff said on his podcast it just wasn't going to go anywhere. And I believe he eventually went to prison on some fraud stuff because, of course, he did. Shocking, isn't it? Shocking. Yes, here and here Dave spells his name Haseman. Yes. Hasseman. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. He had all he had all sorts of stuff because I found an appellate thing from when he was suing the state of Tennessee appealing some conviction. Yeah. He was a shady character. Yeah. Alright, well that is it for us this week. Dom, go ahead and plug away, my man. Oh man, a lot of a lot of great stuff. A lot of great stuff. Um, 
As always, social medias, follow me at DGreenyBC. That's on both Twitter and Instagram. A lot of really great shows coming up. The show should be out the week of St. Patrick's Day. So the following week, if you have a Fight uh, Plus subscription um, at Bix, I'm sure we'll probably drop the link at some point uh, for you guys' affiliate program. But uh, we have AIW216, spelled S-Y-X-X. Um, our first show in Cleveland since August of last year. We've just had about every single venue issue you could really imagine having. Um, but we've got Temple Live, which is a great venue in downtown Cleveland and uh, one of the best cards and most loaded cards you've put together in a while. Um, it hasn't been announced online as of our recording. I would assume by the time this drops, it will be. But I will be wrestling Timothy Thatcher in a hey. very United States independent appearance for him. Um, just got some other great stuff on the card. Uh, Matt Cardona, Isaiah Broner, Josh Bishop in the main event. Uh, who knows if Sean Waltman will be on screen for us. We got a crazy scramble for the uh, intense title. I mean, Steph DeLander versus Jocelyn Navarro. I mean, we really loaded this show up for the return to Cleveland, so we're excited for that. Um Outside of that, then we've got I've got that same weekend. I'll have the BLP Rumble, um, my least favorite match type of all time, a Rumble. But, you know, got to go in there, win that, maybe get Ku and I a chance to get the tag titles back. And then Sunday, um, the never ending feud between Violence Forever and the Work Horsemen comes to a whole new level and at deadlock pro wrestling Kuhn and i will be wrestling drake and henry in a steel cage match hey so dpw.live for that um they're doing some really great stuff it's really become a second home for kevin and i um and just support all the independent wrestling you guys can so guys like myself can continue to make a good uh secondary living off this you know um yeah, and you know, support uh, the Between the Sheets Patreon. I think I've been a member with you guys for like five years now. So, a lot of great shows. I'm actually going back right now and listening to the uh, WCW Sale show that you guys did um, because I love that show. And I remember I pitched, I had Justice and me listening to the ECW on TNN show the one time because he was so interested about the contracts and the financials because he had never heard about any of that stuff. And he's like a massive ECW guy. Awesome, awesome. And of course the WCW Sale Shows features Jay Hosman. Yep. <laughs> and there's a there you go. Yes, and Very I did timely. just I did just set up a tiny URL. Tinyurl.com slash BTS fight. F I T E because it's them. But well, yes, if you want to use our referral link to buy stuff on Fight T V, whether it's five plus subscriptions or IP reviews, there you go. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, next week on Between the Sheets will be a different type of show. Uh-oh. As we go back to 1991, why is it different? Well, you'll find that as we go along with the blog. For Wrestle Federation, we have uh, the Iron Sheik making his return to the promotion, but not as the Iron Sheik. So we'll have news on that. Plus, a mysterious mass man shows up to attack the earthquake on television. And we'll have uh, news on house shows and the like. And uh, we have the uh, special for uh, the special. There's no prime time, so the special Sunday night uh, March to WrestleMania, whatever they called it back then. So we'll have that to talk about. I believe World that's the first one called March to WrestleMania. I think so. Yeah, 
WCW, Sid Vicious, his contract's coming up. So we'll have news on that, plus uh, news on Butch Reed, and uh, some other stuff in WCW, including some house show matches, interesting house shows. Actually, wait a second. Isn't it that Sid's contract is not coming up? Well, it's in renewal. So, I mean... Oh, that's right. No, that's right. He does renew it, and then he leaves it immediately after he signs the the new contract. We got news on uh, Gary Hart's Texas Wrestling Federation, including an interesting video from that week's television. USWA, they're in the Pipkin building. So we'll talk about that. Plus, we'll have news from Dallas. We got Eddie Mansfield and Steve Kern talking about lining up to start some wrestling promotion in Florida. Drama with Bonnie Blackstone's Saturday Night Block on Channel 69 involving the name of the block. Then we got all kinds of stuff in Lucha. We got uh, interesting tour Germany. But the bulk of the show, and I mean the bulk of the show, next week, Dave Meltzer in Japan. Oh. Dave goes to JWP. He goes to All Japan Women. He goes to Universal. He goes to all sorts of shows. But the big one, Dave Meltzer at the Tokyo Dome for New Japan WCW Star K91. A extremely in-depth feature on this. So this show, this is this is like I said, a different show than we've ever done because Dave is over there. And then the other newsletters does not have a whole lot going on in the other companies. Hmm. So this show is pretty much 75% Japan. <laughs> so like I said, a very different show. I am invited a guest who has not got back with me yet. So we may have a guest. We may not. We'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, so this will be a very different episode of Between the Sheets next week, folks. So if you're a fan of Japanese wrestling, this is definitely going to be a show for you, especially this time. And it's got WCW people involved. So we got Flair and Fujinami. We got all, all those guys Sting there. and Muda. Gante, Sting and Muda, Steiners. I mean, we got the Ron Doom. Simmons, Butchery, Doom, One Night Reunion. Pillman, I mean, Zank, and Horner. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot There's a lot going on. Arn and Wyndham's on the show. So there's WCW people, but yes, heavy, heavy, heavy Japan next week. On between the sheets. All right, Dom. Always a pleasure having you on. Always great talking with you. So we uh, look forward to having you back on again in the future. Big thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris and so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, Patreon Special Edition number 77. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, it's time to go back to 1993 and look at a year in the life of one Paul Heyman. And just look at the passion that he has for this business. <laughs> All right, like I said, I, you know, I don't read these ahead of time. Do we have any uh, extensive interviews on this one that like we had on the previous show with Paul and John Clark? Um, we we don't have another uh, John Clark interview with Paul, but we have a torch talk with Paul and a flyer interview with Eddie. Well, okay, but but nothing like a marathon session. No, <laughs> like we, we don't had. have anything that looks like it was a three-hour middle-of-the-night interview with Paul. No. All right. So, all right. Well... We left off at the end of May, as uh, Paul's already joined ECW, WWN is starting to uh, get their plans going, and uh, all that stuff. So let's pick up where we left off, and let's go to June. Excerpt from "Want to Be a Promoter?" Come here by Bruce Mitchell, Torch columnist. RB Creative Marketing is a wrestling game for IBM compatible computers called Pro Wrestling Promoter. This was put together by Barry Jackson, a WCW promoter in the Midwest. Wrestling Service, September 13, 1993. Now that's what I call creative pro wrestling marketing for the 90s. Imagine a myriad of ways this computer game could be set up. This is the obvious WCW variation. Pouring money down the drain is more suited for a plumbing manual than an IBM game. And soon the general public is going to know so much about the lives of Titan sports promoters, and none of it the slightest bit entertaining, that a computer game like the Feds could hardly do them justice. We'll drop the big two for consideration. But never fear, at least enough egomaniacal screwballs, rip-off artists, and netcases to build several games around. A multitude of possibilities for game concepts comes to mind. Here are but two. The single mark game. Now, the key to making money for many workers in this business is not to captivate an audience, but the fool of single mark. The con goes something like this. Find the rich, jock-sniffing fan who reads newsletters and thinks he can bring back the wrestling of his childhood. It helps immensely if this rich Mark is an inveterate ham and secretly wants to be a big wrestling star. He should have some money, but not so much that he has any savvy about paying the tab for all the expenses or will ask questions about when or how money will start flowing into the business instead of just out. Claiming that the promotion will feature this type of hardcore action and a legion of fans, you know, guys like him, are throffing at the mouth to see. Stock it with three types of talent. WF hats, bins. Indie brawlers who, at this late unhealthy date, still do not mind slicing up their foreheads, and any cronies of the booker or mark, I mean the promoter. Well, we've seen a lot of this over the years, haven't we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Obviously, the poster board for this con, I mean game, was going to be Eddie Gilbert. But his behavior has become so erratic that he was last seen turning himself babyface and retiring. So he can sell his old clothes to his adoring public before calling up whatever's left of the NWA board to pitch himself as their new NWA champion. Todd Gordon, $120,000 in the hole and sinking, learned so much from his business relationship of old hot stuff that he is now paying Jim Crockett twice as much as he had paid Eddie to let Paul Heyman book for him. And what about the NWA board? The inspiration for the next pro wrestling promoter game concept? Okay. One of the things I hate about the torch in this era, and we've talked about this a little bit before, there will be things we've never heard before in a Bruce column, like hard facts or about news that should have been in the torch itself. You know what I mean? Like, no. here, he's paying 
Jim Crockett a hundred grand in nineteen ninety three money to pay Paul to book for him? Okay. I mean the Bruce Mitchell columns and stuff like that of this era is like the guys that have the Twitter DMs, they get the news of Twitter DMs and they put it out there when the reporters are. Yes. Um That's what that is. And also, you know, there was the thing uh year earlier. The thing about Watts with the whole thing about Barry Windham being offered the deal to retire. That was never in the newsletters otherwise. No. Um, And as we saw with Bruce in later years, too, when Bruce does try to play reporter, doesn't necessarily go well either. (laughs) No. You can uh, ask at least one person who's been a guest on this show before about that. Yeah. But anyway, All right. let's continue. The No Promoting Promoter Game. What a pack of rocket scientists these guys are, huh? When was the last time WCW management outsmarted anyone but a, a rapidly, rapidly joining a bunch of pay-per-view subscribers? Bischoff and company slipped the NWA board with a dramatic Perry Mason-style last, last-minute letter to tell how the last NWA president had the temerity to sell the only people, WCW, who can get any use of the, of the NWA belt name. <clears throat> Check out the membership roster. The once proud NWA, the anchor of a nationwide pro wrestling monopoly, has been reduced to this. One guy, Jim Crockett, who's legally forbidden to promote wrestling cards, probably for his own protection since last time he did, he ran a 50-year-old family business in the financial ruin. Another guy, Crockett's frontman, Paul Heyman, who talks a good game. Something about an unlikely youth-oriented Dr. Dre, Dan Cortez, MTV Howard Stern pro wrestling hybrid. Heyman, of course, has over-chronicled blow-ups to every management team he's ever worked for. On the shows he's promoted so far, he's brought out the same old Texas retreads, Titan cast-offs, and pals that everyone else has. And we're having all that gaga about high-definition television. No one works a torch better than old Paul Lee. (laughs) 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 That may be the best sentence Bruce Mitchell's ever written in the column. I mean, say what you will about Wade... (laughs) He had no problem with Bruce calling him on his shit in the torch about how <laughs> he covered uh, Paul and Eddie in the torch. <laughs> Remember the quote about how much he can learn from A-Triple-A's Antonio Pena? Heyman neglected to mention he's in L.A. tonight at Triple-A's big show. New football, the show would sell out and blew it off anyway to go out partying. <laughs> <laughs> and I will not leave Los Angeles until I have a TV deal. And Dennis Corluzzo, an insurance salesman who pre-sells independent shows on a sporadic basis in the Northeast. He made news last week one of those pre-sold shows actually made money for the sponsoring charity. Corluzzo is now feeding with NWA member Todd Gordon over who gets to run money-losing shows in the Philly area. Crockett logically thinks it should be Gordon since he's proven to be better at running Randy shows in the air than anyone since Gold, Joel Goodhart. Gold Goodhart. <laughs> how about an independent promoter for a change who has a well thought out product with new ideas actually has a chance to make money selling tickets to wrestling fans and maybe the indies could stop playing these silly games altogether <laughs> okay a few things here one of all the things you can say about Dennis that is kind of a cheap shot though because Bruce does not seem to understand how sold shows work you buy the show it is your yeah. job as the entity buying the show to promote it. Yes. If schools, you know, Knights of Columbus, whoever, were buying these shows from Dennis and not making money on them, that's their fault. That's not Dennis's. 
No, it's not. And also, Dennis was good at getting sponsors and stuff in an era where, I mean, where I guess that's starting to die out. You know, but, uh, you know, he gets sponsors for his shows. Like, he's a character, but, like, it's not like he had no business savvy. Well, we know what sponsors he was getting, too, sometimes. Well. We mentioned that on the main show lately. Yeah, but... So that is a little frustrating because, like, again, like that's that's not how sold shows work, Bruce. Um, how about the, that uh, anecdote about the LA thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doctor Dre, Dan Cortez, MTV, Howard Stern, pro wrestling hybrid. <laughs> he pretty much had all the talking points on that one. So yeah, and high definition television. Gaga. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, he's right about most of what he says here, though. Yeah, he was. And of course, no one works the torch better than old Paulie. <laughs> A classic one, yes. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash Between the Sheets.